reach for the sky, boy. Hello, this is Ron Burgundy. Wait a minute, I'm not? Oh, never mind. Hey, guys, how's it going? This is Dane L., the host of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a show in which me and my co-host, Christopher, brother Ray Patton, Ray found the latest and greatest professional wrestling news and provide you with reviews over the shows that we watch and preview the shows to come. So we got one big show uh, from over in Japan that we're going to be previewing with Dominion happening this weekend and also go over the big shows from last weekend. Of course, we're talking about uh, Clash of Champions over for WWE in Saudi Arabia and uh, Double or Nothing or AEW, but we got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. I could not do this show without my co-host. How are you doing, Chris? You having a, a good Saturday morning as we record? I am, man. I was actually, I was sick Wednesday and Thursday, so I'm glad to be kind of out of that. Just really bad sinuses, and then I had a migraine, and those are fucking always terrible. So I actually took two days off a of week uh, work, and last six days off of work, and just slept for a long, long time. But outside of that, you know, like work, everything's been good on my end. Feeling better today. And, uh, you know, I have a, have a noon beer. So we'll see how the show goes. But how have you been, buddy? What have you been up to? What have you been watching? You know, just uh, some stuff here and there. And uh, I'm actually having a noon Capri Sun. Yeah. You know, I walked by them at the grocery store. And I was like, you know what? I used to like these guys. And I decided to buy a large, uh, you know, box of Capri Suns, the uh, fruit punch flavored stuff that I used to love uh, as a child. And uh, they're pretty average, you know, they're fine. Uh, but it was, it, it's a fun callback. Uh, I still think they need to figure out the straw situation because I went right through the motherfucker for the second one that I drank out of the box. Um, so, yeah. Whatever, but uh, other than that, besides Capri Suns, you know, I just watched a couple movies. Uh, I guess the main one that I watched yesterday, I, I, I'm trying to go through all of Scorsese's movies, so I hadn't seen Mean Streets in a very long time, a uh, movie, you know, early Harvey Keitel, and probably one of the first showings of a actor that people might know, Robert De Niro. Uh, awesome fucking movie, and just shows you the groundwork of a lot of stuff, uh, both cinematography-wise and, and production-wise that Scorsese would put in his films, the music and a lot of, uh, I don't know, the band, the Rolling Stones that you hear throughout all of his films, and then also the Italian, New York, gangster vibe. Uh, it was his third film, his first big film, off of two school projects or smaller indie productions he had before that. And uh, if you've never seen it, anyone out there, you like, uh, you know, Goodfellas and or any of the movies. If you like Scorsese, you've never seen Mean Streets. Definitely check it out. Kings of Comedy is my next film I'm going to watch. Not to be confused with the Bernie Mac, Steve Harvey, D.L. <laughs> uh, Hughley banger of original Kings of Comedy. Um, now it's been a long time since I've seen Mean Streets, but I remember liking it a lot. But uh, 
I, as far as things I watched, I don't know if I talked about it on last week's show, but I watched Air. Have you watched this? Did we talk about this last week? I really don't remember, honestly. I think we did, and I haven't seen it yet, but I've definitely seen it available, and I'm, I'm definitely wanting to check it out. Um, what was your evaluation on it? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun movie. Um, I don't want to go too much into it just because I think I talked about it last week. And if I did, apologies. Outside of that, the only thing I watched um, outside of wrestling really was I've been rewatching Martin. <laughs> so I'm I'm up to season five on Martin. Uh, but like I said, I, I kind of was not feeling well this week. So I did a whole lot of sleeping as opposed to consuming content as i normally do we did watch uh the latest beavis and butthead i'm caught up on that series it's, i i really enjoy it i think it's been really funny with the old beavis and butthead episodes that they've been doing with them as adults as well as uh just some of the normal stuff that they throw into that show mike judge is great still waiting for that new king of the hill excited about that as well and uh yellow jackets fully caught up on that i don't know uh if you fe- finish the season out or not, but this was a really fun season of that show. Yes, it was, and I did finish it. And uh, the, the, I mean, there's lots of theories, but I'll just say this without spoilers. Uh, specifically, one character in general, something happens to. I hope that that is vague enough so that no one can get mad if you haven't watched the series, but. Basically, with that character, a lot of people have theories of their possible return, uh, but I'm pretty sure they're done. I'll just put it that way. And uh, that kind of shocked me. To me, there was other actresses that... Of all the actresses you're going to get rid of, uh, I don't know. But that was my decision. But everything else is storytelling, everything with them as they're younger, awesome. I'm just wondering, Chris, for next season what the older cats are going to be doing. Like, you know, I shouldn't say that like that. Like the, the modern representation of, of the ladies from that crew, it seems like their story's kind of done. So I'm, I'm just curious how they're going to handle that and how much chaos we're going to see when they're younger in the wilderness next season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do, especially like like we don't want to go into it too much in case people haven't finished it. But um, especially the way the episode kind of leaves off with both the kids and the adults. Uh, one thing you know I kind of take from this is they've started developing younger characters. So if the wilderness is really going to pick and choose and, and take some of these characters as it goes along, it makes sense to introduce new people to kind of step into those shoes, which I think is what what they did on that last episode, if they're going to keep this thing going for, you know, let's say five seasons, it seems to be a very popular show, right? Even though that's not, uh, not really Showtime's bag to go, you know, that deep with a lot of shows. But if, if they did want to do that and extend this thing out, they're going to have to continuously rotate in new characters. And I think that's kind of what they were doing. Um, I, I enjoyed it, man. I thought it was a really fun season. Elijah Wood's fucking great in it yes he is <laughs> his character is a whole shit ton of fun uh, my wife the super fan uh has let me know that there's going to be a bonus episode so apparently they had a lot of stuff films that they put into a bonus episode with uh with some cool things apparently so i'm she 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 is on top of this stuff like we're on top of wrestling as far as yellow jackets go i don't, I don't <laughs> her i don't think she's been this pumped about a show since like season 1 of walking dead so uh she is 
completely consumed by it and absolutely loves it. And I, I enjoy watching it with her. She's like, uh, every time I watch this, I feel like it's when you made me watch the Kenny Omega Okada match. <laughs> I was like, that's a good comparison because like you pop the same way I popped watching that match. So it's kind of like that watching every episode with her, which has been super enjoyable for me. Hell yeah. And, um, I just I just like the theme of the show. I think it's going to appeal to us because, you know, we're products of the 90s and it's definitely uh, got a lot of those aspects. Actually, to the point where, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, and if you haven't, go check it out. They got Alanis Morissette to redo the theme uh, with her vocals, and I love the theme. And the band themselves, the ones who created the song, they did a great job, and it's actually a male singer. But hearing it from Alanis... Uh, I would definitely go, if you're a music fan, a 90s music fan, whatever, definitely go check out the music video of her laying down some vocals for that. It was pretty cool. They used it um, in one of the episodes. I don't remember which one, but, uh, you know, it just, it really is appealing for babies of the 90s, ones that were born in the late 80s, early 90s, and lived through it like we did, you know? Yeah, I kind of hope that they do more of that, like guest intro themes, because it it does kind of tie into the tone of whatever the episode is going to be when they do that, like the Alanis Morissette one tied in. Uh, There's a great usage of live in one of the episodes, by the way. I really dug that. Hadn't heard that song in a long time, so I was pumped on that. I think a lot of the music they, they used was great. Like in the last episode, we get some Radiohead. That was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I dig that. I hope the you know my my dream of dreams would be that they get Tom Waits to f- do some kind of crazy ass version of this theme for one of their crazier episodes in an upcoming season. That would be killer. I definitely would. I'm still waiting for the uh, the vocal AI to have Tom Waits do every fucking song. I want. Uh, I'm I'm sure it's out there, but it it would be really funny to hear. <laughs> Tom Waits uh, sings something like um, Treasure from Bruno Mars, you know, just for the fuck of it. Actually, don't do that. That's terrible. Don't fucking do that. And I love Bruno. I just want to hear, like, all all of Dean Martin's catalog by Tom Waits. I want to know what that is. Now, that's that's a good idea. That's a great idea. I love that. Love that. Um, But, yeah, man. So, I guess that's... uh, Pretty much non-wrestling stuff. Uh, we, I guess uh, the, the only last thing is uh, we had a big album release yesterday. And me being a super fan, I'm very mad to say that I haven't got a chance to listen to the album all at once. I plan on doing that maybe when I'm traveling over to my sister's house today. Uh, but the Foo Fighters record has dropped. And I just want to, I mean, they released five songs. Two of them were like 10 minute long, which is the fuck is Foo Fighters doing prog uh, like things but uh, just coming off of a lot of the interviews and seeing a lot of the shows and them introducing Josh Freese it's one of my favorite bands rock bands whatever and I thought they were done and I was kind of okay with that if that was the case and then they had the big tribute show for Taylor their drummer if you guys didn't know Taylor Hawkins passed away uh, last summer actually which is fucking crazy it's been that long um and they had Shane, uh, his son, play with them. And it kind of just, 
I don't know. There was a big smile on my face with that thing. It was very emotional, but it was like, maybe there is a future for this band without Taylor. And Dave loses his mother um, around the same time. Um, he's already obviously lost Kurt Cobain. And, you know, you go from one band, it ends trying to fucking bring something else up. And the, the, the other, you know, Keith, Keith Richards to your Mick Jagger tragically passed away again um, later on. It just a lot of if you listen to lyrics, if if you've lost anyone, especially recently, it really even their happier stuff like under you. It's a it's a song about basically realizing that you want to tell something to someone so badly. And then you realize that they have passed. And I don't know. It's it's unbelievable. I'm really excited. I've heard really good things. Uh, I've heard people say it's the best album since Wasting Light, which that's the case that was my last really favorite album from them so as a Foo Fighters fan I just really appreciate Dave Grohl and I'm glad they got Josh Freese basically for touring it sounds like he'll be around for a while maybe one Shane he's only like 16 so Shane Hawkins maybe when he graduates college he wants to join up with them Josh Freese is the drummer for I don't know the Vandals Devo uh, Perfect Circle uh, he's been in Nine Inch Nails. He's been in Guns N' Roses. He's done Bitch for Meredith Brooks as a popular track from the 90s, since we were talking about that. Uh, he's done stuff for Michael Boublier, Paramore as a touring drummer. So the guy's been all around. He's got stuff to do. He's great. They have an intro um, little recording that's in black and white where they do like a little setup of who's going to be the drummer. And then first Chad Smith knocks on the door, but he's got like takeout. And then Tommy Lee knocks on the door and everyone's like, hey, Tommy. And he actually is getting blocked by someone's car. And then, like, the last one is Danny Carey from Tool. And he comes in and he actually groomed Dave Grohl's dogs. Really fucking funny shit. I love how Foo Fighters have that aspect always within them. And then Josh Freese, who's behind the drum set, he's like, hey, guys, are we going to play a song? And they do a whole entire set. They do an awesome version of All My Life uh, that has, like, this cool groove in it if you're a rock fan so check it out i know i'm talking way too much about them they're one of my favorite bands and i'm glad that they're still going still trucking especially after all this tragedy for uh especially for dave girl man like what a nice guy especially for all the shit he's been through especially recently man yeah he always came off as a super cool dude and in interviews and such i'm not the i i, I am i am a casual Foo Fighters fan. I like Foo Fighters. I, I am not as obviously, like you said, your favorite band. I dig them. I dig their music. I didn't like that last album a lot, so I'm excited to listen to this one. Um, it sounds like it's going to be pretty cool. And uh, they, I mean, they went out and got a one hell of a gunslinger to play live with them. So that that could be a really awesome tour as well. So I, I'm excited to listen to that. I didn't even know they had a new album out. So I might spend uh, spend this after, afternoon giving that a listen. Yeah, and one of the aspects of the album, like I said, there's two songs that are like 10 minutes. Taylor and him really wanted to do a prog rock album. Uh, you know, they're huge fans of bands like Pink Floyd, Rush, um, just many bands, Dream Theater. So they wanted to try something different. Obviously, that didn't happen. So Dave still, you know, kept his normal style for this and made it as much of a, a Foo Fighters album, but they kind of have aspects from what I hear. Uh, doing that and uh, yeah just like I said uh, 
They're not. I, I, I don't want to say that they're my favorite band of all time. That's a hard thing. Maybe modern wise, it's like them, Coheed and Cambria and Blink One Eight Two really have a special, special space in my heart for the bands that I grew up with. But no one's gonna beat the Beatles and Zeppelin. So you know, just to lay it out. And I think Dave Grohl would appreciate that. Um, and the, we're not even talking about past rock music. Because if we put hip hop and funk into it, it gets even crazier. Yeah, so I mean, like, as far as like, it seems like prog heavy rock is making like a huge comeback, especially if you go back and listen to like, I guess it falls more on the metal side, but the last Gojira album, the last Deftones album, you know, Polyphia is out there. There's a lot of. The last Metallica album. Yeah, there's in the last Dream Theater album. I mean, well, Dream Theater's always been that way, but like, uh, it would be really cool to see. I, I'm actually excited to kind of hear those tracks just to see what a Foo Fighters version of a prog heavy rock or, or metal type song would sound like. So I'm kind of I'm kind of excited to hear that and see what that that's gonna be like. The one I listened to that, like I said, they released two that were very long songs. Uh, it was ten minutes. And it had more of like a Floyd approach, which slower stuff, big guitar, building up to these chunks that are much more aggressive. And um, I know that, like I said, they're huge Rush fans, so there could definitely be those elements. But either way, uh, another thing I found out kind of cool, one more, one more, one more factoid. You might, you might be able to use this in trivia, people out there in Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Uh, Chris, do you know... All right, so I found this out. You might already know about this. So when um, Isaac Hayes, or not Isaac Hayes, um, oh, man, producer, uh, Quincy Jones. When Quincy Jones was making Thriller, he brought together some of the best studio musicians that he knew. And they all made, obviously, they played the instruments, other than Eddie doing the, the, the guitar solo and beat it, and Paul McCartney being involved with his track and stuff like that. Majority of it was one group of dudes, and they actually helped out with like background vocals and a lot of other stuff. Well, them jamming so much together, kind of, and I guess they knew each other in the industry, but all being studio musicians, they went out and formed probably one of the more popular bands in the 80s. Do you know what band that is? I have heard this before, but now it's slipping my mind completely. It's actually Toto. Which yeah okay pretty yeah, cool that, that yeah that <laughs> yeah that's kind of it is kind of crazy to think about I mean they did, Michael did a lot of that with bringing in like really great musicians who went on to do other things like uh, I mean he fucking brought in Slash to play on Dirty Diana for instance which is yep an amazing guitar part he had a lot of really cool guest appearances that did. Like I don't know that they necessarily got as much credit for some of their parts on songs, but that's that's I didn't I had kind of heard that fact before, but I couldn't remember what the hell band it was. But that's that's nifty. Quincy Jones, legend. I'm sure he's in like every Hall of Fame possible, right? At this point. Oh yeah, absolutely. For producers, yeah, up there with I would say Barry Gordy and uh, you know um, George Martin. Uh, those. We could, we could have a whole show about my, my favorite producers from the industry. So probably shouldn't send me down that rabbit hole. My, my favorite, Rick Rubin, professional wrestling fan and former professional wrestling company owner, Rick Rubin. 
he owned a very smoky organization uh, with some other guy that's very loud and angry. Um, <laughs> he knew he was funding like, it. He seems like such the fucking opposite person of Jim Cornette that I would love to hear what any of those phone conversations were like. I just talking about wrestling because, like, could you imagine like Rick Rubin being like, "Yeah, sorry, I got to go produce the Beastie Boys tonight." Who the fuck are the goddamn Beastie Boys? No, something like that. <laughs> This is like, you know, Jim Cornette call, calls in to give him, like, whatever the television numbers were or whatever. What is that? Like, what was that conversation like? Just because, you know, Motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. I'm never not going to do Bruce Pritchard's version of Jim Cornette when I do Jim Cornette. That's my, uh, <laughs> my go-to. Uh, speaking of Jim Cornette, wrestling! We had a lot of it last weekend, man. I mean, I watched four different pay-per-views <laughs> throughout the course of Memorial Day weekend. Yes, I have no life. Uh, I'm single. If uh, ladies want to find me, I'm on all dating profiles. And uh, I'm going to shoot myself, actually, after this whole entire thing. That I think about. Anyways, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Joke. Sorry. But um, lots of fucking wrestling, man. Impact had their thing Friday night. We obviously had the Saudi Arabia pay-per-view during Saturday. Uh, and then on Sunday, we went back to, to COVID Wednesday night wars with, I mean, NXT got blown out of the water again. but. NXT's pay-per-view uh, going against AW's pay-per-view. And um, like I said, Chris, I watched a lot of fucking wrestling. And uh, yeah, I had uh, dreams about it. But like there were like superstars that were in the wrong place looking for like their locker room. And they're like, wait, where the fuck's this? And they're Impact and it's Braun Breaker and he's confused. I didn't have any of those dreams. Uh, but anyways, do you agree? Way too much wrestling for one three-day weekend? That's a lot. I only caught the two major pay per views. I guess we're gonna go. We'll go over all of them. But I, I only caught uh, the Saudi event for WWE. Whatever they, I can't, I can't remember if this one was a crown jewel or whatever they're calling it. I, I caught their pro, well premium live event. I guess I should say since it's not really a pay per view. And then I caught the AEW pay per view. Thanks to you, by the way, because I had a terrible time trying to order this fucking thing. Uh, you pulled through on the clutch on that one, so I was able to watch the uh, majority of it live, and then I finished up the rest of the uh, following day. But I, I, uh, I, I did not get to watch as much wrestling <laughs> as you were able to consume. I, I still have to go back and check out the uh, Impact pay-per-view as well as the NXT pay-per-view. I've seen some of the clips from the NXT pay-per-view. The, the Ilya match seems like it was the one to watch if I'm going to go back and watch this thing. It absolutely was. And I'll just kind of highlight real quick for Impact Under Siege uh, in my it was it, uh, they started off with a good showing for Nick Aldis going against Kenny King, um, giving him a win. Uh, then you had a pretty big match. Uh, Jake Chris came back and helped out Sammy Callahan and Rich Swan defeat Father uh, by Design. Um, Trinity, she made her pay-per-view debut. She beat Giselle Shaw. Then you had uh, Ace Austin and Chris Bay defeat um, Flash Morgan Webster and Mark Andrews, who are new to uh, Impact. Another great signing. I really like them in uh, WWE UK. They're a great tag team. And unfortunately, they fell under the whole COVID and, you know, cutting back and stuff like that. So they're now, they didn't win the titles, but they're now over an Impact. So that's pretty cool. Trey Miguel had an awesome match against Chris Saban for the X Division. Chris looking just as young as Trey in the ring. That's definitely one of my matches, I'd say, to watch. 
his buddy, now he lost to Trey, uh, but his uh, tag partner, Alex Shelley, beat Eddie Edwards, Frankie Kazarian, Jonathan Gresham, Moose, and Yua uh, uh, Uemura to become the number one contender for the Impact World Championship. So Shelley will be going against Steve Macklin at the next pay-per-view, and they did a good job this week building it up. But I would say that the two big sh- two big matches, if you're going to want to go back and watch anything, check out the X Division match. If you want to check out the number one contender match, that was a lot of fun too. But their double main event. This was Jordan Grace's last night in Impact. We don't know exactly what she's going to be doing, but she didn't re-sign. And her and Deanna Prazo had their uh, – she had her match to get the title back, and it was a loser leaves town for her if she lost, and Jordan lost, and Deanna won. And then Steve Macklin and PCO beat the shit out of each other. Macklin did a blade job where he went way too deep and was just fucking bleeding everywhere. And uh, it would end up, Chris, it was an ODQ match. Steve Macklin ended up winning. And then Scott Demore had to put the title around his waist because that was like the, the whole thing. He's having a problem with the authority figure, very Steve Austin-esque, but still as a heel. And Bully Ray jumped him, started beating the shit out of Scott Demore. You have the Motor City Machine Guns. And some other baby faces get to the ring, but they get cut off by Steve Macklin and Bully Ray. They demolish all the baby faces, take out a table, light it on fire, and powerbomb Scott Demore through the table. So it went off the air with Scott Demore's jacket smoldering and Bully Ray and Steve Macklin being the two biggest heels in the uh, in Impact. So really good pay-per-view. The two main events, really fun to watch. And the X Division Championship between Trey Miguel. Basically, the last four matches, check out. Other, the other stuff was good. Impact is really great at being, and I don't mean this as an insult, the third brand. Uh, uh, for American organizations. And, you know, that has been held down by many companies, Ring of Honor, ECW, AWA, in the past. And if you're not checking it out, and I understand people that have, have, have issues with impact, they have one hell of a roster. They, I mean, you have people like Lance Storm, Bully Ray, Tommy Lee, or Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Dreamer, um, all of them working in the back with Scott Demore. Storylines are good. I just give it a second chance is all I'm saying. But uh, yeah, that was that pay per view basically, Chris. Um, h- highly recommend watching it over though. Yeah, I mean it, it sounds like it was a pretty good show. I'm definitely going to check that out. I am excited for Alex Shelley. He's never won the Impact title, the heavyweight title there. It would be really fun to see him get that. Um, Saban obviously has won it in the past, but Alex Shelley's never, I don't know that Alex Shelley's ever won a heavyweight title in any of the large companies work for. I know he didn't in new Japan. I know he didn't ring of honor. I'm pretty sure he didn't in TNA unless that's happened recently. And I've forgotten about it, but that'd be really cool to no, see it was, get that win. It was definitely said that, uh, basically in that match for the number one contender, him and Frankie had never won a world title. So that was kind of like maybe they'll win based on that. And Alex ended up winning. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, this will be a title match for him to be able to get a world title for the first time. Yeah, it would be great to see see that as as a huge Motor City Machine Guns mark for the past listeners. They, they know that I'm a huge MCMG fan in general. 
Uh, that'd be awesome to see him get the title. Uh, it sounds like the Scott DeMore stuff was was pretty crazy. I'm looking forward to checking that out just to see him get pop, top pop through a table. Something we kind of skipped over, though, uh, he was on the latest episode of Dark Side of the Ring. Do you want to quickly talk about that? How did you think about the, the new episode and the new season, I guess, so far, since there's only one episode out? But... Uh, man, um, Chris Candido. And I showed you a wrestling match I had last night. What a product that would influence, like, his style in ring. I mean, the fact that a lot of people, because if you're like me, you only saw him in WWF, a part of the Body Donnas, him and Tom Pritchard, um, you know, once he left Smoky Mountain. But Chris was really good on the fucking mic. You go back, past promos with the ECW and Smoky Mountain. And, uh... Just a, a big, like, like a Brad, Brad Armstrong, um, uh, Tracy Smothers, um, these, these wrestlers, Savio Vega, that didn't make it to like a high level, but damn, man, their style of entering uh, wrestling and their pace and stuff like that would definitely, along with the cruiserweights within Nitro and, and whatnot, and along with, obviously, your new generation wrestlers, your Bret Hart, your Shawn Michaels, early Austin before he got hurt, Owen, et cetera. Um, that's, that's how we've gotten to where we are today. Um, and Chris is someone that I think that should definitely get his flowers. Really tragic kind of story, man. I mean, his mom says it best at the end, and I'm glad that she had this approach with it, that he did everything that he really wanted to accomplish. Um, obviously, he didn't get, I mean, the whole thing that happens at WWE. But basically she was trying to say he did so much in a small amount of time compared to that I've done in my whole entire life, travel to places, you know, basically having a positive ending, but it really isn't a positive story because as kids, they're both like 24, 25, him and his high school girlfriend who wasn't even involved in the industry, someone named Sonny. Sure. Everyone knows who Tammy Lynn Cinch is or have heard of her since she, we reported she killed someone. Um, when she was wasted and rear-ended into a car, killing the driver. Um, just suggested maybe she'd be a valet for Chris, and it ended up working out so good. She dropped out of uh, going to school to become, I think it was a nurse or a doctor or something like that, and applied all of her time until they made it to WWE, and then she got with Sean and her ego, Shawn Michaels, by the way, champion. Her ego got huge, and Chris ended up being this guy that didn't want to believe that his girlfriend was doing certain things that she was doing, and then they both got knocked out, put into ECW, put back together, and he got addicted to pills, and by the end of it, it's not even pills that kill him, it's an injury, and him having to go back and forth, getting home immediately after stuff, he got a blood clot in his leg, Chris probably from flying and it caused him to have a massive stroke and killed him with his brother holding his hand or something that was supposed to be something minor that he went to the hospital for. So, wow. You know, you see these stories, Chris, Pillman, I hope they do Brad eventually. Very tragic. Some of these wrestlers that definitely influence modern wrestling that just, I mean, they just didn't, I don't know. It's just, it's sad. It's fucking sad. 
Yeah, and I unfortunately with Chris Candido, I think growing up I was most familiar, like you were kind of alluding to in the show, alluded to with his tag team uh, and Sonny being the manager in WWF. But I do remember, you know, as I got older, going back and watching his run in ECW and thinking, holy shit, there's something here. It kind of reminded me of like when Austin left WCW and went to ECW. You kind of kind of got to see more of what Chris Candido could be. Um, and you got a little bit of that in impact before the uh, the, the leg injury, which uh, I thought it was great that they actually pointed out that the entire kind of the entire way that he ended up hurting himself anyways was to not bump into a camera guy who, for whatever fucking reason, was in the ring filming because they were doing one of these dumbass impact going to impact type matches. Um but yeah, it's it's just crazy how he passed away, considering some of the things he seemingly overcame during that time period. At that point, I think he was trying to be clean and, and you know reset his life. And it would have been interesting to see where that career went, specifically in Impact. I mean, there was a lot that he could have done there during that time period. So very unfortunate. I'm glad that they didn't get too hung up on Tammy. I did hear an interview with the uh, one of the creators and producers of that show that was talking about uh, at first it was going to be more of a split, maybe even a two part thing because they thought they might be able to actually do an interview with Tammy from prison. Cause she's in prison currently for like you reported drunk driving for the seventh time in killing a guy. Um, so that would have been interesting just to see what that would have been like. But I actually think that it's nice that it was more focused on Chris Candido, who is kind of the afterthought. Um, when you think of Chris Candido, a lot of times it is just tied with Tammy. So we've heard the story a lot about Chris Candido and how he passed away, but the story is always really tied to Tammy and whatever fucking weird, crazy shit is going on with her, whether it's her filming a porno or getting arrested, you know, multiple times for DUIs for the, like out of the past 10 years, um, having heat with everyone, tying it into Brett and Sean to some extent. She, she always kind of was the bigger story. So it was nice to see, then focus more on that and actually get people that knew him early on and, and what, you know, his tag partner and, and Jim Cornette, obviously, and Lance Storm and people that were friends with him and actually kind of knew about, about him more than a lot of us and, and, and the way they talked about him. And I think Jim Cornette pointed out something and, and you were kind of alluding to it as well of how many people that kind of style influence and, and probably like if you could take him, at that same age and plop him into a wrestling company like WWF or AEW or WCW, WWE uh, or AEW or New Japan Strong uh, with the size that he had and kind of the moves that he was doing at this time, it would have fit kind of perfectly to today's style uh, versus what he was, what he was doing then, I guess I should say. Yeah. People like him, Brad Armstrong, Lance Storm, um, you know, an array of wrestlers, Brian Pillman to an extent, even Owen. Like, even though Brian and Owen did great throughout their careers, a lot of them were born in kind of the wrong era. If they came out now, they would have even been bigger stars, I feel like, and at least taken a hell of a lot more seriously. And I think Chris kind of suffered from that. Um, like I said, along with lots of wrestlers around that time period. Um, but yeah, just, uh, Sonny, man, that story, awful. Finding out that she, while he was having a match in ECW, 
was getting banged in gorilla position by one of the other wrestlers that they didn't mention. Like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, very, very callous of an individual, regardless. You know, if anyone does that to someone, that's like, the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, I mean, they go into the fact that they were just, like, summed up all the time to the point that they were in, like, a zombie state. So I don't even know necessarily know how much either of them really cared about the relationship, either than they were still together. Because uh, it sounds like it was pretty, it became pretty toxic just because of the drug abuse itself. Um, which sucks, but But obviously... Was- <laughs> if if you care about someone, you don't fuck someone else in gorilla position while they're having a match on. Fuck, like, give me a like, ugh. Oh yeah, that's, I'm, not that's a, I'm not condoning. No, it. I know you're not. I know you're not. But I just, God, dude. Yeah, I really want to like Sunny, and she had so much fucking charisma. But my God, just like a track list of just making her a terrible person. I went back and watched a lot of the other Dark Sides of the Ring episodes as well, and. It, and kind of after that one, I was like, well, I need to go watch the Luna Vachon one again and forgot about the fact that Luna Vachon beat her ass and put her in a road case. <laughs> so it was kind of funny watching those back to back. And I was like, well, you know, she probably had it fucking coming. <laughs> it was like one of the last things Luna did after she uh, dropped the title to Sable or whatever, or had that match with Sable at Mania. They talk about her going backstage and Sonny trying to talk to her and her just beating the shit out of her and fucking... Uh, Putting her in the ring case, or putting her, putting her in a road case. Sunny, uh, even the people that did like her at this point have seem, seemingly stepped away from her, including Jim Cornette, who I think almost seemingly comes for a long time came off as almost a, a, a father figure who wanted to see like the redemption story, which had, unfortunately I don't think at this well, point it's going to happen. It's it's crazy, man. I mean, Jim really, and and we listened to his show. He's talked about it on that, but on this, you know, as he told whoever the creator was, like, you did it. You made me freaking cry on camera, and it's because Jim really, you know, he his ideal was to make uh, Tammy Sunny and make her this Hillary Clinton like figure to. Chris's bill, you know, for the organization to be as heels to the Southern audience that they were doing stuff for. Her being involved was his idea. He feels responsible. He also recruited them, both of them in their early 20s, to go to WWE. And, you know, putting with Tom Pritchard, who before was part, you know, with Stan Lane um, in Smoky Mountain, but making them the body Donnas and just, he feels... I think that he kind of blames himself for a lot of what were what were to happen, and honestly, I don't think that's fair. I think that people live their life and make their own decisions, and but it seems it still seems, especially with that interview at the end of it, where he kind of breaks down for a second, has to walk off, which so did Tom Pritchard and so did uh, Lance Storm, um, that Jim bears the brunt of thinking that it could have been different if he didn't get these two nice kids involved in the big, bad wrestling industry that ate them up. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's always kind of hard to go back to these 90, the nineties era, because if you think about all the people that had pill and drug addiction, like Soma addiction specifically, and how many of those are even left at this point, like WWE, uh, WWE, WWF at the time in 
ECW were fucking running rampant with this shit. I mean, HBK is a prime example, right? Even though he was a top guy, it's well known that he had huge soma addiction. So, I mean, it was more of a top to bottom thing. Um, and you got to kind of look at one, who was running the company at the time, Vince McMahon, and two, the fact that they never really, you know, while they, in theory, did steroid testing, they didn't even really have a drug policy test testing wise until, God, the two thousands, right? So it's yep. Wrestling seems to well, at least WWE and the way that they've seemed to be handling. Drug problems uh, is a lot better than it used to be. It's still not perfect. And uh, I'm kind of curious on what that actually looks like in WWE because the only time we've ever heard it mentioned was after Jeff got popped for that DUI driving when he shouldn't have been uh, and was suspended and they forced him to go to rehab. But we haven't really seen any of that stuff pop up on AEW yet. And I guess Moxley to some extent, but he kind of willingly checked himself into rehab. But we haven't seen a lot of that stuff pop up, and it's it's probably going to come at some point, you would think, with how many people that they have on that roster. And I, we know for a fact that they're not testing for steroids because fucking <laughs> our boy Brian Cage just openly out there admitting to it for a long time, so... It'll be interesting as we go forward, but I, I mean, if you look at that time period, the '90s, and a lot of the stuff the Dark Side of the Ring is based around, it's kind of a a guideline of what not to do as a professional wrestler. If you if you do want to become a professional wrestler, the things to not do. But the schedules were a lot different, and it was a different time, so it's it's just crazy looking back on. Yeah, absolutely is, and a lot of tragedies and wrestlers that went down wrong paths. Uh, you know, but regardless, yeah, that was a that was the first that was the first episode for this season. I'm so looking forward to the rest of it. Ugh. But that is the concept of Dark Side of the Ring. We've talked about it many a times. It is the Dark Side of the Ring. So, yeah, this is one of the the better ones. I I, I like whenever they have people that were actually close and they don't just have to just bring in guests to kind of talk about what they did. This one had like the family and actual people that knew Chris Candido and kind of had the beginning of his career to the end of his career knowledge or was around him. I I prefer those episodes. Sometimes they get like almost what a A and E does with the fucking WWE documentaries where they just have like random people show up and talk. So this one was a little, little more fitting and, and maybe one day I, I i mean this is going to be their last season on vice right so i'm hoping that this gets picked up by a streaming service and we get some more of these stories because there's still a lot of i mean there's tons and tons of stories that they can still tell uh, but yeah i would hope that dark side of the ring doesn't always have to be dark side of the ring tell like a you know tell a tell tell a nice story every once in a while they try but Maybe maybe we'll get there to that point. Maybe whatever format these two writers come out with uh, after the end of this season will be something a little different because I you know it, it is I hate it because if you're just a casual person watching this and you're not a big wrestling fan, I think you could still watch it and enjoy it because they're just crazy ass stories. But it also just kind of is like not everybody was like that. 
in the professional wrestling business, you know? So it'd be cool to see them do like, you know, uh, here's a Bruto documentary, right? Just out of nowhere yeah. or something. I don't think, unfortunately, it, it draws the ratings. And I don't think even if the guys act like it, they really have that in mind. Um, like they act like they care, but at the same time, they've exposed so much shit and gone in depth and also has been called out on multiple episodes kind of making things look a certain way by the way they edit and also edit the people talking. So I think it's, it's flashy. I have always said, I would love for these guys since they're so detailed and just for anyone to do this, I would love, I know that we don't have a lot of video footage per se, or, or people that were around back then, but take the same approach and talk about, I don't know, the first 60 years of wrestling building up towards the end of the 1800s. And the beginning stages, let people learn about, you know, Farmer Burns and how he trained, uh, you know, uh, Gotch. And Gotch went against Hackenschmidt. Hackenschmidt won, and that became the first American world title that would go on to NWA and and Ed Lewis and, and, and Jim Londis and all these great fucking wrestling characters from the first 50 years, like I said, of wrestling in the, in the 20th century. And it doesn't have to be a negative. Or like you said, a great in-depth episode about Bruno Sammartino. Or maybe, fuck it, do one about Ronnie Garvin. Because he had a great uh, career in the 80s until WWE fucked him up. But, like, I don't care. Like, someone that people don't know enough about that doesn't have this tragic outlook. Because if you don't, it just makes me think you're just, you're going for that true crime type of concept of a negative outlook. And that's all they're trying to go for and if that's the case that's the case i get it but at the same time i don't think those motherfuckers are as honest and humble as they like to put off when they talk to whoever between jim or i'm sure the observer have had them on and other outlets i just think that they maybe were like that at one part and then they realized how they can make money and what they needed to do and that's why we continued with the way that we went so yeah, I mean that's just me. That's a lot of these shows in general. Like people, like if you even if you look at other documentaries, like the uh, what was the famous Michael Jordan one that they just did, the Last Dance or whatever. There was a hard focus on like kind of Scottie Pippen's co- contract and some of the situations that were going on with him, and then there was a hard focus on Dennis Rodman specifically. Like they want to over dramatize kind of the the entirety of these in, in a lot of ways and. You know, if it, the perfect candidate for one of these, and it probably would never happen, would be Shawn Michaels. Because it's kind of the, he, he's tied to a lot of the stuff they've already talked about anyways on this fucking show. Specifically all of the 90s stuff. But he would be a, a kind of a good candidate to throw in there as someone that it seemingly has redeemed himself uh, and overcame obstacles and went on after his some addiction and back injury to come back and kind of create a whole separate career, probably the best of his career. If we're really being honest. Uh, Oh yeah. Because I I think, I think Sean, there's Sean from like 94 when he first singles as a heel and the matches he's having all the way up until basically him getting involved with the click so we're talking about late 96 and then DX coming out and him taking a different track. The wrestling matches during that time period, it's like you jumped 
after he had his addiction. He's the coolest guy, fucking top guy, complete asshole, does all that shit with Brett, you know, piles on, gets the back injury in the casket match, uh, has to give up the belt to Austin and still acts like a fucking chotch about it, you know, and then leaving. When he came back, it's like he picked up where he left off in that late 96 era where he was having great matches with Mankind, Steve Austin, right when he first became Stone Cold. Owen and Savio Vega, so many great wrestlers during that time period. I'm glad we got the second half again, if that makes sense, Chris, instead of him becoming a complete fucking, (laughs) I mean, I hate to say it, but like a degenerate, if you will, and getting injured because people would look at his career a lot differently. He wasn't a, I am the biggest Shawn Michaels fan. Okay. He wasn't a draw. He really wasn't. He had Vince wrapped around his finger and no one fucking knows really why exactly. Now, is it, was he the top performer of that time period? Yeah, but that's a little bit different, which is why we had the Hulk Hogan Shawn Michaels match at SummerSlam kind of show things off a bit. Oh God. Yeah, it's, I still it's, love that match. It's it's insane because I don't, you know, honestly, it, without that, I don't, I don't know that people look back at his legacy as fondly if he doesn't make the return. No, I don't think so at all. I mean, I wonder where I would be at with it. Because I got to see, before I stopped watching, I was still watching in 2006. So I was seeing a lot of Sean. And like I said, I watched the SummerSlam match. I thought something was a little bit fucked up. But I still liked it. But that was the whole case of like Hulk going, look, man, you're a great performer, but I'm fucking winning. And that's how it is. And him being fucking Hogan but I don't kind of blame him at the same time. And Sean be like, all right, motherfucker, you're going to really win. I'm going to make you look beautiful. And that, of course, apparently still said by Sean, no, that he didn't mean to do that. He's going to have a match against Hulk Hogan. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, I still love Sean. Stuff like that. It's like, you're a sly motherfucker, you know, Sean Michaels. And see, that's kind of the fun part, though, because there are stories where, with like Shane Helms and stuff, even during the redemption story of Sean that they could tell. And that's why I think it would actually be you could do it. Definitely do a two part about Shawn Michaels. The problem is he's part of the WWE machine. So a lot of the like redemption stories and stuff like I, there, there's a lot out there, man, especially with some of the. Uh, like the, the the Dudley boys being part of the ECW locker room, do you know a Tommy Dreamer, for instance, would be a good one. There's still a lot of stuff that they could cover, so it's kind of sad if this is going to be the end of it. They do have some great stuff lined up this season. I'm really looking forward to the Graham story. I think that's going to be a great one. But uh, yeah, it's a good show. I'm going to miss uh, it if it's on. I hope it gets picked up somewhere else. I, I agree. I still like the show and I have my criticism, but that's just because it, like you said, kind of that, that's just where we're at. That's, that's just how, that's how people consume stuff. And that's how stuff gets presented, you know, because it's flashier. Uh, Marty Janetti, speaking about Shawn Michaels, his one I'm really looking forward to. Marty's also criminally underrated. And unfortunately his life has been, just a mess for years. You know, we all kind of, if you got to see his comeback, I don't know what happened, but I guess we'll find out the situation where he came back to WWE in the 2000s. Him and Sean got back together as rockers for a couple matches. 
and then Marty just lose, 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 and then he's out shortly after that. Kind of like that that random time Tatanka came back and he was in and out. Um, but uh, or Ultimo Dragon for that matter. I remember they had like people just pop in for like maybe four or five months and then they disappeared. But uh, with Marty. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in their early goings that has been reported. I wonder how much they'll go into that. Uh, Sean's definitely heavily tied to that, even if he doesn't want to be. So, Yeah, there's that. And there's also just crazy Marty from fucking after he left WWF and started just... Murdering people near bowling alleys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope that we get... <laughs> Some, I want Brian Alvarez and Dave to be on to talk about that because them like actually reviewing that story and being like this, yeah, this sounds kind of like bullshit. But like at the same time, if it happened to him, that's kind of sad. <laughs> you Jesus know? Christ! Then he comes out and he's like, "No, that never happened." You're like, "The fuck?" <laughs> uh, we covered that on the show. We talked a lot about it. So, if you guys, past listeners. Uh, thank you guys for listening, but new listeners, definitely go back and t- listen to Dane and I talk about Marty Jannetty, because um, <laughs> he kind of just didn't say anything for a long time, and that story came out of nowhere. Jesus. Uh, well, I, want, what- I want all of that. I want I want the, the stuff crazy. I want to find out about, you know, a lot of people don't know this. He trained the Young Bucks. Like, I would love to see them talk about that. Like, I'm sure that they got trained by other people, but Marty is one of the guys that trained them. And you would think, <laughs> I'm not saying the super kick wasn't inspired or they weren't Shawn Michaels fans, uh, but the fact that they were trained by the other, you know, which Marty is another guy, man, incredible worker. It kind of sucks to see him go downhill, go to WCW, get shat out of that, come back in the 2000 WWE, get shat out of that. Uh, just, he's he's a great worker, but, that 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 whole entire thing with Sean. Sean went up. Marty went fucking down. Or barbershop window. <laughs> he stuck around for a little while after that, but uh, they obviously saw a whole lot more in Sean. Yeah, he, he had a he had a partner, Chris, named uh, what was it, Leaf? Uh, the New Rockers. It was Leaf uh, Garrett, um, a guy also known as Al Snow. That a lot of people probably don't realize was a part of the Rockers when Sean left. Yeah, it's a that's a weird story just because it's not like Sean wasn't doing the same shit as Marty Jannetty, and Jannetty's kind of the one that ended up falling out of favor. That's a, that's another one of those of like, why did people love Sean so much? <laughs> there, I mean, there's a lot of talented fucking wrestlers they had during that time period. Charisma. Unfortunately, Marty just didn't have as enough as Sean. I don't know what it was, but I remember being a young rocker fan, and just Sean just seemed a bit different. He was a little more aggressive, a little more brash, and that definitely kind of went into that whole entire angle with them breaking up. Maybe it was the blonde hair. I have no clue. He was a he was an attractive young gentleman, and he had a ton of charisma. Yeah, for me, I fucking hated him as a kid, and I think that's why I loved him so much as I got older, because <laughs> I hated him and Sherry so much. Uh, yeah. Him and Rick Martel, that first like big uh, angle that he had was uh, I remember being a young lad watching that. Like who was the bigger douchebag between the two of them? Both great workers too. 
if I'm if I'm throwing out recommendations for what I want to see a dark side of, can we get can we get the Tommy Wildfire Rich story? Dude, hell yeah. That'd be awesome. I mean, Tommy Rich, there's not a lot of people in the 70s and 80s that held the NWA championship. He was one of them. And that's pretty fucking astounding. Uh, did, Did Tommy win it before Dusty? Or did Dusty already have his match taken from Harley before he lost it again? Before Tommy inevitably got it. I'm not 100% sure on that timeline. I will say, if you're from Georgia, Tommy Rich is probably, at that time period, was the biggest wrestling star in Georgia. So Absolutely. uh, It would be cool to see that, because we haven't had a lot of... uh, I mean, we've seen passings and stuff of it, but it would be cool for them to go into like Georgia Championship Wrestling and see some old video from the Omni, man. Let's get some cool shit. Hell yeah. Hell hey, yeah. <laughs> I told you I'm going to be more positive. I'm going to be super pumping Atlanta for the next until CM Punk gets injured again. So heads up on that, everyone listening. Um. All right. So let's kind of talk about just generally uh... – the NXT pay-per-view, like, here's the thing. Chris didn't watch us, and we had so much shit. I don't fucking blame him. I was even telling him at the beginning, I, like, we didn't cover this last week. But I will say, when I found out it was the same time, there was something in me that wanted to watch them back-to-back, but my main focus was AEW. There were two matches I went back and rewatched. Uh, and that was the the main events and the match with Ilya Dragunov against Dijak, formerly Dominic Dijakovic. Uh, but to go over the card, Wesley beat Tyler Bate and Joe Gacy in a good three-way match. I remember watching that while I was kind of bouncing back and forth with the Battle Royal, because Battle Royals, it's like, there's so much fucking going on. You can miss some shit. Um, I didn't pay attention to the next match, but I'm sure it was really good. So they have the NXT Heritage Cup that they had in the UK. They brought it over. I don't know if they really need it, but it's very similar to a Ring of Honor Pure style. There's rounds and stuff like that. And Noam Dar beat Dragon Lee. So surprised that Dragon Lee lost on his, I think, first big impact pay-per-view. But Noam Dar's good wrestler as well. Okay. Uh, I did, like I said, I just want to go over the other matches to really get into it. Gallus, uh, Mark Kofi, and um, Wolfgang. Uh, had a really good match with the Creed brothers. They won for the uh, NXT uh, Tag Team Championship. Gallus just kind of reminds me of like if Dr. Death was with the Steiners together, but they were from the UK, basically. Because it's Joe Kofi, Mark Kofi, and Wolfgang. Good uh, three-man group. Tiffany Stratton won the NXT, the vacant uh, women's championship uh, against uh, Lyra Valkyria. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And then let's let's go over the two matches, Chris. I just want to say brutal. Ilya Dragunov, Dijak. You know, Dijak, we've seen him completely treated like shit. He had awesome matches. They, him and Keith Lee got to show off their matches they were doing on the independence within PWG, Evolve, Ring of Honor. Um, you know, those matches and display the fact that they were two huge men that could fucking beat ass. Unfortunately, he took all the pins uh, within there because Keith Lee was the main person. 
then he goes on and becomes part of that group. I forgot well, what the hell was his name, like Ajax or some shit. Just fucking terrible. Um, and the less said about that weird ass group during the pandemic, what the fuck were they called, Chris? With Ali as leader, and um, I think one of the members of the male models was a part of it. And J Bar and was it oh, T Bar? Oh God. Uh, yeah, that was awful. I, I don't remember their name either, but it, mostly because we just fucking buried it every week. It's similar to when Shane McMahon was doing that weird backstage fight club thing. It was all terrible. With Omos as his, uh, as his, uh, bouncer. Yeah, that was all <laughs> what the bad. Fuck? Oh God. But anyways, so he comes back to NXT and I saw him, he made his debut and he has like this kind of, I don't know, like Agent 47, like kind of hitman vibe. He's with the small glasses and he's big badass, you know, and him and Ilya have been doing their thing and building up to this. He's a great worker. We all know Ilya Dragunov's a great worker. I think that title eventually needs to go around his waist sooner than later. But I will say Dragunov is next to Darby Allen for being a guy that's worth or that's that's willing to do stuff to his body, he should not. He got power bombed on the steel fucking uh, stairs uh, inside the ring. I mean, he was bouncing off so much fucking shit and just getting thrashed. Very surprising he won. Big fan of Ilya Dragunov, have been for a while. I think what they were trying to do with this match is that, unfortunately, no one saw the two matches with him and Walter, a lot of people at least. Me and you did. We, we reported on them. They were two of the best matches of that time period. Uh, so this was kind of him showing similar aspects of how relentless he is in the ring. And then they're able to go from lots of hardware being in the ring at points and smashing each other into stuff and pain tolerance to also being able to chain wrestle and do some other stuff like, you know, aerial stuff. Uh, even Dijak, who is fucking, what, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, so... Awesome match. And then the, the main event, Braun Breaker should be a heel. I like him as a heel. I liked his weird hoodie thing that was like a wolf that he wore, this mask and shit like that to the ring. He just comes off better as a heel, and he had an awesome match with Carmelo. And Carmelo somehow ended up winning it. And I think this means that Braun Breaker is destined at some point for the main roster. That's what I'm, uh, I'm getting out of this. But... um those two matches were pretty fucking awesome. So watch those, Chris, if you get a chance. They were they were pretty good. Yeah, Braun Breaker is a weird kind of weird story to me because I thought he would have already been on, on the main roster by now. That guy's been ready for a while. And I, I actually do agree with you. I dig the idea of him being a heel, especially as he leans more into the Scott Steinernisms. Yep. It's been doing lately. Like Scott Steiner, like, look, I love the Steiner brothers. They were great. Growing up being a WCW fan, I loved them as a tag team. Uh, but if you're just talking about, you know, the most over, it's when Scott Steiner went full batshit heel and started murdering folks with a lead pipe that he really became that guy. So uh, I, I have no problem with that. I think that would be great. I think that's something that you could have Cody do uh, in the near future if you wanted to bring Braun up. I'm not saying that he needs to be pushed to the top or anything, but he's a good heel to, to throw on to either of those main brands, honestly. And 
we've been saying for a while that like he was ready like four months into his NXT stint to be on the main roster. It's kind of one of those crazy stories where it's almost like built into his DNA to be a good wrestler. Like I, I like a lot of what Braun's done um, with Ilya. I think he's the best thing on NXT by far. And uh, I, I look forward to watching that match. Also kind of excited to see what the Tiffany Stratton title run is going to look like. Um, so I will probably watch this pay-per-view and then tune in to this week's NXT and next week's NXT just to see what they're going to do with that. Um, I like Carmelo as well. Just, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I would, I don't know that I would have put him over Braun unless they were going to move Braun Breaker. But every time I say some shit like that, the person stays around for like eight more months than they should um, after that comment. So I'm just, I'm just going to bypass that. You know, I I think that it would be really cool. Obviously, I, I feel like they might be going with Cody and Brock until SummerSlam. Uh, just whenever that ends, whenever we're done with Brock and Cody, if Co- I, I feel like Cody should be the winner within that feud, but whatever happens. Cody cutting a promo and talking about how maybe he makes a comment on the lines of, like, I'm the best. I'm, I'm a wrestler's wrestler. My father was a wrestler. I am the best second-generation wrestler on this, this friggin' roster. And that kind of was like, oh, you know, and then can give the idea. Maybe Randy Orton could be the one who has a problem with that. But no, Braun Breaker, his music hits, you know, we haven't seen him since he left NXT. He's probably trained, just keeping him on ice. And he comes out and you have Cody and fucking Braun Breaker going forward. I think that will help out Braun a lot, uh, working with Cody. And even though Cody would inevitably go over Braun, I think that would be a good first feud for him, and I think that would be a good feud for Cody because, to me, he's still – get him away from the world championship so that probably he can win Royal Rumble to call out Roman for WrestleMania and get that title. That's still – unless Rock gets involved somehow, which I don't know if that's going to happen because it's unreliable and Rock's got too much going on. If that's not available, then I think it definitely is Cody and Roman again at WrestleMania. So. Braun would be a good feud and keep them both out of title pictures that they don't have room for them in, if that makes sense, Chris. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that you could do with that, right? Because you could do Cody does, like you said, with you think it's going to be Orton and then Braun shows up. And then the next time you think it's going to be Orton and then the fucking like one of the Usos show up. <laughs> then you think it's going to be Orton and then Sola Sokoa. You get what I'm saying? Like you could do, you could do a lot with that. That'd be really fun. I, I'm totally down for that idea. And uh, yeah, like Braun losing to Cody's not going to hurt him. I think you need to give him a couple of wins first. You know, like obviously he doesn't need to go in there and lose his first fucking match to Cody. I would, I would look more like uh, he beats Cody on the normal ass show, and then you set up the pay per view match and Cody beats him or whatever, similar to what they did when they brought Kevin Owens in. Uh, I think that would be the way I would go about that with Braun. But I, I like the idea of playing off the family lineage. A lot. We got a lot of second generations. Maybe Charlotte comes out and whoops Cody's ass. Who knows? You know. They bring back the intergender Facebook tag tournament or whatever. <laughs> oh <laughs> my put- god! Remember that <laughs> stupid shit. Put Cody. Uh. Braun and Alexa was pretty fucking hilarious as a team, though. I'm not gonna lie, that was that was kind of fun. That was before they uh, 
made her whatever the fuck she is now, which also where the oh. hell is Wyatt? <laughs> oh, and I, but I do want to say, since I saw it online, congratulations to Alexa Bliss and Ryan Cabrera. I forgot the dude. He dated Ashley fucking Simpson years ago, but whatever. He's still doing things uh, there. She's pregnant. So Alexa's going to be out. Um, that's where she's been. And also congratulations. We'll talk about it. Cause it kind of applies towards the match. Uh, Taya Val or not Taya Valkyrie. God damn it. Um, why can't I think of her name? Um, oh, wow. Uh, Sammy's wife. Uh, Sammy told us that they're pregnant and I can't oh, think oh, of her. Uh, Ty, Ty Mello. Conti. Ty Conti. Right? Ty, Ty Conti. Yes. But congratulations to both these ladies. They're bringing in, uh, probably new future wrestlers, I guess. Yeah, congrats. Or future Ryan Cabrera. Yeah, fucking Ryan Cabrera is weird to me because I watched uh, The Hills with, I think it was, I think it was The Hills. Yeah, The Hills with my wife. We watched all of that with Spencer Pratt and all those guys. And uh, Ryan Cabrera just continuously gets cuckled on that entire show by this one girl. So when I think of Ryan Cabrera, that's what I think of. But like, yeah, congratulations to him and Alexa Bliss. It seems like he's in a much healthier non-MTV reality TV show relationship. Yep. All right. Uh, Do you want to – so we got two ways of going about this. We'll go over – do you want to go over Dominion first before we go over WWE and – AEW. Yeah, we can. There's a couple of good match, like the the. There's a couple of matches that seem very intriguing on that show. Like the fucking Sonata match to me isn't <laughs> like insane that that's where their heavyweight title is. So there's some fun things to talk about on it. Who the fuck is Yoda Suji? I heard he joined Lij too. What? Like who the fuck is he? I've never heard of this guy. Uh, God, I'm trying to remember if he was a Noah guy. Um, I right, feel like I'm, I'm searching him right now. Oh, no, he was like, was he just a young boy, basically? He's 29 years old. Yeah, I, I don't know a ton about him. That's why the match seems kind of crazy and out of nowhere, but they're kind of doing that with Sonata's run, which I think is interesting. I think that's better than just seeing him go against the usual suspects. So it's kind of, exciting. yeah, he's a, he's straight young lion into this man. So like he was a baseball player, I guess new Japan's trying, um, WWE tactics because he's a uh, ex baseball and football player. Uh, and they ended up picking him up and he's been a young lion for the last couple of years since they said 2017. And now I guess he's making his mark on the, uh, the main thing, but to go against, Keiji Muto's prize pupil, <laughs> the, the past member of LIJ, the current IWGP heavyweight champion, Sonata. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's ballsy. I mean, they have a lot of good young lions right now, you know, like Ren Narita or not young lions, but like this class is coming out and being really impressive. Um, Shooter, uh, Ren Narita, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Yurimura. But um, I don't know who the fuck this guy is, and he's got the he's got the championship match in probably the main event. That's crazy. Which is going to be awesome if he goes out and puts on a good match with Sonata, right? That'll be huge for him. I don't expect that he will win, but New Japan is taking some risks because they've been financially strapped coming out of COVID. That's one of the reasons that they didn't sign um, the fuck. She's on Impact now, and I can't think of her. Naomi. I uh, can't think of her current name. Trinity. 
Trinity thought too. It's one of the reasons they weren't able to sign Trinity. One of the reasons they weren't able to re-sign Jay White, even if they wanted to. Same thing with Juice and a few other people. They were cash-strapped. Um, the owner actually said that he was counting on his like hands how many months that they had left where they could run stuff with what was happening in Japan with uh, you know COVID and post-COVID. So it's cool to see them just take some weird risks and do some different things. I think that's interesting. And uh, I have faith in that being a good match. I don't think that they would, I don't think that they would put that match out like a title match out there if they didn't think that it would, you know, be up to snuff because they take their title very seriously. All right. So the U S um, tournament finale, which is something that Mr. Kenny Omega could be involved with making an appearance for, I would say, at least listed on Wikipedia as the opening match. I don't know if that's the case or just listed, so take that with a grain of salt. But Lance Archer, Will Ospreay, the number one contender from this, will go against Kenny Omega. It can make sense with Lance if Kenny isn't, you know, right now we don't know if he's taking a break and kind of adding to the storyline and just chilling in Japan for a little while. If that's the case, I could see a rematch with Will Ospreay. If we're supposed to go back over here, Lance Archer is obviously an AEW wrestler, so they could do that match over on the U.S. So that's an interesting concept, but I'm gonna go, Chris. Even though I don't expect Will or I don't expect uh, Kane to be there for a long time, this could be setting up Will Osprey against him for that title at Forbidden Door. So that also could be something going forward, and. Their first match was fucking awesome. That was a return to me of Omega that I hadn't seen in a while, uh, probably since his matches with Brian Danielson. Just like singles Kenny Omega, the fucking wrestling god, the one that, you know, that was an awesome match. So if that is the case, if this is setting up Osprey Omega for New Japan, AEW Forbidden Door, for the U.S. title, I'm completely down. Uh, obviously, the focus then... At some point, storyline-wise, needs to be Kenny against um, Takeshka, you know, with Don Callis involved. But we'll go from there. But who do you think is going to win this match? I actually think you could do something where Lance Archer wins this match and then loses at Forbidden Door, and then that sets up Kenny versus Will at uh, the fucking Wembley show because that's two months away. So I think they they might go that route, but. You could do it either way, right? Like, uh, I mean, Will could lose at Forbidden Door, and then that sets up the rubber match. I'm assuming that Will Ospreay is eventually going to win, but they may do like they did with Kenny Omega and Okada, where it takes him, you know, a couple tries to to get there. And uh, I'm looking forward to it regardless, because Lance Archer's fucking great, and it would be really cool to see him have a 20-minute match against Kenny Omega. And I'm sure that this match against Will Ospreay would be fucking great as well, so... It's baffling to me that AEW has not found a better way to use Lance Archer because every time they use him in the G1 or use him in Japan, he looks like a million fucking bucks and then he goes back to AEW and he looks like shit. So hopefully this will be a little bit of a career resurgence for this guy and maybe even them splitting up the roster will help him because otherwise he should just fucking stay in Japan because he's booked way better in Japan than he has been in AEW. I know, and his manager keeps on complaining on podcasts. So, uh, Mr. Jake the Snake Roberts has not been happy about the placement of uh, Lance Archer either. Um, yeah, I, I don't get it, but hopefully we'll we'll I see mean, more of him. It's just it's hard to be a big guy in AEW. It really is. 
Well, I can't fucking blame him. Like, if you, you know, Lance Archer's fucking a really good wrestler, especially for a big guy. Um, yes. So it's just bad. Especially for his age. He's in his 40s. People forget that. Like, if you go back and watch his G1 run from last year, like, he had some fucking bangers of matches. He's just, I don't know why AEW somehow has overlooked him. It's not like he's a bad promo. They put him with Jake. You would have thought that they'd eventually have done something with him, but Jesus. Dude, fucking he's 46. Him. And he still fucking moves like a, and his size, the dude's 46 and 6'6". Six, six. Like... What the hell? That should go against him. Instead, he's fucking amazing. Yeah. AEW does this weird thing where they actually have big monsters like him and Lance Archer. Lance Archer and uh, Big Bill, for instance, that actually could do – they could do something with. But I I think they're just worried that their size exposes, like, the rest of who they push or something. Well, instead, why don't we expose that their size isn't working even though they're way bigger than half the fucking competition? (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just, just it's, it's weird, dude. I, I I've never seen like if you have fucking Big Bill the way they've pushed him or the way that they've pushed Lance Archer. I've never seen a company fuck it up that hard. I've seen people push big like we've seen WWE push big people that just weren't good. Right? Yeah, that's different. Hey, <laughs> These guys are you, capable you, of having good matches. You know what would really work well for Big Willie Hobbs for him to get the damn TNT title, lose it just a couple weeks later, and be on TMZ fucking parody videos with QT Marshall. Yeah, I'll get him over. The fuck? (laughs) It's fucking... I don't know. They don't know how to book big guys. They don't. And But but they know how to... It's like that. That that's one of the hindrances. But you know, AEW does a lot of stuff right too. At the same time, but like when it comes to big guys, it's like what the fuck? Even Warlow to an extent, who is the current TNT champion. You know, wonderful journey to get there. <laughs> again. I guess I don't fucking know. And then Miro's finally back too. Hopefully, we'll see what he does on uh, Collision. Yeah, I don't, see, Miro kind of falls into, like, he is an AEW big guy, but he is not a big guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Lance Archer is bigger than Braun Strowman. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, I know. Height-wise, I mean, not as wide, but, like, I don't I, It's just baffling to me that they haven't been able to figure out anything with Lance Archer. If I was him, I'd fucking, as soon as that contract's up, be looking to go either back to Japan full-time or... See if WWE has any interest. I know he's an older guy, but at the same time, it's like fucking. I forget that he's even signed to the AEW roster because he's only used if they're doing like one of those trials of Jericho or trials of MJF shit where he comes in and just gets beat. So it's like, the fuck is the purpose of that? Feel kind of bad for the guy. Maybe with the brand split, he could be something big on collision. They can hit a reset button on him, especially if they're doing something for Forbidden Door. But yeah, they. We'll get into me bitching about AEW as we get into AEW's pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you. Uh, I'm just going to kind of jump around. Some of these are like giant eight-man tag matches and shit. I'm just going to get to like the, the big singles matches probably. Zack Sabre Jr. for his NW or New Japan Pro Wrestling World uh, Television Championship is going against Jeff Cobb. That should be a fucking awesome match. Zach had a great match last night with Action Andretti on Rampage where 
it, the, the guys are so good. And, and like JR said, he put on a little bit of size. I think it definitely helped him out. And he's just, for, for a technical wrestler, there's a reason why people call him the Anaconda. It's like, my God, like, now you throw that with him and Jeff Cobb, though, Chris. That sounds real interesting. Should be a great match. I wouldn't be surprised if Jeff Cobb wins just because he's been doing a lot with New Japan Strong. Whoever wins that match will be doing a lot here in America. So uh, depending on which which one you're a bigger fan of, I guess you could be excited for. But that'll that'll be one hell of a match. Yep. Um, keep on going. Didn't like, uh, uh, didn't they do like a weird like uh they also did like a standoff on Ring of Honor with fucking uh I want to say with Zach and and Samoa Joe right kind of heard that in passing. I don't know I gotta watch it but I was like it'd be cool if you could get like Zach Jeff Cobb and Samoa Joe in some kind of three way match at whatever this they announced the date for that Ring of Honor pay per view that'd be one hell of a way for Joe to return hell yeah it looks like. Like from what a lot of us have heard, that at least CM Punk wants one of the first people he goes against to be Samoa Joe. Um, which, God, dude, I mean, and their matches were good when they were young. But, like, are you going to try to go for the same shit now <laughs> when you guys are old? Whatever. I mean, they'll work well together because they're friends. But I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is, especially with him being advertised for Collision, he's a part of Ring of Honor. I want to see more fucking Samoa Joe, regardless. Period. Yeah, well, I mean, Joe's also been doing filming what the Twisted Metal show, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think that's, that's true. Why he's been gone, um, which that definitely is. Yep. Is two weeks from now. I'm excited to see what that's going to look like. That that might be a clusterfuck, but I'm excited to see Who's some doing more. The voice. <laughs> Not Joe. No, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, the guy from um, Arrested Development. Uh, what the fuck's his name? Who does Batman's voice on the Lego Batman movie? Oh Damn god, it. his name escapes me, but I know exactly. He's great as Batman. Will, uh, Will Arquette is that his name? Will something? Will, Will something. yeah, it's Will Arnett. Is it Will Arnett or is that someone else? Will Arnett. I said Arquette. My bad. It's because I watched all those fucking Dark Side Nick Gage specials. Uh, yes, Will Will Arnett. He was the Lego Batman. Um, that's actually, I don't know. I'd kind of like it better if Samoa Joe was just out here cutting promos in the twist. Yeah. Universe, but Will Arnett's a good choice, I guess, for the voice. It, it at least Sweet Tooth looks like I would expect him to look, so that's kind of fucking cool. All right, so uh, David Finley, um, ELP, El Fantasmo, Never Open Weight Championship. Um, I don't know what's going on exactly, but they're both a part of Bullet Club, and I've been a big fan of ELP. Uh, apparently David is the new chair or the new leader of bullet club and everything else doesn't count. That's not new Japan. That's what he proclaimed. Um, so Jay white and, and juice are just using bullet club music and calling themselves bullet club for no reason, I guess, but, um, whatever he wants to believe, uh, you know, bullet club is as dead as rock and roll. I'm just going to fucking say it. Sorry. Uh, not sorry, but I hope he. I hope ELP beats him because I like him better. You said rock and roll's dead, but we started this podcast about with you gushing over Foo Fighters, so it can't be both. Maybe the Bullet Club's going to make a comeback. It's comeback time. Well, 
Or or the Foo Fighters are one of the only uh, rock acts worth of shit nowadays. <laughs> and that's because they're really literally from they started in the 90s. So it doesn't really... I don't know. It's kind of like talking about the Rolling Stones. Like, they're doing an album with uh, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, but, I mean, they they're just... They're an act at this point. As far as rock music... I'm trying to think of like a rock artist that I really liked in the last like 10 years and Royal Bloods, Greta Von Fleet. Uh, Pup. I heard you're a huge fan of Pup. No, I'm just saying a shout out. I love Pup. Uh, there's lots of good metal. Ghost is good, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I was kidding. I'm just saying that, you know, it's just a couple members and you can bring the Bullet Club back. It just works I'm better. I'm just saying, Dave Finley, I know, I'm happy for him. I'm glad he's the leader of the club that's in New Japan, of the members that are there, that half them, like, Tomatong's not even a fucking member. Why, why should I give a fuck about Bullet Club? And if you want to, like, be like, oh, what, whoever's over an Impact and whoever's over an AEW and WWE, they're not club members anymore. You just sound like the guys on the fucking Facebook page that want to claim that the people that started it that were actually the popular wrestlers that popularized and made it what it was. You know, this is kind of like if Hollywood Hogan and Kevin Nash weren't a part of the already terrible red, black, and white, or whatever the fuck after the Wolfpack, uh, if they weren't magically a part of that and they just kind of like put, I don't know, like I'm not going to say disco because I have respect for David Finley, his father. Uh, but all of a sudden there was like a, you know, this guy is now the leader. You know, like, give me a fucking break. Whatever. I, I guess we'll get into a little bit of the Bullet Club stuff over here in the States. But I'm assuming they're kind of teasing they're bringing someone in to be with Jay uh, and Juice. Do you think it's Chris Bay? I don't know. Because, I mean, it could be. But him and... Him and uh, Ace Austin are the tag champions in Impact. I don't think that would be too hard. They could do both. Um, what if it was Tomatonga? Yeah, that'd be cool. Or Gorillas of Dusty in general, that'd be cool. They need to rebuild that tag division. The fucking AEW tag division, I'm just going to be completely honest, is in complete shambles from where it started four years ago. Yeah, and I'm starting to feel bad that FTR decided to resign and finish their career in AEW. But. Uh, well, I mean, we'll see what happens. I'm they're going to be split off to whatever the fucking collision thing is, anyways. I'm pretty sure. Uh, so maybe that that could be a whole different ass AEW show. That's I'm kind of holding out hope that that's more like mid 2000s Ring of Honor when they actually start doing that show. Me too, and I kind of think that it would be a good idea. And I said this, I think, last time. Focus on your three on three tag teams on Dynamite and really kind of flush that division out and focus on your tag team on collision and flush that division out. That doesn't mean that they can't go back and forth or have, but I mean, just kind of like use the two separate platforms to really develop those two divisions. Cause as of right now, I mean, they both have like four tag teams, five tag teams in each. Right. Unless and they, they want to put guys together. And they keep fucking tying them up in th like three-man matches, like fucking trios matches, which is, as you know, is my favorite thing to watch is fucking trio tag matches. Um, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, yeah. So, anyways, yeah, that's that should be a good match. Um, I'm assuming that David Finley is going to re- retain since he's been doing a lot of stuff in uh, New J- uh, the New Japan Power Show here in America is or New Japan Str- uh, Strong, I should say. I almost called it fuck. I was thinking NWA Powers, New Japan Strong as well as there. So I, I think he'll retain here. If he loses for some reason, maybe that's the guy they're going to bring in. But they're kind of teasing they're bringing someone in to team with Jay White and and Juice. And he would make a lot of sense. And they're going to have Forbidden Door. So they, they have a little bit of build up there for whatever yeah. they want to do. Hey, I loved what they set up. It took a long time, but finally I got to see Jay White as Jay White. Um, on uh, Dynamite with him and Juice in the ring. And I love that it went and shifted with them and FTR. I think that would be great for both uh, groups of people. Um, so let's let's see where that fucking goes, man. Because I love Ace Austin. I'm glad that they're doing well in Impact, but I'm not going to lie. Fucking Jay White and, and Chris Bay together as a tag team was fucking incredible in Impact. So I'm... Yeah. If I'm being selfish, I kind of want it to be Chris Bay. <laughs> no, I, I understand. I do. All right, so Chaos, uh, the Never Openweight Six-Man Tag Team Champions, which I don't know when they got this, but apparently that's the case. Uh, Okada, Ishii, Tanahashi are going against the Blackpool Combat Club in the form of Sean Moxley, Claudio Casanoli, and the New Japan uh, recruit Shota Umino which John obviously has an affection towards Shooter, as he calls him, his little Moxley hybrid. Um, but this should be fucking awesome. And I don't know, man. I'm kind of taking a lot of losses, and I'm assuming that they just recently got these tag belts, him, Ishii, and Tanahashi. And I know Tanahashi's banged up. So maybe Blackpool Combat Club? I don't know. Uh, this is something that they could have happen now, and then if New Japan wants them to, I guess, drop the titles at Forbidden Door, or maybe New Japan's like, this would be cool to have Moxley, Claudio, and Shuda have these titles. You know, it, it. I mean, they have a million fucking titles in New Japan, so this really could go either way, but I kind of see Blackpool Combat Club winning this. I could see that as well, because I feel like it lets you set up uh, some other matches down the line for Forbidden Door. And also, we don't know, Kenny Omega is in Japan. He's in he's at Dominion. Hangman teases that on Dynamite in his promo. He's like, he's not in this country, but he's not in Canada, which kind of only points to him being at this fucking Dominion show. So he's either going to be there to recruit, I would assume, either Okada or Ibushi. Uh so maybe uh, this sets up whatever he's going to do. Maybe uh, maybe they piss off the Rainmaker here. Could be, but remember, Kenny's been super babyface, and he, him and, you know, Okada tag team. So what if Okada, or what if Omega, maybe he shows up, whoever wins with Lance and Will makes his present known because he's a U.S. champion, and then later on comes and helps Okada Tanahashi and um, Ishii beat the Blackpool Combat Club. That would kind of have a lot to do with their storyline as well. Or was that what you were saying? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's kind of what I was saying, because you could have a situation where you get Will or Yuta, and, and Brian Nelson makes his first New Japan uh, run-in at the end, and they do a beatdown. 
and Kenny Omega comes out and makes the save, and like you have the moment where him and Okada look at each other in the center of the ring, shake hands, and then you're like, all right, shit, bet. <laughs> yeah. If we can get Okada in the ring with fucking Brian, please. 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 Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, it sets up it sets up a bunch of various things that you could do with Okada, and and that's the match Brian Danielson's wanted. Maybe that's Wembley. Who knows? That would be awesome. That's a draw. Because you could do the big big brawl match at Forbidden Door, the big tag match at Forbidden Door, and then you can set up the individual things, you know, after that. Uh, that would be a big feather in their cap if they can get Okada versus Brian Danielson. Obushi is a great second choice. But one of those two are going to be helping out the elite. I, I see that coming in the very near future. Ibushi is also on the show, so is he? I thought Kota <laughs> fucking CM Punk uh, New Japan, and he was completely is he, done. Is he not on that card? I, I thought that he was on this no. card a tag match. Uh, let me go through him. I thought he's been completely out and. Well, he no, was, New Japan. was kind of been coming back and forth. Uh, I thought that he had a tag match. Maybe it's not actually on that Wikipedia page, but I heard that he has a tag match on the show. So, could be wrong. That was listening to fucking Wrestling Observer Live earlier today, so maybe I misheard, but I, I thought that he had a uh, a tag match set up. I, knew he had, I don't know if he's actually done it yet, but he has a professional fucking mixed martial arts fight here in the near future. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm trying to find any information I can about his involvement. It didn't brought up oh, all the stuff about him. Listeners don't go bury Brian Alvarez. I could be, I could have just misheard, but I thought that the, the, the tease there is that it could either be Okada or Ibushi. If it's Ibushi is not on the fucking show, I would think that they're, you know, with Kenny being there, they're going to build up to whatever he's going to be doing as far as the title goes, but also, planting seeds for someone coming in to help the elite. I kind of wish it was Naito, honestly. Uh, well, I... Moxley would be did, great. Did you hear what fucking MJF said about New Japan being a giant indie, trying to be as heel as possible at the uh, press conference? Purposely. I, Obviously, he doesn't believe that. Um, yeah, he said some... Who other, would be... His own company that he did seemingly believe, but we can get into the post-press conference in more detail a little later, I guess. All I'm saying is, it would be great, and especially a match for MJF or for Forbidden Door, you know, because I don't think that that was actually realistic. You have Dynamite, he's fucking talking shit, and then Naito's music hits, he comes out. I, I pitched this for last one, remember. He comes out in his suit, his little fucking sarcastic face, you know, stoic to the ring, takes his, or takes his time taking his jacket off, goes right into MJF's face, and just spits in his fucking face. Maybe slaps him afterwards either. And that's all you need to set up at Naito and, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, MJF. And I think that would be perfect for both of them for a situation. By the way, the mark that asks Orange Cassidy if he wants to go against Tessia Naito at Forbidden Door, trying to book their own shit. You're supposed to be a fucking... Oh, God damn it! I just can't stand certain people. Like, 
Just because you have a website and they, they're nice enough to invite you as a part of it, don't be a fucking mark. Be a journalist. Fucking. You want to go against Cecilia Naito? What are you, five? I mean, you could just you could have posed that. I would have just posed the question differently. If you could choose someone on the roster and, and just name off like a few names, would you like to go against any of them? Do you have a preference? Like, what match would you like to do to defend your title? Like, there's ways to word the question other than what he did. But yeah, I agree. It did come off very much of like, I want to fantasy book the shit out of this. And you are supposed yeah, and to then... as a professional. None of those fucking people. Well, half all of the people that fucking ask questions would the except. I think there was one exception. I wouldn't actually. The, there was a guy from PW Insider. Uh, I can't. His yeah, name Mike, is, Mike Johnson, Denise, um, the guy that used to be a part of uh, the one that pissed off CM Punk because he always, even though I think he's annoying, he always asks questions, you know, that are not the fucking norm. A lot of those guys are great. The rest, like a large chunk, are a bunch of marks that are part of websites and aren't real journalists in my opinion not that i am but i'm just saying you're supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah but we don't fucking claim we do an opinion we do an opinion podcast we don't claim to fucking be journalists. And i love how cassidy pivoted that and it was like i heard that zach saber jr wants you know some some, some smoke so obviously that's probably going to be the match um which i'm fine for too very yeah. interesting match Fucking Orange Cassidy with his 29 fucking title defenses, which I also thought was hilarious that MJF buried in his post-conference as well. Uh, and, but I also love that Orange Cassidy kind of was, eh, whatever. That guy's never here. <laughs> it, was, it was a perfect... I think we're eventually going to see those two guys uh, lock horns in the future. Um, Orange Cassidy's so fucking over right now, and he's have, he's having a great title run. I can't take anything away from the guy. When he wants to turn it up, he can. He has good matches. I'm, I have always been kind of in the corner of Orange Cassidy's ridiculousness, whereas uh, a lot of other people, let's call them journalists, Dane, <laughs> maybe have disliked uh, disliked Cassidy. But I just always assume that he has the he you know he has the ability to change and turn turn on his shit when he needs to. You know who I'd have him go if WWE and AEW, which they're never going to, had a crossover. I would have him and Bad Bunny in a match. I think that it would have; they would both have to keep their sunglasses on the whole entire time, though. <laughs> I'm just sorry because we were kind of talking about it earlier. That would be fucking great, by the way. But uh, we were talking about it in the world of AEW. We were kind of talking about someone they could bring in. Would it be hilarious if it was like Conor McGregor versus Orange Cassidy? <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> just just the idea of how intense fucking Conor McGregor is and Orange Cassidy just being like, "All right." By the way, <laughs> you and everyone included, especially if you were a fan and you started getting the UFC like circa two thousand five six, when the Ultimate Fighter happened, uh, where Stephen and Bonner and Forrest Griffin were the two winners and had that awesome match, and Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell were their coaches. Um. The new one, the first episode dropped, and I am going to watch this whole entire season. And I love fucking Conor McGregor. I think Kyle Chandler is his opponent. Seems like a really nice guy. And Conor already planting seeds to just fuck with his head. And basically this time you have past UFC fighters, kind of like pros that are going for a second chance against up-and-comers. and 
believe it or not, because of the way that they voted for the weight classes, Connor ends up with all the youngins, the amateurs, which he's happy about, and Kyle Chandler ends up with all the uh, the vets. So looks like a fucking awesome season. I forgot how the show pulls on the hard strings because you set up, everyone's kind of hanging out, then they train, then you get bullshit between the two you know, guys going at it, uh, the two coaches. But then you get packages of the two fighters that are about to fight at the end of the uh, thing and their family life and their background and what this means to them. And then one of them loses. And you're just like, fuck, dude, that sucks. Like, they're there to train for the whole entire time, so they can still try to make their... But, I mean, everything is up in smoke at that point. And uh, Conor McGregor is fucking awesome. Just... What is, what is this coming on? Is it like ESPN, ESPN Plus, or is it actually... Cause they I'm watching it off that website I gave you. Because <laughs> uh, they have that. Well, no, because I, I, I'm assuming that it's ESPN Plus, but, it, you know, they did the fucking slap fight thing. Why would you not try to put this on either before or after? Dude, no idea. I, dude, this would be perfect to go on after AEW or something, you know, or USA for after Raw. Like, and this is, they haven't done The Ultimate Fighter. Reality TV's still popular. This is a really popular reality TV show. Oh, yeah, and Conor McGregor's one of the fucking coaches. Like, yeah, I I don't know, man. I was when, I mean, the when, same thing. When Spike was at his fucking peak, that's what they did with Impact. Yep. Like, they, you know, they kind of would shovel those two together on one night. I, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. There is definitely crossover. I don't think that there is much crossover with MMA and wrestling as some other people think. But there is definitely fucking crossover. Um. And especially when you get into the reality, the ultimate fighter itself, it, it kind of leads itself to being either before or after, you know, dynamite or collision or whatever, however you wanted to do it. I, I'm surprised that they're not doing that. I'm assuming this fucking thing comes on ESPN Plus, so I will go check later. I, I'm kind of excited to see what it's going to look like. With, I mean, if anything, Connor will be fucking entertaining, right? So there's that. Exactly. And you have a guy that's like and it's Michael Chandler, but he's a great fucking fighter. He's got a great record. And, uh, yeah, now it's time to, I just don't like Connor's Connor's mental game is ridiculous. Like all he does to really piss off this guy. Cause the guy's like pretty cool and won't let him get under his skin at first. And then I'm, I'm assuming Con- Connor tells his like, you know, his troops, Hey, I'm not going to show up at your way in for the first fight. I want to see if I, if that gets under Michael's skin. So he doesn't show up, and Michael the whole entire time's like, "Was well, he too good for the weigh-in?" Me, me, me. Like you can just tell he's already pissing them off, and it's that's that's where he that's where he dominates is mentally. So it's fucking reality TV at its finest as well, right? Like they're like, okay, yes. what, what can we do to story tell this? <laughs> so that's great. I, I can't wait to check that out. Um, I've kind of fallen off the MMA a lot. Same thing with boxing. Me too. Um, but Connor's fun. If he has another fight, I'll probably watch it. I, I, I tend to. It's the same thing with like Wilder and Tyson Fury. If they have a fight, I'll, I'll probably fucking watch it. One of my favorite new guys uh, who just won, uh, almost lost, but came back and fucking won, Israel Adesanya, was rolling around with a WWE wrestler, if you will, and Logan Paul. They were showing their training, and... I mean, this is a fucking, this is the champion of the light heavyweights, and he's actually, like, Logan's keeping up with him. 
So I don't know what the hell that means for Logan Paul if he's trying to like get an MMA fight going on, but God, that kid just fucking picks up shit like it's nothing. I mean, he's getting trained by Shawn Michaels in one way, then he's getting trained by the light heavyweight champion UFC for fucking MMA. Like, I know it takes a lot of money, but my God. Yeah, some of these celebrity fights are starting to get out of fucking control with influencers, etc. Like, you know, when you have John Morrison fighting the guy from Epic Mealtime. Uh, he kicked his ass. He did beat the shit out of poor Harley. I don't think Harley realized that uh, he was about to catch the smoke from like a 40-year-old man, but he definitely did. Jesus. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of tired of that. If I'm being completely honest, more so than like exhibition fights with Floyd or, you know, Mike Tyson or whatever, at least they have like kind of a previous fighting prowess. I, I am getting kind of just done with the celebrity fights, but uh, with the Paul brothers, I, I God, I wish they were just a tag team in WWE at this point, especially considering yeah. uh, I can't remember if it was Jake or Logan, whichever one just took the fucking ass kicking from Tyson Fury's little brother. I don't know that I oh, would that be... Was, that was Jake, yeah. I don't know that I'd be super excited to jump back into another boxing match right off right off the rip, but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing right now. They're I think they're both incredible athletes. They'd probably beat the shit out of me, that's for sure. But I'm also not out here trying to be an influencer and have a fight with one of the Paul brothers. <laughs> exactly. That. Exactly. All right, let's get back to the last two matches on this pay per view so we can start talking about the big stuff. Um so Hiromo, uh is putting his junior heavyweight championship and Takahashi's going against Master Wado. I still am kind of neutral on Master Wado. I haven't seen much of his climb since he came into it, but I'm assuming that Hiromu's going to fucking win this. So, um. I could go either way with this one if they're going to give Wado a push. He, I mean, he won Super Juniors. If they're going to give him a push, I have no problem with him winning the belt here. Uh, I don't know that this match is going to be super good, but um, it'll be interesting. They, they and then we to... already talked about. Oh, so, sorry, we already talked about the the championship match. I think Sonata is going to win this regardless. But uh, interesting, putting someone pretty fresh with not a lot of experience in pro wrestling, especially in New Japan, besides getting trained for it, obviously, but in Yoda. Uh, Suji, so I mean, Sonata's got to win this. If he doesn't, I'm gonna be like, "What the fuck is going on over there?" Do you think they do a time limit draw? If they really think that this guy is someone to put that type of effort into, then maybe, yeah, they could. I mean, kind of with this match. I mean, I'm sure the match isn't out of nowhere because I, I have not kept up with New Japan as strongly as I normally do. Just because there is a fuck ton of wrestling, um, there is. Yeah, yes. But uh, if if they truly believe in him, it looks like they're taking a bet on him. Wouldn't it make more sense to not give him a loss and actually do like a time limit draw or something, and then you can set up another match and just have him straight lose in the second match, or even do like an overtime? The only thing would be like, can he go? Can him and Sonata go sixty minutes? I guess that would be the only because that's their time limit for the heavyweight title. Um. But yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that Sonata retains regardless. I'm just saying, like from a booking standpoint, if this is your guy, if you think this is your new, going to be your new ace, your new Okada, or whatever, 
uh, which they thought was going to be Abushi, but apparently that's not a thing. So uh, if this is going to be their new guy and they're going to try to push him and, and do something cool with him, it, it would make a lot of sense to do like a time limit draw or something of that nature, double de- uh, double count out or something crazy where he doesn't actually take a loss. Yeah. Well, we'll find out. Um, all right, Chris, I'll give you the option. You want to go over WWE stuff or AEW stuff first? Uh, we might as well hit the AEW stuff first since we've already kind of been talking about it because there's involvement in this Dominion show. Sounds good to me. And guys, just to give you, we're going to go over the main pay-per-view and then we're going to go over highlights um, from Dynamite. I mean, is there a point to go over Rampage, really? It was kind of just random matches. It was a good Rampage. It was fun, but that show is what it is. I think a lot of us, the show, Collision is going to kind of be that that show instead of Rampage. But should we should we talk about Rampage at all, Chris? I mean, I think you already talked about the best match. Didn't Roddy, Roddy had the best match, right? And that was kind of... It did they they set yeah, up? I mean, they set up a fucking a, trios match with uh, MJF, right? Or they set up some kind of match with MJF for Dynamite. I don't even remember that. But then again, I was kind of drunk when I was watching it. I just remember they had for the Mega Championship, Vikingo Commander and Drillistico had a fun match. Uh, Vikingo obviously won. Really good Lucian match. All these guys are awesome. Zack Saber Jr. and Action Andretti, awesome match. Zack Saber won. Talked about that. William Nightingale had an awesome match against Emi Sakura for the uh, New Japan um, uh, what the hell, Strong Women's Championship. Uh, the one she recently and kind of accidentally got because Mercedes Monet broke her ankle in the match. Uh, and then Shibata beat Lee Moriarty. Um, they were all they were all championship matches. It's just like if this is what Rampage is going to be, then I'll expect what I was expecting on. Collision. I just it, my my biggest thing will be coming off of pay per view. I don't think they're, and I think this is kind of a problem a lot of times, especially not having your champion on the fucking coming the next show. Is that there's not there's not a lot of hey, this is what's coming next after this pay per view is done. It's kind of like random, random, random. He's a little bit, you know. So rampage, like I said, wasn't really related at all. But still cool four matches. So, I think all the titles, though, that they had on there, Chris, weren't even fucking AEW titles last night. Yeah. Uh, no. I mean, the majority of them were from various companies. There's one from... Uh, you got I'm, I'm, two New Japan. You had one from Shibata having the Ring of Honor Pure Championship. So I guess that's related. And then uh, you had the uh, Mega Championship from AAA as the first one. Yeah. Hey, maybe they maybe that's how the you loop in Ace Austin and fucking Chris Bay as you do something like this on Rampage for Forbidden Doors. They're part of the Bullet Club. There you right? go. That'd be cool. Down for that. Uh, I I just want to give a shout out to Emmy Sakura for always being fucking Bay in every match she has because Jesus Christ, she's fucking great. Um. So yeah, outside of that, there's not. I mean, there were some good matches on the show. Like you said, I think we had a good lucha match. I'm uh, trying to remember if there was anything else that really stood out. I'm pretty sure they announced something for a match for MJF. Uh, could oh, be they probably did. 
but I just kind of zone off in between matches on that program. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. You know what I was playing Cassette Beasts, which is kind of like a Pokemon game on Xbox while watching <laughs> Rampage. But the reason why is because Rampage consistently disappoints me, so it's hard to be excited about. And even if you have, like, this one, like I said, four badass matches, they're all fun, they're all for championships. When it's, like, no storyline dripping off your pay-per-view, also it's kind of like a, all right, whatever, type of thing. Um, especially with none of your title belts. <laughs> But let's get a double or nothing, and we'll talk about Dynamite directly afterwards, because there is some good well, things I, in. I, I do, I do want to say real quick, I like what they're doing with Willow. I know that she wasn't supposed to get the title, but I dig that she has it, and she's just got a strong win over Emmy, who's very well respected in women's wrestling. And hopefully, they continue that trend um, until. And Mercedes- it was cool for Emmy to be involved in the New Japan Women's Title picture even if it was for a match and she lost it, you know, has she even, I think, has she been involved with, uh, well, she's probably been involved with stardom before, which is basically what it branched off of. But well, even like in, said, it, in AEW, she had that, uh, she had a title match against Rio and they had absolutely yeah, but, really good matches, but specifically for like a Japanese promotion that she was involved in the match for that, that, Normally, she probably wouldn't. That was kind of a cool concept. Um, it would be the first actual tie-in for her with with it being branded as Stardom New Japan as opposed to just Stardom. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, let's... Uh, did you watch a pre-show match with the Hardys and Hook going against Ethan Page and the Guns? Because I don't think I did, and if I did, I don't remember it. I did. Um, Jeff Hardy definitely had ring rust, and he had this. A lot of people thought he was actually injured, but I guess it was the plan. He like fell off of the top towards the finish, like in a weird way. I thought he was fucking hurt. So did Meltzer and a few other people reported that maybe he was hurt. I don't know. I think it's probably just ring rust. The match was just there for me it was not very good and it went really really long for what it was for like a pre-show match um and the reason i thought jeff got hurt is they had hook start doing like all of jeff's normal comeback shit and it looked out of place for who hook is they need to move hook back to the singles division honestly and uh how the fuck him and willie yuda have not had a match or willier still has the fucking actual Ring of Honor, you can't punch people title, right? No, no, no. Uh, Wheeler lost that to... Wait, wait, does he have the title? Yeah, he does have the... No, he lost that to Shibata. Shibata has the pure championship. Yeah, so Hook and Shibata should be the fucking... that They should be going there with that title. You need to get Hook away from whatever the fuck this thing is. I think it's fine, whatever. They're doing stuff with Ethan Page. Matt Hardy, win. they win the match. Matt Hardy has control over Ethan Page's contract. feel really bad for Ethan Page, honestly. Yeah. Uh, from his beginning in AEW until right now, because he was also the one that got the pumped in defense or whatever in his very first match. But uh, oh. that's a guy I had very high hopes for it when he was in... Was it, uh, he had that great tag team and impact, and then they did that stupid fucking karate man thing where they killed him or whatever on impact, and then he came into AEW and 
outside of the little bit of run he had with Scorpio Sky, where they brought in uh, God, I can't think of the guy's name. He runs a MMA gym here in Atlanta. Oh, Dan Lambert, I think. Outside of that little two-month period with him and Scorpio Sky and Dan Lambert, that guy has been basically non-existent, and it's just unfortunate because I think Ethan Page is fucking great and is a good talker and can do a whole hell of a lot. But anything with him tied up with the Hardys is like this weird – I don't even want to call it mid-card because it's going to be like a lower-card thing. They'll probably make a fucking YouTube show about it or something. Uh yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I, anyways, the match was fine. It was. It wasn't anything to write home about, and I think it went a little too long. And I definitely would have Hook doing other shit. Yeah, instead of like, it looks like they're putting him now with Jungle Boy again. Ugh, whatever. But we'll talk more about that about when we get there. Um, and I agree with you, man. Ethan Page is so damn talented. He's also one of MJF's best friends, and it's like. God, I know that you try to go for that pinnacle thing and it didn't work out because I just I don't know if it was the group or the fucking booking really was actually the problem, but MJF involved with some heels, especially one of them being Ethan Page. Ethan Page is fucking great, man. Um, you know, I know Tully's not involved with the organization anymore, but Ethan reminds me a lot of Tully with how just I don't know, just the pompousness of how he is as a heel and how his aggression level and almost like a veins popping out of his head, but he's still smiling about wanting to fucking choke you or some shit like that. Like very devious. And I don't think he's been used well since he was an impact since he was with Josh Alexander as a part of the North as the tag champions over there. But, um, I don't know. Definitely someone floundering to me. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think he would have, he would have done great kind of anywhere i think if he would have went to nxt they kind of would have gave him what they did with grayson waller uh which i think is a little more fitting of ethan page than he's kind of just been an afterthought with everything they've used him in which is unfortunate because i think he's really fucking good uh fantasy booking if i could just put him anywhere i'd put him in fucking la night in a tag team yeah and i think that would be great those two guys yeah. Ethan Page is one hell of a promo man they, like I said they just haven't done enough with him maybe the brand split will help him out hoping, hoping the best for Ethan Page but he's going to be at least tied up in whatever the fuck this Hardy's thing is for a few months forever Matt has his contract now which I and this is I, look I love the Hardy's I've met Jeff I think he's a fucking great guy I hope for the best for him I hope he can stay clean but Man, this was not a great match, and the, the them trying to dial back to something that happened almost seven years ago at this point with the Hardy Foundation and not having Jeremy, Jeremy Borash to kind of control that narrative and film it the way it should be filmed is... Dude, they tanked Rampage, and I mean, Rampage already has terrible ratings, but they were the fucking main event with that. I think it was last week. It Their viewership was terrible. So... I don't know, unless you're going to put it on some a show that people actually fucking watch, I wouldn't do anything with the Hardy Compound. I mean, it's still kind of over. They got a pop for the, the entrance and whatever, but, you know, they built that up. But they built that storyline up around feuding Jeff and Matt Hardy, and that's kind of why it worked so well. Uh, 
them feuding with other people kind of came after an impact and it still didn't work as well as it did with that initial run uh with jeff and matt actually feuding even the even then with the broken matt hardy stuff so good luck maybe it'll be yeah. super fun to see a broken ethan page if they're gonna go that route and he's gonna be fucking crazy and come out and start just beating the absolute shit out of people okay cool but I don't foresee that happening. Also, Hook is just the most random ass person to put with the Hardys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, other than like Taz worked at WWE when the Hardys were <laughs> tag champions. That's even more fucking awkward than the other t- tag team he had. Who the hell was he? It, was it him and Jungle Boy that teamed together? Or who the fuck was he teaming with? They're like tagging he with. He teamed with. Orange Cassidy for a while, and he teamed with Jungle Boy last, and it looks like he's, they're going to do that again. Which is like, why? But oh, we'll get into the Tony main. Tony does not know how to stop. <laughs> Hook was God, damn, dude. Ethan showing up and <laughs> when he was just showing up and beating people, he was super over. I think people are tired of Hook now. Honestly, uh, he did get some pops in this match, but. Yeah. But anyways, that was the fucking pre-show. It wasn't. Don't go back and watch it if you haven't watched it already. There's not. Ethan Page now belongs to the Hardys. There you go. That's that's what happened. So we start off the main show with the 21 man blackjack battle royal for the international championship. Orange Cassidy um, and 20 other gentlemen within this match. Basically, <laughs> this is. It kind of reminded me of the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. You're like, oh, I know a lot of these guys. They're awesome. Why are they in this Battle Royal instead of the main thing? Um, and that's kind of how I felt with this. But I knew that the people that were going to get to the end were the people that were going to get to the end, if you will. Obviously, Orange Cassidy's not going to get eliminated you know, first or anything like that. Swerve has been a part of, especially the way they built him up with his entrance and shit like that. And lo and behold, it ended up being those two guys at the end of it. There were a lot of fun moments in this, uh, a lot of cool eliminations, I will say. Uh, you know what, this brings up the, one, of my, one of my issues. Uh, a lot of people were on JR's balls, especially for two of the comments he made throughout this thing. One, he was bitching at, which I also was wondering, why the fuck are people on the outside and haven't actually gotten in the ring for the Battle Royal? That's not usually how it started. Like, so he made a comment about that. Annoy people, I guess. Um, I, I can't remember, recall the other thing. But all I gotta say is, why the fuck was JR at the beginning of this bill and then Tony switched with him at the end? Wanna do it? Makes a hell of a lot more sense. Tony should be at the beginning. But this is the same fucking way you're gonna do it every single goddamn time. And JR should be on the main events. His purpose would have been way better directed towards that four man title match than this it's jr is used to stuff slowed down so he can tell a story of what's going on and especially if there's actual story within the storyline going into something if it's just random and a lot of moves that are too fast he kind of just goes in the idle mode and then you hear his crankiness uh come back into it uh because he probably hasn't had a snack so i just that was a weird decision to me um not really sure why he can't do a four-man booth. I don't think JR has problems with any of the guys because he's doing it with Taz and uh, Excalibur, and he does Rampage with Tony and Excalibur, so 
Or just bring JR literally out for the last couple of matches if you want Tony to say, wow, this is really great. Wow, this is one hell of a match, guys. You know, throughout the fucking course of the whole entire thing. If that's what you want. We've talked about it before. I think Tony should be the Gene Okerlund because he's already doing that. Uh, I don't think, personally to me, he really adds stuff on commentary. Not necessarily saying JR's great anymore either because, like, I've said the reasoning behind that. Um, but I think it's dumb how it just seems like AEW fans, he'll probably be on Collision. So a lot of the AEW fans that probably have a problem with them won't watch Collision because that's where we're going to go, I guess, with this tribalism. So um, whatever. But. <laughs> They'll have to either choose to suck CM Punk's dick or hate JR on that show more than likely. So it'll be one of those two things. Uh, uh, but I, I didn't... I, the bigger problem with JR is that they have him in a color commentary role, which he's never done in his entire career. Yep. He's not, he's not the fucking color commentator. So you're just going to throw him in there. He's going to one commentary on any battle Royal is going to suck. <laughs> it's 21 people doing a bunch of shit. Uh, I thought the the thing people would be more bat, mad about is when they had him in the the doing in the booth with Adam Cole and Jericho, and he thought that fucking Sabu was the special guest referee, which more points out We're gonna they, <laughs> <laughs> more points out the fact that they never explained what Sabu was actually there for. Which I love Sabu. I was super pumped to see him again, but yeah, they didn't do a good job of explaining like any kind of relationship at all. Of why he would be there, other than he lives in Las Vegas and is a Sabu. Um, <laughs> and all they had to do was, when Taz was kind of going into it, when Sabu first popped up, is him go more into the fact, like, oh, I know that fear in Chris Jericho's face. You know, back when we were wrestling together in Philly, you don't even have to say ECW unless you want to. I don't know why the fuck, but I'm just saying. You know, back in Philly, I saw, you know, Sabu terrorize Chris when he was young and just destroy him, because that actually happened. Uh, in a match at ECW. So bring that up. Uh, there was no connection at all. But I guess we're not in that match, but there is lots to be said about that match. But Battle Royal was fun. I love the ending where it, like, he looked like he was going to super kick him, and he just faked out Shane Strickland, who was holding onto the ropes, and he just kicked his fucking leg. He kicked, he kicked the leg out of his leg. He kicked him in the arm and knocked him out that way. I thought that was really clever. And a uh, good ending for Orange Cassidy. Still your universal, uh, that's not the right title. Uh, whatever, it's, it's not the Atlantic. What the fuck is this title, Chris? International well, Championship. It, it, yeah, it was the Atlantic title until every podcast in the entire world buried it. because Including us. Not just people from the Atlantic side of the, the world. Actually, the majority would be off the Pacific, you fucking <laughs> idiots. Whoever made that decision. Such a dumb fucking name. It's like if uh, if I had the Tennessee title but lived in Georgia and only defended it in Georgia. It's like fucking. <laughs> Changed it to basically what is the intercontinental title? They're just calling it the international title. And I like I like Orange Cassidy's run with it. Uh, this battle royal to me sucked until like the last five minutes. I didn't understand why the fuck that I'm on Jim Ross's side of why the fuck is everyone just standing around outside and 
why is there no refs like counting like something some sort of <laughs> like you got to get in the ring at some point otherwise like you get announced for the Royal Rumble, you might as well just fucking sit there till the very end if you don't actually have to get in the ring. Uh, I don't know. I hate that shit. I, if you're going to do a battle royal, everyone starts in the goddamn ring, and that's how it goes. With the exception of Royal Rumble, which is a proven format that is a very WWE thing. I thought that's how they used to do these, or am I just confusing the Blackjack one with whatever the fuck the other one is they do, the joker's wild or why is everything fucking casino related with AEW? um i mean I, I i get that you know it's vegas or whatever but shit i hated this <laughs> I, well i hated the way the match started it got good when the usual suspects were there at the end and i think we pretty much predicted it. i think i had jay white as the last one in there but they ended up doing swerve instead which also still doesn't make sense since him and Keith Lee are basically Becky or not Becky, but uh, they're basically Sasha and fucking <laughs> Bailey at this point with their feud. Are we ever going to get a fucking payoff for that? Did I lose you, buddy? Are you still there? Can't hear you. Are you on mute, homie? Will we have a payoff for that? I don't. I don't know at this time. Here's the thing: like AEW has problems, I think, with storylines. Uh, creating like ones that you want to like sink your teeth into, they do it. Like a lot of this stuff with the elite uh, in the Blackpool Combat Club, and that's what I like, especially with Don Callis. It's a great story. What they did with the uh, championship and the four pillars, certain things I didn't like about it, but it was a position story. Then Tony will overdo things. Like why the fuck for the longest time was were we still going with the outcasts? or whatever the hell they were, against Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, Will Strickland and fucking, you know, uh, Keith Lee ever finish their feud? It's like we have to go back to it. Like now Hook's done with the Hardys and him and Jungle Boy are positioned again and together. Will Ethan Page ever not be involved with Jeff Hardy? The list goes on and on and on. So, I don't know. When things are, are lose their welcome or they're definitely done as a storyline, I wish that Tony knew that sometime. Yeah, I mean, you know, the comparison I made was WWE with Sasha and Bailey, but at least they were still presented at top stars and were tied into other storylines. They just never fucking paid off their storyline. And uh, no, AW that's another guilty. one though. AEW is guilty of this with two fucking major storylines with Swerve and Keith as well as uh, Britt and Jamie Hayter which could have been their fucking it could have carried them all the way through the summer if they would have actually just did that as opposed to we need to have something for Tony and Soraya to do which is kind of where that entire division is right now. Uh, it sucks Jamie got hurt I would debate that maybe she wouldn't yeah. have got if she was working a feud with Britt Baker but what, whatever 
here we are. That's where we're at. Uh, yeah, it, it's at some point they're just having matches to have fucking matches and there's not really stories built into them with the exception of, you know, the main event and the people involved in a lot of what that those pictures are really great wrestling minds who have been around for a long time. So you look at like the actual, the, the big main event that they have on this card, you got fucking Moxley, Brian Danielson, Kenny Omega. You have a bunch of people that have had really big feuds and matches in the past to build a storyline around in general. They think they know what the fuck they're doing, but if he's just letting these people kind of decide and like, this is what we want to do. Uh, I don't know. I still yell about the fact that they should bring in delirious or, and obviously Gabe Sapolsky is no longer available, but he would have been clutched for them. going to three fucking shows. is going to be really tough. Yeah. Come and on. I mean, go ahead. Sorry. No, uh, just whatever you're going to say. Yeah, I was just going to say they have a hard enough fucking time booking one show in a pay-per-view, let alone three fucking shows. I just think that Tony needs to look at the fact that doing things just for big matches, uh, as opposed to really developing good storylines and making them more consistent and ending them when they need to and kind of interacting people that haven't interacted more so, is the reason why the attendance was down with Double or Nothing this year. Um, Because I think for a lot of people, me included, like there wasn't a lot of story for it. So this pay-per-view, even though Double or Nothing is supposed to be either their WrestleMania or their SummerSlam, you can argue between that and All Out, um, this is definitely the first pay-per-view, official pay-per-view after All In for AEW as a company. So Double or Nothing is supposed to be special. And when you have, what was it, like, I think it was 14,000, maybe it was like 14,500, uh, I believe, that apparently were in attendance, and that it was close to 4,000 that actually had paid. And there's spots in the audience. They're doing a good job shooting around it. I mean, that's just not good. And it's not because the product's not good. It's not because the wrestlers aren't good. It's supposed to be one of your pay-per-views. And look. What they're doing in Wembley is awesome, but they need to stop working. Like the, the the concept of AEW being an attraction because of the name is only going to get you so far. And you getting all the diehards, people that are willing to come to the U.S., already live in the U.K., connected to Europe now. You know, you have that all there for that reason. All right, go there next year and do it because now you're relying more so on your product itself, resonating for people to spend their money. And I think their attendance was down because this pay-per-view, to me, did not seem as big as Double or Nothing has been presented in the past. And even with the Four Pillars match, I liked the match a lot. thought the storyline kind of sucked, and I still think it just should have been between Darby Allen and MJF, honestly, still. I like stuff with the Blackpool Combat Club and, uh, and Kenny, and I like a lot of the stuff with Don Callis involved setting up stuff. Not only did I not like the match, I just think that Brian Danielson, besides being on commentary, should have been selling that whole entire feud a hell of a lot more. And he was doing it, like I said, just on the commentary. Like, I just wish that they had a better solution when it comes to that. Um, because I don't want them taking hits and shit like that. And I'm glad they're doing good. They're going to do awesome in Wembley. I mean, they've, they've sold, what, like 60,000, 70,000 tickets? That's ridiculous. 
I don't know if they sold out completely, but diminishing returns the next time you come around because now you've already had it there. You've already had that availability. People have gone and seen it. You know, I mean, it's not as much of an attraction. You know what I'm saying, Chris? Like, or am I, am I talking like a crazy man? No, I agree with you. It's first time in. It's going to be the same thing when they go to like fucking Hamilton in Canada. Like they're going to do well because the product's never been there before. A lot of the fans that live near that area haven't had it unless they flew somewhere or drove. Uh, they haven't had a chance to experience it. So, yeah, like the numbers are going to look good initially. But like you said, if they come back and it's the same shit, like, yeah, you're not going to get that big of a return. Um, you know, some of WWE's bigger shows when we were in the down period of wrestling in the, the early nineties or whatever was when they would go do a show in, in the UK, because those fans don't have as much of an opportunity to see an American company as often as the ones here. I actually was surprised that they did as well, uh, as they have with, with the ticket sales at the Wembley. Um, but good for them. I mean, congratulations. I think a lot of people are going off the fact that they know that there's going to be that because that show is the first in and it's supposed to be this big show, there's going to be a lot of surprise guests they might not get to see otherwise, like a Okada or a, you, you know what I mean? And they're also banking on the fact that CM Punk is going to be at that show. So that, I think that probably helped ticket sales as well but that's neither here nor there I, I i definitely agree with you you gotta you gotta do it further and if they needed a prime example of like if you have one great storyline you can build the rest of the show around it you, i mean you can have little mini stories here or there but if you want a prime example look how well smackdown has been doing off one storyline for two years yep and now the branches of that storyline involving cody rhodes is helping out Raw and flesh that out. I mean, yeah, and that's one storyline effort that happened that started during the pandemic. A lot of people forget that. I mean, and the storyline with Daniel Bryan or Bryan Danielson should be that he's not beat Kenny. He's never beat him. That's the, I mean, that's the fucking storyline. Really, those are the two people want to actually see wrestle. I mean, I, you know, I like Claudio and I, I like Moxley to an extent, even though I think that uh, he's getting maybe too close to CZW Moxley and too far away. It, like there was great when it was like an in-between. Now he's getting it's just fucking. He's just doing fucking tournament death matches now. Uh, he's getting closer to Gage than he was when he first came into AEW. You know, you know what I think for, for a comparison? Before I saw, I think a lot of people did, including you, I saw a lot of both Piper and Funk in him. And now I'm starting to see more Sandman and Onita. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that as... The the unfortunate part is Moxley knows how to do a WWE-style match and can have a normal match and have good matches if needed. And they're really leaning into him being the crazy guy in the Blackpool Combat Club and everyone else around him being the better wrestlers. And I kind of don't like that. Maybe that's what eventually breaks up the group. But too many of these fucking hardcore death matches like you said i think you told me that dave gave this fucking thing that this main of or main event five stars and i'm like in what goddamn world i don't even know if this is the best one of these that 
AEW has done because the Jericho one was at least fucking funny <laughs> against the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, but that also carried just mostly off Eddie Kingston's and Jericho's promo abilities. This one to me, as much as I like Blackpool Combat Club as a heel group, and I like a lot of the wrestlers that are involved in that, uh, yeah, it's it just I don't know. <laughs> it, it just doesn't like the the other side of that the the Kenny Omega side of that is they're known for the exact opposite of what this match is, which is putting on really good being very good proficient wrestler. Well, it's actually the same thing. It's like everyone is building a match against uh, around John Moxley. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. like <clears throat> Yuta, Brian Danielson, Claudio, they're not known for their fucking deathmatch abilities. Neither is anyone in the elite. They literally built a match around Moxley, which is fucking baffling because they could have just all went out and had like a really good, just straight wrestling match. So, but yeah, I agree with you. It's ridiculous. It's not like Moxley is not in the point of his career where he's like Chris Jericho, where I need to cover up some of the things that I'm not able to do anymore by brawling. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, I fucking didn't like this pay-per-view very much, if you guys can't tell already, but let's continue. So five out of the ten matches on the main card were gimmick matches of some type. Just realized that. Which is fine. I mean, I, I understand Tony's infinity for ECW and how he loves it. If, if you would establish rules... Like ECW, you wouldn't have to worry about a lot of this shit because it would be just there staying. I don't know. But I'm, one thing I'm glad, I guess I'll say, Chris, is that this next match we're about to talk about with Adam Cole and Chris Jericho and the four away, uh, the, the three on three match, they didn't do uh, too much and they didn't, like, we didn't see stuff happen too many times. Like, this next match with Adam Cole and Chris Jericho, I really did not like a majority of it, but they didn't take too many spots. Like, they did that one thing with the fucking table with Sabu, and the four-way, they didn't do anything with furniture, so it kind of, I guess, was good for the anarchy in the arena match, because then they could just go fucking balls to the wall. But, going into this match, man, I love Adam Cole. I love Chris Jericho. Why the, why the fuck wasn't this a normal match for their first meetup? I understand Jericho did something so heinous, but he really didn't do it. He just, you know, got Adam Cole hang, handcuffed to the fucking ring. But it was actually the, the outcast that beat up Britt Baker so bad that she was back two days later to beat up fucking Chris Jericho with a kendo stick. Um... I don't think it's so much Chris Jericho's fault. I think that, you know, most matches with younger guys, he's been able to keep up a lot. This involved a lot of fucking furniture and him doing, like, some of his old school moves. I think he got a bit exposed. Um, He's still great. I just think that this match was kind of sloppy at parts. Um, You know, they used the chain, which is different. Um Wrapping around the knee. I've seen Cole do that in NXT. I'm pretty sure he's in AEW. Uh, 
I don't know. This just wasn't for me. And, and Sabu was awesome to be a part of it. But he literally came out, pointed at the goddamn ceiling. Uh, JR is confusing if he's a damn referee, helping uh, out Adam Cole. And then he jumped on the, a table on his side. It looked terrible and horribly painful for him. And then him and Roddy and the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society fought off into the audience and were gone. Um, for most part. This thing was a clusterfuck to me. Yeah, I kind of assumed that they were just going to have Sabu launch chairs at people and then chase do a chase-off thing. I didn't know that he was actually going to try to go through a table. The way he went through the table is because he's, he has a he had his hip replaced not that long ago, and he's had some pretty bad health issues. So I assumed that when they brought him out, he was just going to be like, Kind of like what his uncle did when they were in FMW, where it's more just like, I'm going to do crazy shit, like pull something out of my trunks and throw chairs and try to stab people. Not, I'm going to do, you know, try to do like a 90s Sabu thing, which I guess I should have known that he's going to dive through something. But at the same time, he doesn't, the, the mystique of Sabu. He looked like his uncle. <laughs> the mystique is enough of Sabu that he didn't actually have to do like a table spot or whatever I, I mean like him throwing the chair to, to set up the the match on on dynamite i think was actually a better use of sabu like that's that's kind of where he's at in, at this point in his career i love sabu um but yeah they i don't even want to say they well yeah they wasted him because they didn't even make a big they didn't really make a big deal about it other than just fans nostalgia of sabu so it's i don't know he should have showed up with a fucking barbed wire chair and just started yeeting people with it and chasing off that way. I even like Adam Cole saying like, this is a huge wrestler that I was a big fan of and inspired me from like the nineties. And I'm the last person I thought was <laughs> Sapu, um, just in general, but it was cool having a part of this. I don't know. Maybe a little bit of me. If, Maybe they're they're waiting for it, but I really feel like the Undisputed Era is coming back altogether soon. I kind of wish that would have happened. Um, and like I said, Sabu, was, it was cool for him to be there, but he was there, threw chairs at a couple people, helped get the better of Jericho in the ring against Adam Cole, and then launched himself onto, uh, onto Hager through a table. And that's it. So it was... Smashes all over the fucking place. And then Britt Baker, I'm just getting sick of Britt. I hope she goes back as a heel. Uh, if you watch the fucking show, there's reasons why people all of a sudden are like, I don't know. She just kind of bothers me somewhat. She was she definitely present in this. Ow. She wore Jericho out with that kendo stick, dude. She fucking... Then they came out to do a spot with the kendo stick, but it was already broken when Soraya came out. Because she beat the absolute shit out of Jericho with that fucking thing. Like, Dude, she, beat, she helped beat the shit out of him on uh, Dynamite and then put him in the uh, the, the lockjaw, and Jericho sold for it. That was awesome. Yeah, I mean, that that was cool, but like this, like, goddamn. No, I, I was being sarcastic. But. <laughs> she was being fucking stiff with that fucking <laughs> kendo stick jericho got fucked up in this match uh Did. they fucked they fucked up the chain spot he changed like 
Adam Cole's actual punching hand, and then they had to reverse, like, what the fuck they were going to do for the finish. And the finish went off like a wet fucking fart in church. Because, Jesus, was that... Like, I didn't even understand what happened. I was like, okay, the match is just... It's unsanctioned. You're going to yeah. stop it? Oh, yeah, I forgot about it. A ref stoppage in a fucking unsanctioned match. How does that like, make any damn sense? This is that some WWE shit right there. I was like, oh, fuck, okay. Guess we're doing that. Um, Whatever. This match was not very good. Jericho's had good matches with people like Orange Cassidy and uh, Eddie Kingston. He's had these kind of matches that have been fine. Him and, I don't know, him and Adam Cole have zero chemistry in the ring. This shit was bad. Yeah. Like, uh, and then they had all the interference and, like, I get it. You're building a feud with, you know, Britt and Soraya for whatever reason. That match is probably going to suck as well. But, I just, I, at the end of the didn't day, I didn't already care. do that. Yeah, I didn't care about any of this. And, like, I was like, once again, I was like, why the fuck is Chris Jericho and Adam Cole in a feud? Which goes back to my, hopefully it was one and done, which it seems to be the case. Because it uh, looks like he's moving towards MJF. But I don't know that that's, we got, to, it's funny I'm going to say this because I think we have too many fucking groups in AEW at this point. I don't need all these multi, I don't need six people in every goddamn match. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All and right, if you're gonna, uh, you're gonna if you're gonna use Sabu, use him like you use Muda with Sting. Do that. That was a way better usage of a legend. If you're gonna bring someone in like that that you know maybe is limited in what they can do, that that's a way better way to use them. Like he shows up and makes a save for somebody. Not we're gonna have him, you know, fight off because it made the the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society look weak as fuck. And then Sammy was also not out there, and they have not told us why Sammy is not around JAS at all, other than he was in the main event. So there's that as well. Yeah. I don't even know what they didn't even explain that. Now, Sammy's, it's because of, it's funny. That's why I think maybe they'll go with Britt since she kind of came off like it, maybe as a heel in the future. We'll have to see what they do with her. But Sammy comes off like a fucking baby face, and him playing the seeds, especially. You know, showing that him and Ty are, are pregnant right beforehand. Uh, Sammy's super babyface. So I guess now he's not a part of the Jericho. Like, shouldn't we get that addressed at some point? Like, how he just floated out of it? I don't know. Maybe oh, we, we don't need to do that. Oh, we will. It'll be Jericho's next feud <laughs> for the next six months. Him versus Sammy. Jesus. And Sammy will go over by losing the last two matches somehow. <laughs> like, and this is not even me taking a shot at Jericho. It's more, I, I just think these two wrestlers, they just don't have any chemistry together. They really do. No. This match was just, it was a bad match without all the garbage thrown around it. They botched the fucking sunrise thing. Uh, that's how Jericho got yeah. it open. So... Uh, I don't know. This just was not a very good match. If anyone has this like as a high rated match, I question your <laughs> question your vision. <laughs> it was not. All right, well, so the next match for the World Tag Team Championship, I thought it was a good tag match. Um, 
TV level, but it was a good 20-minute tag match. I mean, all four guys are proficient. I just really didn't care about the storyline. And, like, a lot of these people involved, Mark, both members of FTR, obviously, Jay, Jeff Jarrett, I probably should have given a shit more so about what was going on going into this. And the only thing is, like, I was hoping that we were done. It looks like that's not exactly the case with a lot of the situation. Maybe FTR's out, but, dude, Mark's someone you can build up as a babyface. He should have fucking beaten Joe, because his brother did. Got the damn Ring of Honor TV title. Racked up some wins on that. Maybe loses the title back a couple months later from Joe. And then put him on AEW, and you got someone that you can keep on building with him. Major baby face. People already, he's over as hell. I don't, I think, I, I, don't, I don't know if this feud did anything except for kind of pause him a bit. Um, maybe, maybe I'm just bitching. But the best part, Chris, of course, was when Aubrey Edwards got fucking guitar hit by Karen uh, Jarrett. Unfortunately, it also looks like we're getting a tag match between Aubrey and Mark Briscoe against. Jeff Jarrett and Karen Jarrett. Because that's what the world needs. I actually expected a little bit more out of this match just because who was involved with it. Like you said, I think it was fine. Um, But we didn't get any kind of definitive answer on Mark Briscoe. He was kind of just there to be there. So I hope maybe it's just that he's going to be completely separated <laughs> from this situation over to Collision or whatever when they do this brand split on the 17th. But yeah, like I, I kind of agree with you. It was fun to see uh, 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 Audrey Edwards get hit with a fucking guitar, I guess. But anytime you see something like that, it does just give you shades of like, oh, it's going to be an intergender tag match. And how often do we see a good one of those? I guess with the exception of the Dom and Rhea versus Edge and uh, Beth. And they really had to do a lot to make that that even good, honestly. Yeah, and luckily with Rhea and Beth, you have two females that at least look physically, you know, like they could throw some hands a little bit if they had to. Um, Aaron and Aubrey. Huh. Put Karen on the mic. That's what she's good at. Make her say something have... terrible about Aubrey. Chris? Chris, I'm, I think I might have lost you. This app is awesome. Really loving Skype. Like you started talking and then it cut right the fuck out. All right, I'm going to end it. Yeah, it is kind of weird that they don't have any kind of... They they haven't really done anything to build Karen Jarrett up unless you just know about Double J's career or really followed that Ric Flair match that they had. Uh, She's there, though. She's out there doing stuff. They didn't even have her in like the earlier stuff with Briscoe either. That's kind of the 
I don't know. The the only reason the Beth Phoenix Rhea uh, Edge and Dom match worked is because they had already built that up where like you know Beth had almost gotten killed or whatever in the ring. They've been torturing um, you know Edge for a while, and Rhea had been just running going wild in general. So that that worked. I don't know that it works with, like with a ref. Like, eh, hopefully they don't do that, but we will see. I don't know what this did for anyone in this match, but I guess it doesn't matter because they're going to split. I'm assuming the FTR is going to be on whatever show fucking Punk is on. So it could be that these teams never see each other again. Who the hell knows? Well, like I said, I like that Dax and Cash are kind of now positioned against Jay White and uh, Juice Robinson um, based on what happened on Dynamite. So, it's good that we'll see them in a just just get them the fuck away from this and let's after you have your intergender match can we get Mark on a better like route I don't know singles matches against people that have nothing to do with any of this situation that would be great all right the, uh, so the the setup the the entire setup of it is fucking weird because Dax has literally taken out Mark Briscoe on accident twice which would make you think that it's not really on accident and they're turning heel. But they're not doing that, right? And then you have this goofy-ass group with fucking Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, and Satnam Singh. Um, like, it would it would lean towards, like, a group of outcasts as babyfaces versus a heel FTR. And I have no problem with a heel FTR. It's just, I, I don't know. This goddamn story doesn't make any fucking sense. Mark Briscoe should have just showed up and hit everybody with a chair and left, honestly. Why don't we have a match with Mark Briscoe and Sabu, damn it? Anyways. Um, I was actually a lot more entertained with this next match, 17-minute match for the AEW TNT Championship ladder match, Wardlow and Christian Cage. Just two things. I said to myself, Christian's still a tall gentleman. He's gone against a lot of big guys, but you would think that none of this would benefit him, especially his age, uh, his injury tra- or his injury track record, you know, within the past, um, with concussions and whatnot. Like position storyline wise, I don't know why Christian took this match. And then opposite, even though Wardlow ended up winning uh, with Luchasaurus coming out. He got his finger partially bought off, bit off by fucking Arn Anderson. Have no idea who the fuck came up with that spot. That was really weird and dumb. Um, I mean, he was just out there then to be able to spinebuster someone, which he did, which was cool. But I have no idea what double A armed Anderson would start biting people's fingers and shit. That was just kind of sexy, I guess. I don't know. And then you have the ending spot where Christian's, I guess, done. For a whole entire time period where, you know, Wardlow's able to pull Luchasaurus, put him on a table, and then go do the the move, which he overshot and just went through a fucking table with the, uh, the Swanton bomb. Uh, just looked, ow. What, but, you know, this is kind of reflecting the latter matches that Christian had in the past. He's doing a Swanton bomb because he does it, and Jeff Hardy did it, obviously. But what the fuck was the point of going after Luchasaurus? You literally could have lost the goddamn match, technically, 
if Christian just went inside the goddamn ring and climbed up during the course of that. But luckily for you, he didn't. I don't know. Um, Christian gets heat. He actually, him, Don Callis, MJF, depending on what he says about the city after they're cheering him, uh, and uh, Dominic, and kind of like Roman, are people that actually get real heat in wrestling. You take Roman and fucking MJF out of it, those three, Dominic specifically, um, and Christian actually, where people start saying, fuck you, Christian. You know, I, I get him involved with something better, and I don't know, I'm, I'm happy that Wardlow's still the champ. It looks like that will kind of be the main championship, I'm assuming, on, on Collision, uh, with the world title kind of coming back and forth. But, like, since that's a TNT belt, so that's that's good, and he'll, he'll be a part of Collision. But I don't know. I think that they've cooled off Wardlow. Maybe, honestly, maybe Goldberg coming out and setting up a feud for the Wembley show for his title and him getting a win over Goldberg might help him out a bit. I just, like I said, I think they've cooled him off an immense amount uh, since he beat MJF, basically, which makes no sense. I don't fucking know, man. It's going to be fucking Ryback, the bootleg Goldberg. Oh, no. Feed me more. What, steroids? (laughs) You don't have enough zits on your back, Ryback? I'm kidding, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, so the thing about Arn Anderson as a manager to me is that Arn Anderson spent most of his career as a heel, but everyone he's managered has been a manager for his baby face. It's fucking weird. Are they afraid that no one will boo Arn Anderson? I can guarantee you that people will boo Arn Anderson if you put him in the right light. I did think it was hilarious. I did think it was fucking hilarious when he tried to bite Luchasaurus's thumb off. Uh, what was that? I mean, I mean, if you're Arn Anderson, you're like 175 years old, and Luchasaurus is gonna fight you, right? It's not a bad move. <laughs> it's not. It's not a bad move, but yeah, uh, this is just weird. And good for Wardlow because he took like a ton of fucking bumps in this match off the ladder and shit because he knew Christian wasn't going to be able to do it. I was surprised that Christian actually did as much as he did. Uh, but you're right, Christian, man. He's uh, he's one of the few people that have like actual heat with the crowd. And it doesn't, I guess, to me, it doesn't even make sense like why people would be hate Christian so much. But he's done a great job of making them hate him. Uh, much like he has he done made, everywhere. You talk shit about Luke Perry, damn it. You don't do that. Yeah, that was it. You don't talk about Dylan McKay, motherfucker. That's how you get real heat. Um, but <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, I think some of the, the names that you named, like, you know, obviously MJF is, he's so goddamn good that he can't be a true hill to some extent uh, in comparison to a lot of the things that are going on in AEW. But he does a good Same job Roman. Of, of being a heel. Um, yeah, I think Roman Roman is is really good as well. Uh, but in AEW, Christian may be their best pure, just outright hated heel with whatever storyline they put him in. And we, as we have seen, it is not because Jungle Boy is just super over. Christian has just done a really good job of making people fucking hate him. 
God bless him for being able to do that. Such a, you know, well-presented fashion. Because Christian is a great fucking heel. I've always said that. Jeff Jarrett's another one, too. Isn't that kind of sad, though, when, honestly, like, because the idea of a heel is there's not supposed to be anyone that's going along with it because they like him. They actually, like, really just, like, fuck you. And, like, that the three heat seekers, the biggest, over MJF, because MJF gets a positive reaction a lot of times, too. A lot of people think that, you know, clap for him and shit, like we'll talk about with uh, the four-way match. But, you know, Christian, Jeff Jarrett, and fucking Don Callis, when you can't talk at all, but the only problem is all of them are from the same generation and they're two generations ago. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. There's that. It almost gets, I mean, I don't even know if, if, if there's, if the wrestlers have an inability to get heat or they just don't have any true baby faces with the exception of maybe Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen. Good point. I'm not sure. Because uh, all of these motherfuckers are kind of unlikable. Like with the, like I said, with the exception of maybe, you know, Darby Allen, Chris Statlander, I guess. <laughs> there you go. Orange Cassidy. I mean, there's there's very few baby. That's the thing about MJF. I mean, for MJF to be a sufficient Triple H level heel of where he's at, you got to make the other people like real. Well, he's he. I think he tries his best to make people hate him, but at the same time, there's got to be someone else that he's going against that you like. Um, they showed that with CM Punk. Even then, the crowd was a little split. I know he's like Rock in '99. It's like they don't want they don't want to boo him anymore. Um, they're gonna have to deal with that eventually, but uh, it's just weird. But uh, let's let's continue. Um, this match three minutes. I was wondering how they were gonna do this since Jamie is legitimately injured. And what she was able to put off in the ring for a small amount of time and get the beatdown angle beforehand wasn't, or was impressive, I should say, uh, based that, you know, she's injured. But at the same time, why did they set up this? I don't get it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I guess the whole thing is what I'm assuming is going to happen is the women's championship will show up on collision and, Tony Storm's going to get beat pretty quickly by Thunder Rosa. Because Thunder Rosa still has not gone, you know, she's now back. She deserves a fucking number one contender because she never lost the belt. She had a dropout due to injury. And then I'm wondering if Tony's getting a second part run with this because, like I said, if you watched All Access, Britt was so pissed and got everyone so riled up against Thunder Rosa throughout that time period because. Tony was the inaugural champion and that's what wasn't fair and, and that she should be, you know, that's why they did that thing on television where they announced or Tony um, Khan announced that she officially on her record, she was a champion and it wasn't an inaugural belt. She, uh, you know, they officially stripped it for Thunder Rosa. That all happened because Britt riled up everyone, <clears throat> which is kind of funny because Thunder Rosa has to come back and talk to everyone as if she's all to fall. And this is real life that they decided to put on their fucking television to show us, along with other stuff, too. And at the end of it, I'm just like, Brooke Baker has so much power. She's, like, in, jar in charge on a producer level, 
which is impressive because she is a boss bitch because that's awesome she's able to do that and run a dentistry on the weekends. That's pretty impressive. But when it comes to being a person, I she was so mad that Tony had to take an inaugural championship, Tony Storm, that I'm wondering if they gave Tony this for a small period of time to kind of, I guess, make up for it. I don't fucking know. But I want Thunder Rosa back with that belt. And uh, I kind of want to heal Brett Breaker. And I want their feud to start off again. So that's that's what I'm positioning. Uh, it shouldn't be hard because I'm besides Pittsburgh, I'm starting to think that people are kind of, if not, I don't think they're mad, mad at Britt Baker, but I don't think any of this has done a lot for her. Her helping out Jamie Hayter was literally helping out Jamie Hayter. I know on All Access, once again, she said that she didn't care if she was ever the champion again. It's like, what the fuck? You're not a vet from WWE and in your late 30s, and now it's time to put people over. It's like, you're one of their biggest stars. You are who a lot of people say is one of the pillars as well. Like, I don't know. Like, I, if you can't tell, I got a bad taste in my mouth from that whole entire experience when it comes to Brit. But I still respect the shit out of her. I just think that she thinks she's Hulk Hogan in the women's division. And uh, I think that's kind of a joke, like politically. Yeah, it, so what, she's good. She's she's more got the like the HBK vibes, honestly. Yes. Where Thunder Rosa well, she's is not on drugs. <laughs> yeah, well, that we know of. <laughs> she does have access to them as a dentist. Um, yeah, she's taking that laughing gas a little bit too much, I guess. I don't know. No, all all, all kidding aside, but like if, you know, what's her what's her best matches in AEW? Well, two of them had a, another wrestler in there called Thunder Rosa, who's apparently the queen of controversy. That's, that's my fucking point. It's like, you hate, why would you, you hate the person you have the best matches with? That's very HBK. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Like, whatever. I, I like Britt Baker. Um, I don't understand why her and Jamie, like her and Jamie Hayter would have had really good matches. That should have been where they went with that, especially because. Yep. She cost fucking Jamie Hayter the title. You would think that would be the move they would have went with. And I know getting Soraya and trying to pump her into the pump her up and 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 get ratings like whatever that's cool. Uh, I I just they they missed an opportunity for like a really good storyline, and then you could have had like either Jamie or Britt win that title after their feud, and then Thunder Rosa would be lying in wait ready to go right but now we're doing a brand split we have like the fucking soraya group whatever the hell they're called um i don't know they did do i will say i will give tony credit this all of the multiple titles seem to make a little bit more sense now because they're going to do an actual brand split so you're not going to have to worry about it as much because it will be contained i would assume that they're going to be contained across separate brands Yep. Uh, it's just interesting. It really are we doing these separate brands really to keep like people apart from each other? Uh, I don't know. Well, that kind of makes me wonder if that's just the narrative that you know we we kind of see because of just how big that CM Punk story was. But with the amount of titles they have, who knows? They may have had this in their back pocket for a while of actually wanting to do a separate brand because they do have, I mean, so they, many fucking people. 
so many people and so many fucking titles that it would make sense. Like if you're going to do a brand split, you're going to need all those titles anyways. So introducing them in the way that they did is not necessarily the worst case. And you could still have crossover. They're going to have this Owen Hart tournament, which I'm assuming both brands would be able to be a part of. Um, so it, I'm going to kind of dial back on it's just it was created just for CM Punk. I mean, I'm sure that was a reason, but it looking at it, you know, now it kind of seems like maybe it, it was maybe already in talks to some extent. If not a third show, maybe Rampage going two hours and then splitting it kind of like what we have with uh, Raw and SmackDown. That being said, I fucking hate brand splits. Maybe just thin out your roster and give us a good product on one show. I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. All right, but uh, let's move on to the next match. So I actually really enjoyed this match, especially the opening. Weird. A 50-minute match for the Trios Championship, House of Black, Malachi Black, Birdie King, and Buddy Matthews, accompanied by, of course, Julia Hart, went against the acclaimed Anthony Bowens, Max Caster, uh, with Billy Gunn. And I'm trying to think, like, uh, <laughs> so they have this open challenge. I liked, I really do like the weird look of the arena, and the, I like lights down during wrestling matches anyways. It's a very classic, cool-looking move that I think sets a certain atmosphere. Um, and I thought this was a fun match. The Acclaim come out for the uh, challenge, and Max Caster <laughs> said, not only pointed out that Buddy, uh, <laughs> he, he, all I can say is, obviously, Anthony Bowens, him being there, is the reason why he gets to say some of this shit. But saying that Brody King looks like a reject from RuPaul's Drag Race. And then it went to Brody, and he's trying to, like, keep composure. And he kind of laughs to himself, like, but they caught it on camera. And then says that Aleister Black was basically doing blackface. And, of course, the best part, Chris, and I shit you not, he said this. Uh, Yo, Buddy Matthews, you look so ominous, but you're actually being cucked by a kid named Dominic. <laughs> his reaction Bertie King's reaction I don't know if Max Caster is lying but him and Anthony have claimed they approved this by Tony but they don't tell the other team about this shit so uh whew. great stuff also went on with an extra verse talking about how the House of Black of course has no black guys it's another shot at that concept and how do you think that works out the first time they're in the ring together? Do you think like buddy's like, you can go fuck yourself, you know that? And just throws them into the corner? Uh, I'm assuming they, they just thought it was funny, right? Like, they knew the gimmick. They're wrestling a guy named Mr. Ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I'm assuming that they, it was all in good fun. I don't think he was super, but that's that's fucking hilarious. It was really funny to see Brody King get fucking corpsed. <laughs> like he's uh Max Caster and Sami Zayn, the key, the kings of like making people laugh when they shouldn't. <laughs> yep. Uh yeah, no, it was great. It was really, really fucking funny. The match on the other hand was weird. They just beat the shit out of Anthony Bowens for like the first fifteen minutes. And then the hot tag was to Billy Gunn, of all people. Uh, so, 
It's a weird match. I still don't understand the rules. I fucking hate the lighting thing. And if I oh, was, you do? Uh, yeah, if I was Aleister Black and I had lived through the world of WWE with all their weird lighting shit that never works, I definitely would not want that anywhere near my match. But, you know, do you, I guess. Could you imagine if you're like Deontay Wilder and you're like, no, no, every time I fight, the lights got to go down <laughs> or whatever. Like, I just think it looks fucking goofy. I've never really been a huge fan of that unless unless it's like unless there's something specific of why they're doing like an empty arena match if you want to do something like that or yeah I, I, just, I feel you it's just like a weird fucking thing that's being done for no reason of this group that no one gives a shit about honestly and they this 20 second count out which I was pretty sure was already I thought they were already doing a 20 second count out in AEW well, I thought it was like the new you know, Japan weird Jimmy Corderas does the Wrestling Inc. Um, after shows, former referee. Uh, you know, a lot of wrestling fans will know him. He was in the WWE throughout the 90s and 2000s. Um, and he said that he talked to uh, Earl, no, not Earl Hefner, um, Mike Chioda. Because a while back he did, a, he special refereed a certain championship match. I forgot what it was. And he was told that the counts in AEW are 20 counts. But... I've never seen that really. I don't know. So I don't fuck. I mean, we've never even fucking seen a count out in AEW. So it doesn't really. Has there ever been a count out win? No. I don't know. Why don't you just uh, say your rules officially for us? I, you know, I give WWE a lot of shit with how loose they are with their, their rule book, but they do have, like, some broad overstretching rules. Like, if it's a multi-man match, guess what? No DQ. Right? Yep. Like, if, if, if it's not a normal tag match or a singles match, it's no DQ unless we tell you otherwise ahead of time. Uh, but, like, an AW, like, to create a team... Here's the other thing. They're the fucking champions... They get to dictate their own rules for their match. Like, I don't... They're defending a title. Like, if I go... if Like, if, let's say I was a proficient boxer, right, Dane? And I won, <laughs> I won the belt. And all of a sudden, I was like, anyone can fight me, but dick shots are, are allowed. I don't think that's how that works. It's not, it's not how that works. It's not how any of this I works. A, I think the promoter's going to be like, uh, no. No, that's not what you're doing. You can't can't be out here just ball punching. Um, but yeah, that's I mean that's the entire gimmick is they have their own set of rules. But then they didn't even follow up on it because they allow you to choose if you want DQ or no DQ or whatever. That <sighs> I think that's what they said. And then like the acclaim, the first time they're actually going to do a title match, like a big title match or whatever, they're just like whatever you guys like. They didn't even fucking like you know. <laughs> I think Brian Alvarez pointed out if you if you could just make your own rules, like the rules should be like Julia Hart has to defend the title. <laughs> like, like you know what I mean? Like I don't, <laughs> it's it's dumb. And uh House of Black isn't working for me and uh the more and more I see of House of Black, the the, the more I like Brody King, the less I like everybody else. <laughs> really. Yeah, I, I want them split up so much. I think all of them are in the wrong place. Um, I don't know, I, but yeah, I agree with you. But then if they do that, now they don't—they have no trios anymore. Because <laughs> the Lucha Brothers are a tag team again. Young Bucks have too much shit going on. 
Kenny's can't be a part of his. I guess I guess Adam could tag with them, but you know now the Dark Order's back, unfortunately, and they're mad at Adam for hanging out with the Acclaim because we're in high school. There's so much shit going on. Let's uh, let's go for the next match, TBS championship was, match. I, I will say, if it was up to me, I'd put Jericho Appreciation Society against them just because of. Uh... Was it Big Daddy Matt? What the hell, Sexy Body? Whatever the fuck. That would be Big fun. Daddy Mac Magic. You know yeah. what really gets Stain's nipples on? <laughs> yeah, those two promoing against the super serious uh, <laughs> House of Black would be really, really funny, right? In a way to turn them babyface because Jericho is not going to be around forever. In AEW, but it'd be give, it would give them something to do, and and maybe even them with a run wouldn't be the worst thing. You could throw fucking awkward Hat Boy in there, uh, Swagger, or wherever the Hager, or whatever the fuck he's going by now. Um, <laughs> that's kind of the perfect trio as opponent for House of Black. House of Black's kind of it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, Blackpool Combat Club should show up and just stomp them the fuck out. Honestly, if we're if we're booking this for real. Well, if the Blackpool Combat Club cared about titles, they would do that. But I don't know. I guess they were just fighters. But anyways, let's uh, let's let's continue. We got Miss Jay Cargill. She's got sixty wins because after nine minutes of fucking Ty Valkyrie trying to get a good match out of her, which not all of it was bad. Their last match was definitely not as was was worse than this. But uh, Jade beat her. And then Ty gets to watch as Chris Statlander comes back. And have you ever heard this scenario, Chris? So you have the gloating, you know, heel with their manager talking about how they're unstoppable. They just got to a certain record and they decide they'll take on another person like anyone that decides to come out. And then a return of a wrestler that hadn't been seen in a minute running through the ring, looking like a straight warrior, hits the fucking ring, they have a match, and that person beats the the uh, the much more uh, egotistical um, superstar uh, fairly quickly in 48 seconds, actually, and becomes a new champion. I love... I love the ode to Honky Tonk Man Ultimate Warrior, because if if Tony were to try to tell me that that was not in his head at all with Chris Statlander and Jane Cargill, I would tell him that he's full of shit, but I still liked it a lot. Um, the match wasn't that good. I felt bad for Taya Valkyrie because she did all the work for Chris Statlander, but it looks like they kind of went into that on Dynamite when Taya was staring at Chris Statlander on the monitor in the back in a very angry way uh, while she was out. Um, so maybe they're 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 pairing them against each other. Ty Valkyrie's a really good heel. Give her the mic. Her and Chris Statlander will have a good feud. I, I actually think that would be uh, beneficial. But match wasn't that good. I like uh, the after effect, or as I should say, the homage to past wrestling stuff. Chris. <laughs> so Jay Cargill watched WrestleMania, saw Bianca Belair dance, and was like, "Yo, I should totally do that." You're fucking hill, bud. Not supposed to be. I don't understand anything that happened with this Taya Jade Cargo match. I also just hate the fact that that's 
I, it's cool. It's a big pay-per-view spot, whatever. I like Chris Statlander. I'm, I'm fine with her winning the title and breaking the streak. But what, wouldn't you want to save that? Jade just, just finished a match. And also, Matt Mark Sterling, wasn't he fired by Jade Cargill? And then she was with the other guy. How the hell is he back involved? Like, what in the storyline did I miss on this, Dane? Probably the same thing I missed. Because um... he was fired by Jade, right? And then they had, like, Jade's little group where they talked about Haterade and shit for a while. Red Velvet was a part of it. The baddies! The baddies, right? Kira Hogan when, was part of it. What happened with that and the manager that they had? I'm, I'm slipping on uh, Sterling, right? With no, the hell was that guy's Mark name? Yeah, Mark Sterling. What happened with that? What, the I other don't know, man- and... The one that was with know. Big Bill for like a second. I, I forgot his name, but I mean, who cares? Here's a question to you. Do you hope now that Jay doesn't have this fucking title and the whole storyline with her, all we get is uh, this person wants or open challenges basically for her title. Just center on her, get her better in the fucking ring, basically, and just have her be a person within the women's division. Because I think that's one thing they have a problem with. They keep the women's division in like small little echo chambers. One's with the TBS title. One's with the women's title. Uh, Then you have, you know, everything going on with the outsiders or whatever the fuck they're called. And Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter. And then you have another one over here and that's it. But they don't interact with each other. So if you want to make Jade bigger, she's so damn charismatic. but She's really fucking bad in the ring. You can work around that type of shit, though. You know, just, I don't know. Up, in, up until the point she kicks like a heart in the head or whatever. Um, <laughs> sorry to throw the Goldberg reference out there, but it, that was the comparison yeah. I was make is that Goldberg was the U.S. champion for fucking forever and went on that long streak. But eventually he wanted the world title, right? How yep. Jade has never just shown up when like, one of these world champions in quotations are talking about their title and been like, I'm undefeated. Why, why have I not had a title match is baffling to me. The fact they never pulled the trigger on that. And, and it's great that Chris Statlander's back. And then, and now it's going to make more sense because they're going to split it up. They'll have one title on both shows or whatever, but that couldn't have been the plan. I mean, she's like, like she's six, she was 60 and Oh, <laughs> they weren't planning this out two years ago. Um, I don't know. The match, the Taya match was bad. It's not Taya's fault. She's fucking really good in the ring and have good matches. And uh, with Jordan Grace being gone, I'm assuming that she's headed to WWE would be my guess. But just because of Jonathan Gresham's run in AEW was so short-lived, but she would be perfect for either division. And that would be someone good that would be believable to go against Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill is uh, not good. She said, like, the only good match I could think of is her and Ruby, and she almost killed Ruby Soho, like, multiple times. But I have not liked the majority of Jade Cargill's matches. But it it was working. Whatever. She was popping ratings, and she had a good run, and now she's lost to Chris Statlander. And as far as how you're going to rebuild her or whatever, I, I have no clue. Do you really want to push her into this storyline with, 
you know, the WWE group versus the AEW originals. I was, that's why I was kind of surprised that she hasn't already made an appearance in the heavyweight title picture, because like you're looking at AEW original, that is Jade Cargill. As far as I know, she, like a lot of the other women that they have, have wrestled in other places. Whereas Jade Cargill, as far as I know, she is a complete creation of AEW. She was 60 and like, ended up being 60 and 0. Why would she have never showed up and been like, yo, fuck all y'all, really? So her storyline arc to me made the least amount of sense more than anything else. And whatever. I like Chris Statlander. She'll have better matches. So it makes a lot of sense to put the title on her. I would have probably saved it. I would have just done that shit on Dynamite as opposed to doing it right after Jade Cargill have a ma- had a match. Because now what we're going to get is a rematch of Jade Cargill and Chris Statlander. Uh, which I'm not super looking forward to. Yeah, me neither. Uh, I don't know why that would be necessary or anything. Honestly, but what are you going to do? Um, so here's a question. The move that the Road of Valhalla, the Jaded, whatever, that's just the Glam Slam, right? It's literally just the glam slam. Isn't that what Bianca does too? <laughs> uh, no, Bianca's is slightly different, but it is very similar uh, as far as what I remember. But yeah, a lot of a lot of ladies like to do that move. I guess good for them though. It's a good move. I'm sure Beth Phoenix gets hyped every time somebody does it because, like, literally everyone that has that finisher, we're talking about like top people in all the companies. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. It's just weird. I mean, it'd be uh, way, way worse if you were talking about <laughs> a bunch of people doing it on the indies or whatever and stealing your yeah. At least the people that are doing it are like kind of high profile. It's almost like a shout-out to Beth Phoenix. Yeah, you know what? You're right. It is pretty much a shout-out. It's just like didn't realize that move was popular until I was like, wait a minute, that's the same fucking thing as the Clan Slam. But, yeah, still a cool move to throw out in the geek there as within wrestling. I don't even know if Beth was the one who came up with it first. I'm sure she's not. Um, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm surprised that they have so many people doing it because it is kind of a hard move to protect yourself with on the way down. Because it's kind of like the pedigree where you have to hope that person releases your arms so you just don't go face first. Yeah, that would not be fun. So, like, to have Jade Cargill out here that has a hard enough time doing normal shit doing it is kind of scary in its own right. But whatever she as far as I know, she hasn't hurt anyone with it. Well, that's good. Good for her. Bless her heart. Oh, Lord. But, yeah, the entrance was interesting. Yeah. I I just, once again, she's supposed to be the heel. So, yeah. I don't think she wants to be the heel anymore. I think she she likes the adulation she gets from some fans. And I, I you know, a streak works better with a baby face most of the time. Right? Like we when you think about Goldberg, like he just showed up and was a fucking didn't see anything. It was a kind of a almost like a Crispin Law as far as his personality goes, but the streak you want to see that person be successful. 
they just they I don't know. It's it's weird with Jade Cargill. I hope that she's successful. She was supposedly training with Brian Danielson, but I like at this point it's been like a year and a half since they said that. Um so if she hasn't got any better, maybe send her to stardom or something for a while. I I don't I don't know. She has some very bad matches. She does. But here's the I mean, you can also just not have her do as much as she wants to do. She'd be like, you can't. So we're going to limit your moveset so to show off your the good things about your, your game and, the, and decrease the bad things, because I think she does too much. Uh, she doesn't even have to have super long matches either, because obviously she doesn't have the cardio for it a lot of times. But. Yeah, the person that most needs to go in and train her is like Kevin Nash. <laughs> yeah. Show her how to do like six hey, this things. This is what you do. This is what you just do. That's all. Six things and sell. That's that's kind of where she's at. It's kick him in the face in the corner, then choke him with your foot. <laughs> but there's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with being that being that person. Uh, problem is, is that they tried to do big big matches around her before, so it's already kind of exposed. To some yeah, extent. exactly. Now, I think Jay will be fine, but I think, like I said, she could use a somewhere else, or just just more exposure and not just the undefeated TBS streak. You know, what I'm saying like do your own thing, get in the storyline with someone by themselves, build it up, see how it is. That's what I would do. Yeah, if I if I was booking Jade Cargill or if I was her agent agent or whatever and they asked and, and they were like what would you do i would just have her model everything she's doing off of uh ronda and or brock lesnar just do that keep the matches short and then you can still build up the big match she just needs to learn to sell like brock lesnar sells when he's in trouble mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's, it's more about that than anything else but yeah just like brock lesnar is a perfect like what jake cargill could do more so than Goldberg, because Goldberg is always was always terrible at being in peril. But like Brock Lesnar is a perfect example of like you're the big monster that should destroy everybody, right? What happens when you're not? <laughs> and uh, Brock does a great job of selling. That would be the person I would point her to to actually look because like Brian Danielson training her is not like Brian Danielson is never <laughs> the bigger person in any match, really. So yep. he's he's probably not the best person to train that kind of thing. I agree with you. All right. AEW World Championship four-way match. Almost 30 minutes. This is my favorite match. And I honestly, personally to me, I'm looking once again just to make sure. Yeah, maybe the tag match and the – no, honestly. Someone asked me, like, what's the matches to watch on this? I would say watch the four-way match for the title and then you're good. Because I thought this match was awesome. And everything else either, like I said, was something that could have been a TV equivalent match or weren't that good. And there were two spots, Chris. I knew this match was going to have to be sequenced. We've both talked about our problems with multi-man matches, how hard they are to pull off. I agree to an extent. Sometimes I think it gets a little bit ridiculous about how 
anytime you have a three-way and a four-way, people are going to disappear, you know, and that's going to be the end of them uh, for for a time period until, of course, when I need to come back in for something else. If you time it well enough, and I thought these guys did, and you hit hard enough, and I thought these guys definitely did, and keep it very in sequence, it can still come out looking less choreographed than it really is, if that makes sense. And you got four guys that were willing to do that. I thought they told some good stories in this match, honestly. Jungle Boy not being able to take the death shot, not being able to be a heel. You know, MJF calling him out and saying that he doesn't have that bone in his body, that he's too much of a goody two-shoes, basically. Well, he couldn't. He did fuck over Darby Allen, though. I mean, they're in a match together. Darby got that pin, would have won. Um... If it wasn't for, of course, Jungle Boy cutting it off. Um, I like the stuff with Sammy, like I said. I like Sammy revealing what he revealed beforehand, that Ty was pregnant and they're going to have a kid. Once again, even though they were just heels and they kind of went over this on the show, All Access, you kind of, you really like them and want them to do well. They're just two nice people that are just trying to make it in wrestling and they love each other and that's really what you get off. So... I think if there's anything that was going to help Ty have that and definitely get Sammy over as a baby face, it was being like, hey, we're pregnant, yay, and doing the whole old sign thing. The only problem was, one of the problems I had with this, it was three baby faces and a heel. So a lot of times MJF would do stuff, and his reactions are great. MJF definitely has that Piper ability to cause humor within matches by the inflection of his voice or saying, oh, shit, right before he's about to get nailed or, or whatnot. Um, but it was usually like a lot of times like them beating up whoever, uh, really quickly, uh, in order to, you know, get to him doing an eye poke a couple times to people like stuff like that. But what do you think uh, exactly about this match Chris? Um, I'll talk about the two things that kind of took me out of it that I didn't like in there, but for the most part, I had a lot of fun with this match. It was very sequenced, but I thought they did it and pulled it off really well. Yeah, I think this was the match to watch. Unless you just like fucking hardcore blood matches, which maybe you'd be more into the main event. But I think this is definitely my favorite match of the show. If I was going to watch multiple things from the show, I would say the Battle Royal was actually... It was fun, as stupid as the setup for it was. The ending of was fun. The Chris Statlander surprise was fun, and then this match was like the actual match match to watch. Um, it does suck that Jamie Hayter was hurt because her and Tony Storm, I think, could have potentially stole the show because I think they could have had a really good match together just based on their styles. But uh, anyways, we got this, and uh, this was a good match. But one of my favorite things is they like uh, I can't I think it was Jungle Boy. He did a bunch of lucha shit. <laughs> with MJF and MJF was like, what the fuck was all that? He just yelled that at the camera, which made me laugh really hard. Um, I mean, it, it finished in the typical fashion that we thought it was. I mean, the biggest thing is like, I never once believed, and I don't think anyone else believed that there was any threat of MJF losing the title here. And uh, I probably would have pulled the trigger on turning Jungle Boy heel. That was kind of my prediction is like, this is a good time to turn Jungle Boy heel. Even if he did the belt shot, he could still let MJF get the pin. I think that could have set up cooler things for him going forward. Uh, 
good match, good stuff all around. I think that uh, as far as like spots and like in ring ability and, and the way everything looked in this match, I would say Sammy Guevara kind of took the cake. I think he kind of out he outshone everyone as far as like in ring stuff. And MJF is just MJF, and he was great, and he fit that role perfectly. And one with a headlock takeover again. Oh uh, God, that ending, man! Oh Lord, oh. <laughs> fucking MJF, man! They did also give two spots where Jungle Boy and Sammy gave all they could, but they couldn't get the three count on MJF or on someone else. So they gave him that. Darby obviously got, he would have gotten the three count on MJF with the fucking headlock takeover because he just did the cop and drop, but Jungle Boy uh, screwed that up. The best part was at the end, though, like you said. So Sammy just got launched outside. He's done. And Jungle Boy is about to get the cop and drop done to him by Darby Allen. MJF, which obviously the, the championship got in the ring. He grabs a championship, puts it between them. Darby sells it so perfectly. It looks really like his head just bounced the fuck off the thing. So he's done. And obviously Jungle Boy's done because he just got a cop and drop. So what does he do? He MJF fucking puts him into that uh, headlock takeover and three counts him, beats Darby Allen. It was the perf- It was the best way to win. Like I know a lot of people would be like, Jungle Boy should have taken that pin, but him and Darby have a story that's not done. I don't think. And the fact that Darby would have had him if it wasn't for another person says a lot. And the fact that he's actually the one that lost says a lot as well. So, and like, I agree with you, man, uh, Sammy and jungle boy really showed off. Like they weren't just, you know, even though I don't think they were necessary, like I said, in this, they were there to have a great match and they both showed off that fucking, Oh man, dude, having to take a Spanish fly, you know, Darby Allen and Sammy do that to the outside. And like they showed on the replay, one knee from fucking Darby just nails Jungle Boy in the head after they're taken down. And MJF also gets a knee to the fucking head. Like, it was brutal. It was it, a lot of good spots. The two spots I didn't like, Chris, it just looked really fucking indie after a long time of making the sequences look very flowing and actually like a fight. To grab a hold, and then another person grabs a hold, and then another person grabs a hold, another... Like, what the fuck was that? That was PWG shit. Like, I, I didn't need that. I've seen that in fucking um, Southern Honor Wrestling. It just looked cheesy. Uh, but it didn't last too long, and it was, like, a minor spot. The other spot was, we have four guys staring at each other. I'm going to let you punch me. You're going to let me... I hate that anyways. I never have. I don't think people realize that New Japan, they do it with actually pretty goddamn stiff forearms but whenever it's displayed over here by a lot of people it just looks stupid and it doesn't excel fast enough i know that they're all like worn out where it looks like it then turns into a hockey fight you're literally just standing around going hit me and someone punches him and now you're not going to even punch that person back you're going to punch the next person so it's a circle of punches the best part like i said was mjf when he Looked like he was going to do it and then thumbed to the eye and then did it to the other two people and flicked off the audience and got a big pop from them. Um, thought those were very indie-rific, I'll just say. But other than that, thought it was a fun match. Definitely the match uh, of the night and on the show. Yeah, it's kind of even hard for me to care about those two spots considering what the rest of the show was as far as indie shit goes. <laughs> Honestly, Good that, point. Was like, that was the least offensive of 
some of the other shit on the show, but yeah, I mean, you know, MJF considers himself the most professional professional wrestler, kind of to some extent. Maybe that's because Brian Myers trained him. I don't know. Uh, in this situation, so when they're doing that dumb shit, when he does the thumb to the eye, that was a fun pop. Like I actually, I mean, like as far as like a comedy spot in a super serious match goes, it was that was kind of fun. But yeah, like I, I that's I, what Piper I, would do though. Yeah, of course. She's like, why the hell are we standing here punching each other in a circle jerk? Um, as far as the grappling thing, where the four people, yeah, that's just it's stupid. I hated that as well, but uh, they gave us 28 good minutes of wrestling, so those two little indie spots are kind of a blip on the radar in comparison to the rest of this fucking pay-per-view of things I disliked. Now it's just, uh, who's next for MJF? I think that we've all thought of people that, you know, obviously we have technically something, even though he said you kidding me? I'm not fucking working um, Forbidden Door. It's like, you know, that's not worth my time or whatever. That could happen. That'll, that'll probably be separate. I already said Naito. Um, maybe that will happen. Maybe it won't. Maybe he won't even be a part of it. Who knows? But we definitely have, after that, the Wembley show and then All Out. So we need some big people. Adam Cole, someone that I've said, if they if they build up Mark Briscoe, I think he could be potentially a good person. I don't think it needs to go back to it now, but I don't think the storyline with Darby Allen is over. Wardlow has a TNT title, but the fact that he beat MJF, like the shit out of him, and has never positioned himself against MJF now that he's the champion. I know he's a TNT champ. I'm just saying that's another person, you know, that possibly could be a person to go against uh, MJF, but. Yeah, those those are my main ones, Chris, right now for possible future opponents. I didn't think about this when MJF did it at the time, and I don't think anybody did, but he kind of gave himself an out with the headspace that he was in where he might not even show up or whatever. He's like, that's the reason Wardlow beat the shit out of him, as opposed to, like, he basically just didn't try, essentially. So I think you could tell that storyline. So that one's interesting. Um, I think they're going to go with Adam Cole. I don't know that Adam Cole is the guy I would put the belt on, necessarily. I wouldn't either, but that would be a good person to feud with MJF. Who could go... We've been saying this back when they were versus each other as two of the big guys on the programs while they're on at the same time. You know, Adam Cole's now a babyface because it's really hard to dislike Adam Cole, the position that you have that maybe you know, he has Roddy which maybe MJF can hire some people to help him out but who knows if the Undisputed Era would be back within that feud, if that is a possibility there's layers, but mostly both of them are really good at fucking wrestling and both of them are really gone on the stick, so that 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 is definitely the person I, I would I would assume next but I still think MJF would have to beat that person, uh, being Adam Cole as well. A perfect guy for MJF to bring, because I, I thought it was going to be Jungle Boy, so that he could defend off all these groups. I thought the Jungle Boy was going to turn heel here, and he didn't. So if they're not going to do that, um, 
because they both hate Wardlow, if Wardlow is going to somehow get involved in this story at some point with MJF, which you think will be down the line, I would think so, right? Powerhouse Hobbs would be a good bodyguard, a new bodyguard for MJF, and a good way to build him uh, while MJF is doing his heel run. I honestly don't see MJF losing the title this year because they, they just don't have anyone built up for him. Darby, like you said, Darby is probably the closest, unless Cassidy drops that belt and they want to do give Orange Cassidy a run. But outside of that, they just don't have a true babyface. And and Darby, to some extent, I know that people hate that he loses so much. It is kind of the classic story of he's always going to be the chaser and never, always the bridesmaid, never the bride, to some extent. Because it, when he does finally win it, it's going to be like the Mick Foley moment of winning. The exactly. Title. So I think is what they're building towards. I mean, I could see at the end of this run, MJF beating a lot of the people we talked about, and then eventually, at the end of it, Darby's actually the one that beats him finally for that title. But we're talking months from now, because I don't... Why would you take off MJF? Just, like, let him rock with it. Just incorporate better storylines yeah. for the feud, you know? And, and there's still the obvious problem of, like, now Darby's champion and he's got a target on his back and he's one of the smaller people on the roster. So you still have that. Uh, and it's not like Brian, like when Brian Danielson won the title in WWE. He's a different kind of character. So it, 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 almost, it, it definitely almost goes the route of what happened with Mick Foley, where it's like, okay, well, you won the title, but guess what? Rock, Stone Cold, Triple H. Etc. You're like fourth, fifth man out, even though he's the biggest baby face. And, you know, some of the best things about, like, the best thing about most baby face runs is the actual chase itself. I'm not saying they should lose every fucking match like Darby does or tends to do, but uh, the chase is kind of super important. And to see him beat MJF, uh, that would be great. I think that'll be a good moment. Maybe they'll do that at that December pay per view, but it's definitely going to be down the line. I mean, it's kind of Sting and Flair in a lot of ways. And shoot, I mean, one thing, I love that Sting's been paired with Darby, but when Sting retires completely, is he going to still stick around and be his manager? Or is that, you know, is Darby looking at a future where he might have to go back to relying on himself? I don't know. There's a lot of interesting things you can do with this. This should have been the main event to me, Chris. Just Sting versus, uh, or not Sting, uh, Darby versus MJF just as a singles match. Or or well, this match. That would have been just this match in general, but like that would have definitely been preferable over anything. We haven't just talked to Darby. We haven't talked too much about it, but the the press conference, someone asked if MJF was basically asked if he was mad that he wasn't in the main event, and he was like, No, I don't want to roll around in fucking John Moxley's blood. <laughs> So good at fucking answering shit. He's such which a I, dick. Which I popped for really hard. And then, like, he said something about he, he, they brought it up again. He was like, I don't want to roll around in Willer Yuta's blood. And then someone, I think it was Tony, was like, Willer, I think, was the only person that didn't bleed in the match. And he was like, Well, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, he like kind of buried Tony's booking without 
breaking kayfabe. He didn't go like full on CM Punk with it, but he definitely there was slight comments that he made throughout the entire press conference. So if you're going to watch anything, actually, the press conference may have been better. MJF's part of the press conference may have been better than the actual match he had in the actual pay-per-view itself. I love it. MJF's in character. He uh, such a chauvinistic dickhead. Does everything perfectly like he's supposed to. Orange Cassidy comes out pretty much in character. I liked his part of it. And then Brian Danielson, who's in the heel group and the main heel person in charge of it. Super baby face. Who cares about kayfabe? That's the one thing they got to do. They got to figure out, all right, are you guys kayfabe or not with these fucking press conferences? Because it's kind of silly. If we have people pretend they are a part of it and then jump out of it later on. I don't know. That's just me. I think MJF did the best version of because he would talk about serious, like kind of shoot stuff, but he always wrapped it back around to like, for instance, when he was talking about why the hell would I do an open challenge? That's stupid. The champion gets the winner's purse. I don't have all these fucking matches. I'm not Orange Cassidy, (laughs) which I thought was pretty good. They are setting something up with him and Orange Cassidy, and I'm not totally against Orange Cassidy versus MJF. I think that could be fun. No, but. I'm down with that too. He's one of the biggest baby faces. You gotta, you gotta have him go through a lot of or have fused with the people that are over as a baby face. Yeah, when they started this company four years ago and had Orange Cassidy there, if someone would have said Orange Cassidy will be either, if not number one, number two, the biggest baby face, I would have told you you were full of shit, but here we are. I know, and last night, or was it Wednesday night, he tagged with Darby Allen when they started doing that again, because they know both of them are huge baby faces. Kids love them. So. Just, at this point, it's not just the kids. I think adults are starting to come around. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, come around on the, the Orange Cassidy. No, but well, I'm just saying, in pro wrestling, it's good to have kids... Sh- dressed up and they're dressing up like Darby and coming or dressing up like uh, Orange Cassidy and coming to the shows. Yeah, As you'll know with your niece. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were very sad that Darby didn't win. And I just keep telling him, like, every time Darby loses, it's just going to make it so much better when he finally does win. All right, let's talk about this main event. I mean, what the hell is left to talk about, Chris? There was a part where Matt Jackson came back and he super kicked John Moxley and they tied it great. Thank God this one didn't come off like a drizzling fart. It would have been funny if it had like just like one pew. But uh, explosives in the shoe and. Fireworks happen when he super kicks Moxley right in the face. And uh, shortly the after that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm cheated, Dane. This is the dumbest shit. So he's fighting in the back of a goddamn truck, right? He's had yeah. this goddamn dude on the entire match. Did he stop on his way down to the ring to put in plastic explosives into the bottom of his boot to do this move that only worked one time? Like, Remember last year where we had fucking Kingston coming back from out of the back like a zombie with like a, just bleeding all over the place and like a weapon in his hand 
canister of gasoline and tried to set Brian that's Daniels right. on fire. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, well, my God. He tried, well, he, this tried, one. he tried to set Jericho on fire, but Brian Danielson just happened to have him in the lapel lock at the time. God damn, dude. I mean, this was fucking stupid. I just... The only thing that was good was the after stuff with Don Callis being involved, and that's setting up at least a really good storyline for him and Kenny. And all the stuff, like, Don has been doing interviews. He was on Busted Open, and I like what he had to say about it. You know, if you look in the past, when I've been involved with Kenny, he wins championships. When he doesn't listen to me and listens to his buddies that want to fucking play, you know, he ends up losing. And he goes back with the IWGP where he was in his corner. Uh, when he came, Kenny wins the AEW champion, the mega champion, and fucking impact champion with Don Callis with him. You know, this invisible hand concept he's been going to. And he's getting heat like a motherfucker. Look at him on, like we said, dynamite. And now instead of talking about him, every American legend, you know, George Hackenschmidt and, and Gotch. And, you know, for Kenny, he's doing that with the Japanese names for Takeshka. And I hope Takeshka is his, still his protege. And I, I, I feel like him and Kenny will have great matches. Kenny helped train him along with Kota Ibushi. But what I'm hoping for is down the line, Don Callis, to go against Omega, might be in the side of a Will Ospreay for that U.S. title. You know, offer his managing abilities just to throw off and fuck with Kenny. Or Kota Bushi, maybe, if he does show up in AEW, sides with his, you know, his uh, protege against Kenny with Don Callis, you know, leading him. Another person, obviously, he's talking about him playing with his buddies and making fun of the young bucks saying that, you know, all this type of shit, you would think that CM Punk and Don Callis is a combination going against Kenny Omega would be good, but I don't think we'll see that. I'm just saying this has potential. The rest of the match was fucking stupid. I didn't care about it. Uh, yeah. It's kind of, it's crazy to think about how many good wrestlers are in this match and, wrestlers that have had great matches throughout their career for this match to be as bad as it actually was. Uh, I didn't like this at all. Whatever. I, we're going to get, there's going to be differences of opinions of mine, but like one, we had already seen, like you said, a bunch of gimmick matches and multi-man beatdowns. This is uh it, it, it is what it is. I think it's funny that they ran over the, uh, Ran over the uh, was it, uh, the the wild thing joke again, like they did. It was it was funnier when Jericho unplugged the soundboard to me than the super kick spot, but super kick spot was great. Also, that got a lot of heat. <laughs> um, yeah, was that guy in blackface? Yeah, that was the kind of thing. I th- I they didn't really focus in on him. So I thought he was like a like a Slipknot type mask or something because I don't know who the fuck this it band was. is. But uh, damn, it looked very similar to the other thing. Yeah, and Max Caster also kind of buried blackface and his rap <laughs> earlier. <laughs> no. So, so I wasn't. I, I just assumed that it was about like it was that. <laughs> Honestly, maybe he saw that guy backstage and he was like, "Dog, nah." Because it was fucking weird, it definitely popped Reddit. If if this was if this was WWE, this would have been the news item coming out of like if this was Mania for WWE, this definitely would have been the biggest news item. Um, 
but yeah, I, I don't know. That was fucking weird. This this entire match was if you like brawls where a bunch of shit happens, go back and watch that the other one that they did with Eddie Kingston. I think that match was better. Um I just I don't know. You got Brian Danielson in there, have him do Brian Danielson ass shit. Like there should have been like everyone brawls out and it's hitting him and Kenny Omega again for the first time in a while, instead of the ring. Five minutes, focus on that. And then you can switch back to all the other bullshit that's happening. Like, there's way... Even if you wanted to do this dumb of a fucking match to begin with, there's other ways to portray it that would have been better than what they actually did, so. Oh, I completely agree. Uh, I don't know what the deal... Also, also fucking Don Callis fucked up the finish. He bumps off to Keshka. Takeshka almost just like flops in front of Kenny. Luckily, he was able to like leapfrog him and still hit the knee. But like even even that wasn't good. <laughs> he had you had one job. Yeah. Uh, I don't fucking know, man. Do you think that if he gets Okada, if Okada comes in, do you think Gato comes with Okada? But yeah, that that match was crazy. You know, it just uh just had a lot going on. And they tried to catch a lot of action and there was a lot I like the storyline though that was laid out by the end of it, minus the fact that Don screwed up that one part. Because I like that he screwed over Kenny. I think this is one storyline actually that seems like it could really do a lot. And we kind of talked about the ideas of, you know, there is Takeshka, who is protege, obviously, of Kenny and, and Koda. If he goes down, you know, who could he align himself with? And Kota Ibushi's definitely one of those people, which would be very interesting. Um, I mean, ultimately, like I said, CM Punk would be a good idea. But either way, uh, I, I like... I like and how they reacted on Dynamite too was great. Like they fucking hated him. So you know. Uh interesting shit, man. Yeah, yeah, their association with Don or his association with Don Callis definitely turned the fans real quick because they've been really into Takeshka. So I was surprised that uh they were able to shift him heel so well by just putting him with Don Callis. I guess it speaks to just how pissed off people were that Don Callis has turned against Kenny. Um, so whatever they're doing in that storyline, it seems to work. Still wasn't a huge fan of the match, but then again, I'm not a huge fan of those kind of matches anyways. Um, but like you said, I think the finish storyline-wise worked out well. Yeah, yep. And um, <clears throat> I think there was also a lack of moments. You know, like like I said, that Eddie Kingston moment, I know they did the fucking, it just was so silly. Because, like, all right, what do we have last year? Like I said, Kingston coming out with a fucking gas can about to light people on fire, including Brian Danielson, who's on his team technically, who's fighting the guy he tries to light on fire, uh, and just looking like a zombie corpse. And then this one, Matt Jackson, all of a sudden, has explosives in his fucking foot. I mean, I don't want to keep on drilling the same thing, but... They should have definitely done the four way, I think, last. Maybe have that a little bit more in the middle of the of the pay per view itself. But 
um, there you go. It's it's still got a five star, you know. <laughs> five out of seven, right? Uh, <laughs> that averages to a three on the old scale. Like I, I don't. That I know a lot of people are pretty tilted about that star rating. I'm just like, whatever, man. Dave seemed like he enjoyed it. He usually kind of buries those kind of matches, so I'm surprised that he enjoyed it as much as he did. Um, yeah, the exploding boot was crazy, but make you know maybe that's not. I mean, I know it's not my style of match. Maybe it's not, you know, diehard fan t- type of match. But uh, a couple of my friends said they really liked it because they thought it was fucking hilarious. I don't know if that's what you want from your wrestling main event, but uh, a lot of people <laughs> that are just casual fans I know that ended up watching the pay-per-view seem to have enjoyed that match. Like I said, it just wasn't really for me. Yeah, yeah, no, I feel you. And kind of like this, two of the, the couple of the follow-ups uh, from Dynamite before we move over and do some uh, WWE uh, talk. Um, besides the fact that Adam, or during the fucking intergender match, we had to watch uh, Britt Baker have the lockjaw on Chris Jericho and him sell to it. Um, it was cool seeing, or, it was, and also it was cool seeing Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen. I just wish they didn't go against the Gates of Agony for obvious reasons, but I think the main stuff that we saw was that Chris Natlander went against Nyla Rose. I said it. Ty Valkyrie looked a bit more heelish, heelish or pissed off, like she did all the work and she was, you know, watching uh, Statlander. So I'm wondering if that's the direction they're going to go with that. Um, and then the Juice Robinson, Jay White, finally getting some promo time, uh, setting up them with FT- FTR for a match. That, that actually could be a feud, and all those guys can talk. Um, Juice is wacky, so he kind of fucking he works it out. But, you know, that would actually be something I could see them doing for a minute and working with it. And, of course, like I said, Chris, how do you feel about Don Callis and him, you know, turning on Omega? And do you think, like, I, like I'm thinking optimistically, this could be something – a really good storyline basically right now in AEW besides the championship pictures. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is probably going to be one of the best things that they have going for a little bit. And then whoever ends up on top, uh, cause I mean, with Don Callis's association still with Blackpool combat club to, to some extent, you know, it, once Kenny overcomes these odds, you would think that he would be next in line for a title shot. I I would think as far as names, because I'm assuming when they split brands, Kitty and MJF and then maybe even the Blackpool combat club will still be kind of locked on dynamite. Whereas collision will be kind of a cast of new characters and potential titles. But, you know, we've, we've kind of beat that, beat that into the ground a little bit as far as what, what could potentially happen once they do the brand split. I mean, everything's going to be kind of up in the air until we see what the hell that show looks like on the 17th. Crazy that's coming up and crazy it's it's happening. It's all happening. Um, and crazy we'll have to watch and cover more fucking wrestling. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we'll probably end up dropping Rampage at least, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Sweet. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Unless there's something huge, that's just connector show for the two big shows. But I will say, there's a good chance for me it's going to end up being a Sunday morning show and not a Saturday night show. I don't, I don't know 
if I can commit to that every single time. And that's one thing I'm kind of worried about ratings wise for them. I know they're, I know ratings is not the biggest thing. I know that we've kind of beat that to death, but still, I mean, that's, that's their, you know, we'll, we'll find out what happens. Saturday night is a very bad spot though, especially with what basketball games, like sport games and shit like them sport games, Chris, is that what you call it? Yeah, some. I mean, you're gonna have sports, but then also on top of that, you you have the looming of UFC and WWE pay per views taking place on Saturday. Yep, as well. And boxing. People like to fucking go out on Saturday night. You know what I'm saying? I like to get yeah. my groove on sometimes. Yeah, I don't know what the, I mean. The that's. I mean, that's kind of going to be the question: Is the are people going to? I wonder how it's going to affect WWE pay-per-views or if the, if those audience are just so separate at this point that it won't matter but uh we will know here shortly because wwe is pretty much running all their pay-per-views on saturday now so that's going to be that's going to be the intriguing thing is to see which i mean for wwe it doesn't really matter because they're not doing actual paid pay-per-views but uh, does that also mean that AEW is always their pay-per-views are always going to fall on a sunday now going forward yeah, they're switching now. They they basically WWE Saturday night and they're Sunday night now. Weird, whatever. Um, I, 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 I guess, prefer it on Saturday. Does that mean that the uh, the Clash of Champions show that they had is done on TNT? Whatever the fuck it was called. Uh, I um, would assume so. I mean, won't they just? I mean, I would I would think that they just do like a episode of what a collision or whatever and call it that. Hmm. Well, or they just put it in the same time slot with a like you know if it's going to be Clash of Champions you would and you have separate brands you would think that would be one of the times where you can have both brands kind of interact so maybe they'll do that and just throw it in the same time slot I I don't know okay well um, I mean all right so anything else that you can think of AEW before we move on to uh, go to New York basically. Not right offhand. I mean, we're pretty much we're resetting after the pay per view. That's it's gonna be it's oh. gonna be exciting to see. Let me say one more one thing. As far as a you know the fact that it's 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 a complaint that I have. I wanted to get out, and I'm glad I remembered it. As far as a follow up to your one of your biggest pay per views or your biggest, I forgot how you really uh, you know view it. With double or nothing AEW, Tony. Um, kind of lackluster. Uh, pay per view was an intergender match, like I said, uh, and no MJF on it. Second pay per view in a row. You don't have your champion following up. Um, really fucking weird format. I got to admit that. I like certain things. I said I like certain things about it. But as far as following up from one of your biggest pay per views, it kind of was like a, a little bit of a fart. But hey, you made the announcement. CM Punk's going to be in Chicago, so it's official. And then we got to listen to basically the two sides of the audience's <laughs> duel out between booing and cheering CM Punk uh, in the audience themselves. So I guess is that the demographics, Chris, that are going to be watching those two programs mainly? And then me and you who like pretty much like elements of everything? Oh, man. That's a good question because they're gonna they're gonna brand split it. So, I, do you just go to one or the other? Like, if you hate CM Punk, do you either even bother watching Collision? Yeah, and then if you and, 
The same thing if you like have issues with the Young Bucks or the Elite themselves or some shit like that. Are you going to want to focus more on Collision? It's it's a it's a weird concept. Like, and that's the thing I I don't necessarily like about it. I like the fact that there's variety with AEW. I wish they would tighten up on some of the rules per se with the referees. Uh, but other than that, you know, it's a variety show, and not you don't have to love everything about it. Uh, it's more the it's more the story progression during the fucking show that I have issue with, and sometimes the order of the matches they do. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of on the same page as you with that. I mean, I I I enjoy some craziness on on the show, like some different, more let's say more indie style. I don't need everything to be a straight WWE style or you know even a Ring of Honor style match. Like it's great to have that kind of variety. Yeah, no, but um, yeah, I just kind of thought it was a little lackluster. That's all, and I definitely think that. I don't know. I just think that you should have your champion on. They don't have collision yet, so that's not. There's no excuse there. It's like, why wouldn't you have him directly on it? I know that MJF's thing is that he shows up when they want, but I feel like even Brock was on Raw or or SmackDown after the pay per view, you know, to get at whatever started. Yeah, and sorry about that. I I tend to agree with you. Uh, I like the the fact that you get kind of a good variety of matches and a good variety of various size guys. And the biggest thing for me and has been for quite a while is just their overall storytelling. Um, right now, they at least have something interesting going on in the main event scene with Blackpool Combat Club. And uh, well, I'm calling that the main event scene is that's the primary focus of the show. Where you know MJF is obviously the champion, but that is your that's kind of the thing that they have best going for them storyline-wise. Uh, the four pillars thing didn't work for me. Hopefully, with a reset, we'll get a new opponent for MJF and, and maybe some little co- more con- cohesive storytelling. But I'm kind of like you, man. I don't want – we already have Ring of Honor for just a straight, uh, uh, more serious wrestling show. And then they're going to – I don't know what they're going to do with Collision. Um, but based on the cast that they have there, it's it's going to be a good amount of former WWE stars in a show based around CM Punk. So, or people that have directly had issues with other people on the other side, basically. If there is two sides, that's the thing that's kind of weird. It's very tribal. But what are you going to do? Uh, hopefully, everything works out. We have some good wrestling in the future. That's all I really care about. But pay per view was was a bit of a letdown and. The only one I really liked was the four-way match, and even that match at some times where it was losing me uh, with certain things. And I'm just being honest, it should have been just Darby Allen and MJF. And hopefully, like we talked about, it pivots to Adam Cole now. Um, and you have what's going on with Kenny now and Don Callis, and like you said, the Blackpool Combat Club and the Elite. That storyline, because it's good. Yeah, yep. Um God, there was one. Oh, the, as far as like the reactions that CM Punk's going getting, doesn't it really have like the John Cena feel now? Like, and that's yes. He was so Very opposite. His pipe bomb promo was specifically about how people hate John Cena or love John Cena, etc. And now he is fucking. He's gonna be the John Cena, the guy that's carrying the show. That is gonna get a split reaction from the crowd. See, and that's the thing, and I'm, I'm going to say it one more time. That's why if you have the storyline going on and the fact that we've heard uh, from Sean Ross Sapp that 
you know, there was communication between CM Punk and Kenny Omega. If we can get around that hurdle, for, C- for CM Punk to go heel, uh, one thing would be great, I think, in general, especially if he gets a bad reaction from the fans, because I think he, he is a good heel. Um, I have better heel than babyface. But if Don Callis, you know, he uses Kashka, doesn't work out, maybe he has someone else, and he can't get back at Omega, him siding with CM Punk across from Omega, like, I, like I've said, would be very interesting, and that would make some fucking money. Um, I don't know if they can get that ready for Wembley, but I'm just saying, you know, I think that storyline people would get into. Yeah, uh, it's and if they go off with some of the things that Punk has talked about wanting to do, which was work a feud with Samoa Joe, Joe's currently a heel, but are the yep. fans going to be more on Joe's side? This is the testing grounds, man. Because it, it could happen. I could definitely see people having a better reaction with Joe, just despite um, Punk. And it's too bad Chicago's not as big as Canada, Punk. Because <laughs> you're not going to have the Bret Hart reaction. It's just one city that will love you. I don't think he, he probably gives a fuck, honestly, but I'm just saying. I, you know, and he's a, good, he's a good enough promo that he could come in, do the hometown thing in Chicago, which I'm sure he's, he's going to get a huge positive reaction there regardless. Um, kind of like how uh, Danielson did with Seattle when he was the champion over in WWE with the fucking the hell was that belt called the the, the Captain Planet belt Universal Championship but it was like the vegan title so it was like <laughs> <laughs> it was like uh, made of hemp and dude that thing is still one of the best looking belts they've had in a long time in WWE it was it was cool as shit dude no no, no lie it looked like it was made by the Aztecs uh, uh but yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. Like, you know, if, if fuck, you do a couple towns and he's getting the mixed reaction, do you want another MJF type situation? Because MJF's still getting a mixed reaction right now. Uh, there's a lot of people doesn't. I mean, he's he's able to get them to turn on him, but you know, they were still people cheering him in in, in that main event match. Dude, so. he fucking thumbed all three baby faces in the eye and turned around and flicked off the audience, and they 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 popped for him. They all yeah. Like so, it's it's, it's 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 a weird one where I'm kind of I kind of lean where you, where you're at with it is well it's a good time to turn Punk heel right don't don't give him a chance to have the split reaction if he comes straight back in as a bad guy you don't really have to fucking worry about it and it could work I mean I think Punk works better heel anyways personally um the, I mean the idea of the pipe bomb and everything he did there while while it ended up being more like a Stone Cold movement was not was it really that wasn't really the idea of him turning into a, as big of a baby face as he did. And they kind of went right back to him being heel with Paul Heyman anyway, shortly thereafter that. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. If anybody can talk his way out of this bullshit, it probably is CM Punk though. Once you give him the might put the mic in his hand. Yep. Well, um, like I said, I, I guess that's uh, that was uh, AEW. So let's uh, move on. But before we move on, now that we finished AEW, and it will sound pretty relatively normal, the reason why this show is extended uh, longer than normal, so you get a super bonus big ass show, is because we're having some um, fucking problems with connecting, and uh, just kept on our, our phone calls kept on getting dropped on Skype. Might have to look somewhere else 
Fuck you, Skype. Uh, I think I've said that before on the air. Going to continue to say that. Uh, but, you know, we are going to now include WWE stuff. And since we have made it a little bit further, talk about Dominion that happened. And uh, let's just say that we're just mentioning Daniel Bryans, Bryanson. I'm just going to start it out, Chris. I know before we even talk about WWE things, but I we're getting fucking the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, apparently the king of the desert, versus the Rainmaker, Kazuchi Okada, uh, pretty much arguably the two best of their generations, respectively, um, in a fucking match at Forbidden Door. And, oh, by the way, on top of that, Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay will have their second match for the U.S. title. Yeah, it was great. I mean, great setup. I'm excited. Both Okada and Brian Danielson have talked about wanting to work together, so we're finally going to get to see it. Also excited for that Will Ospreay match. But uh, yeah, the one thing about the Brian Danielson thing, I mean, I get that it's called the Rainmaker, but he does realize that it's like more about making it rain money and not fucking actual rain, <laughs> right? He's he's he, he's just let him let him do his thing, man. He's he's fire and and Okada's water. Apparently, that's what we're going with. Well, that's yeah. It should be fun. I I kind of you know Okada was also announced for the G one, so he's going to be doing the G one, and it makes me wonder like we're going to have at least one match probably here in America. There's gonna there's gonna have to be a second match in Japan, right, with Brian Danielson because you. You would think those two are going to split. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. No, wait. Uh, are you talking about the two matches themselves? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Because eventually you're going to get. Uh, I'm not. No, I mean you can have both of them on the same show. With as far as Osprey and Kenny and, and Brian Danielson and Okada on the same show. What I'm saying is you're. They're going to. You know. They're going to do one match, but they're going to have to. They're going to do another one wherever they didn't have a match. I'm assuming it's going to be the same as what they did with, you know, Omega. Now they're going to have. I would assume when they do this Will Osprey match, it'll be at Forbidden Door for the title. So that'll be the second matches in America, right? I get what so, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see Brian Danielson, whoever wins this next one, but another Okada match in him over. In the fucking Tokyo Dome um, at a New Japan event. I think that would be really special. So, yeah, if, if we're talking about G1 um, or something surrounding it. Um, and then, yeah, we, we still have Will and Kenny. So, this is going to be another great match. I don't know. I think Will Ospreay might be getting that belt back. So, maybe that will definitely set up a third match, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, how did you like the usage of some of these newer stars, all these young lions that are finally, it's, you know, we're kind of out of money, let's pull the trigger. We kind of talked about it in our preview, but we, we saw a lot of that on this Dominion show. Yeah, man, um, I ended up downloading a shitload of some of the new talent, and I'm, you know, because I, I, I've liked um, Shooter Umino much because of the the uh, relationship with Moxley, and he was fun, even though I think he I think he got the L during his match from Okada. Um, but he's he's fun. He's he's got a he's he's got like a uh, I'm trying to think like a Takahashi meets Naito kind of vibe to him. But 
he's a small little badass. And I'm still like kind of warming up on Mastroato. I think I have been since he kind of came on the scene. Um, but like you Mora is great. Um, I'm trying to think of like, um, what's, uh, uh, Renda Rita is fucking awesome. Um, you know, even from DDT to Keshka is a, a talent that I hope maybe we can see in New Japan in the future. And, you know, the fact that Koda was his uh, master, it makes sense because they like having a lot of uh, people that were taught by other people, especially when our champion, Sonata. And I thought it was fun, uh, interesting that even on commentary with, with Kevin Kelly and uh, the other guy, uh, they were kind of like down on Sonata towards the end. And so was the audience. Like, they really wanted that new guy, uh, Yoda Suji, to win. And he was really fucking entertaining, very athletic, you know, for, for being newer uh, to the main scene. But I love the fact that he kind of freaked out Tetsuya Naito. Uh, like, all of LIJ's there, and then he puts his arm up in the air, and he's, like, asking basically for all, all of them to pound it. And, like, Naito's like, hey, motherfucker, that's my job. Like, what are you doing? And, you know, they end up doing it and just like his weird smile that he has, that's really off-putting. Um, like I told you, it was kind of like, what did I call him? Roman Nakamura or whatever. Cause he does a spear. He's kind of filled out, not as buff as Roman, but kind of similar to that. And he's got this wackiness, uh, to him that I'm really intrigued by. So even though he lost, he had a good match with Sonata. I don't know what the hell's going on with Sonata if they're all already kind of hinting at they're giving up on him or some shit, but uh, commentary is weird. They kind of, like I said, he, he won and they were like it was unexpected that he was supposed to win, or they kind of turned on him when it looked like you know, the other gentleman was gonna was was doing well. Uh, so I, it, it was it was kind of strange, but uh, yeah, a lot of young blood, man. And then you have Gabriel Kidd, and then you have um, uh, uh, Clark Connors, you know, you got a lot of great gaijin uh, talent that's new over there. And this was pretty much, Chris, here's some of the guys coming out. You know, these are new, David Finley, for instance. Even though El Fantasmo is around the same age as him, he's the definitive new leader of Bullet Club. He's a bit younger. You know, this is kind of like ushering in a, uh, the generation coming in. I guess after Okada's, but even though I think Okada's still like 30 fucking five, but still, but like, you know, that's what this whole Dominion pay-per-view seemed to be mainly about and setting up a fucking match of Brian Danielson and Kazuchika Okada. Yeah. I mean, this was just a really interesting show and I'm kind of excited to see a lot of this new stuff. I mean, you get like kind of a, some new blood in LIJ. Is this guy going to end up doing like the rock in, uh, <laughs> Got what the nation of domination kind of turn on. I got those vibes. How's that going to play out? And um, how is that going to play out in the G1? I think the new bullet club is exciting. We're getting at least a fresh take um, on the bullet club. Hopefully that goes really well. I mean, we got Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega coming up again for that title. And they had one of the best matches, if not the best match of this year so far. Uh, you know, right up there with, I, I, I'd have to go back and watch both of them, but Rhea and Charlotte was damn good too. And I, that, that one's still way up there for me. Um, but yeah, dude, like th- there's just a lot of cool shit happening. I, I'm, I've been kind of down on new Japan, so I haven't been keeping up with it as much, but 
I don't know. Maybe maybe this is going to make it come around. I like Clark Connors a lot. Good to see him get in there. Uh, this should be a, an exciting, exciting G1. I also heard Tamatanga is back. And uh, he, he's been gone for quite a while. So that's going to be cool to see what interactions he has. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it should be really good. This G1 coming up is going to be really good. I'm excited about Forbidden Door. It seems like they're getting closer to what they wanted to do at the last Forbidden Door. If there weren't as many injuries and such. So, yeah, that's it's all good shit, dude. I'm, I'm excited about where New Japan is headed. Uh, and, they, I mean, they still have a lot of people on power, too. Like, is Filthy Tom going to be back in the G1? Like... That's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Is Lance Archer gonna be back in the G one this year? Uh are they gonna expand it? Or are we gonna have more people than they normally have? It's uh all all exciting exciting stuff for sure. The Naito the Naito what I think is an impending feud is gonna be really intriguing. Because <laughs> they haven't had much for him to do uh recently. No, they haven't. <clears throat> Um, I got the uh, G1 blocks. Do you want me to uh, list the participants? Oh, sure. Okay, so they did announce the full thing because I just heard about some of the uh, talent that they 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 had announced. Some of the larger talent. I didn't get to see the full blocks. Oh man, did I lose it? Um, people are very excited by some of the people on here. A lot of young names. Still a lot of the legends. Obviously, Tanahashi's crazy because he's fucking on here. Um. But, uh, yeah, one, uh, the, the biggest pops I heard in the audience, I'll, I'll kind of like try to leave for last, but, uh, we have Block A, Kazuchika Okada, Sonata, Roshi Tanahashi, Shota Umino, uh, Toruhiro Ishii, uh, Tonga Lo, Hiroki Goto, Toru Yano, Zack Sabre Jr., this next one, when they announced, people were really excited, and he's getting over his injury, and he's headed to Japan, and I'm very excited for him, and that's Eddie Kingston is going to be a part of the G1 tournament. Renderita, Chase Owens, The Great Okan, Gabriel Kidd, uh, Shane Haste, and Yoda uh, Suji, so our, our gentleman, The Weirdo. Um, that's, that's block a, uh, Chris, I believe. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big block of people. That's why I was asking if they like were expanding it. Um, maybe that's the normal amount. I'd have to go look at last year's. Also, I do want to apologize on the prediction. I said, Ibushi, Kota Ibushi. I was thinking of Kushida who had the junior heavyweight or junior tag match on that show. Oh, uh, so. Yeah, I was gonna. Well, the only, the reason why I was like confused, I'm like, Kota Bushi just scorched her fucking Bushi Road New Japan, and basically said they were like malpractice, and the reason why he was injured and fucked up. I, I I think I said the other day when we did it, it was like you know he pulled like a CM Punk on New Japan. So, but that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, Kashida is back, and has been also on uh, Impact a lot lately. Yeah. And how, did, I'm assuming they haven't announced Block B yet. Nope, I got that right here. Oh, okay. Uh, Tetsuya Naito, Will Ospreay, David Finley, Shingo Takagi, Tonga, uh, Tamatanga, Hikaleo, Yoshihashi, Kenta, 
Tai Chi. Sorry, old joke for the show. El Phantasmo, Evil, Jeff Cobb, Aaron Hanare, another new prospect that I like, uh, Alex Coughlin, Mikey Nichols. So if you guys are fans of the Mighty and you don't know much about New Japan, uh, I, forget, I think they were like M2 or some shit like that in NXT, that's Shane Hayes and Mikey Nichols. They've been in uh, New Japan feuding with uh, fucking Aussie Open, actually, for a good bit. But uh, they're both in this. And then well, a, a big pop for this, Chris. I don't know if you know who this gentleman is. Have you ever heard of uh, Kaito Kiyo or... Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to fuck this up. Kaito Mira. Kaito Kaio Mia. Have you ever heard of this guy? Uh, it sounds familiar. He looks Is like it? he looks like Okada's little brother. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm going to go on a limb. I'm not going to bullshit. I, I, if I have, it's been a while, and I'm not sure that I've seen a, anything recent. It sounds okay, like so something this, Dave, Dave had gushed about in the, a match that he had gushed about in the past that I had went and checked out, but not sure. So this guy is kind of, he's become popular. A lot of people are excited when they said it. he got a big reaction for the G1 tournament. Um, the only interaction with New Japan he's had is he's, he's from Pro Wrestling Noah, who is definitively overall Japan, the second biggest company now in uh, New Japan. They've been kind of doing stuff as of lately together a little bit. And uh, he's a two-time uh, GHC um, champion over at Wrestling Noah. And um, he's only, I think he's 25 years old. But he's kind of like, he's compared a lot to Okada and has been pretty much his whole career. And I'm pretty sure he's influenced by him. And I only know him because I checked it out and researched it because he had a match with Okada at that um, Keiji Muto, like the last dance, whatever the fuck show. Um, he had a match with him for the first time and, and Okada annihilated him. Like he was sending a message that, you know, you need to fucking you need to step it up a little bit if you're going to be compared to me. So uh, people are very excited he's a part of uh, this tournament. Okay, so yeah, now now I know who you're, no now I know who we're talking about because um, I had seen there was a one I did one, butcher his last name, so they're, they're pretty good. Uh, yeah, so I, I know there was one match on Pro Wrestling Noah that I watched because Dave had given it like five stars, and then I definitely saw him at the Muda, uh, the Muda show. So okay, that's kind of cool. I'm glad people are excited for that. That's it's it's cool that people are excited about new wrestling talent in New Japan than. Uh, especially a lot of these young lion guys, they're doing kind of yeah. the opposite of everybody else. Of <laughs> here's some new talent, so that's uh, you know, some of these guys, like uh, some of these young lions, have been God in those dojo systems for quite a while. Like going back to when the Bucks and Kenny were still there, so four or five years. So Man, that's like, hard work pays off, I would say. Uh, block Block V does not seem as good as Block A. I will say that. How? Uh, what do you What do you think about uh, Mr. Eddie Kingston being involved in this? In Block A, we're going to see him probably. Yeah, match up with Okada, Tanahashi, 
uh, Hiroki Goto. I mean, he's going to be very interesting in this fucking tournament. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be that's going to be kind of exciting to see him match up against some of these guys and uh, you know not be able to do what he normally does. He's going to have to brawl and or instead of just brawling and leaning into some of the hardcore stuff he's done, which we've seen a lot of on AEW. It's going to be more like what he's done in the, when New Japan Strong when he was there. So that's kind of exciting. I'm assuming that the reason they're so hyped about Eddie Kingston uh, is one just because he he's he always shows so much respect for Japanese wrestling in general. But uh, second off is the fact that he you know he ended Jay White's New Japan career, so to speak, in New Japan Strong and had a pretty good run there in New Japan. Oh yeah. Strong. So uh, yeah, that he's kind of the fucking wild card there. He's God. He, in some ways, he's almost filling out the Lance Archer spot in that block. Uh, as like a brawler type type guy, obviously not the size of Lance Archer, but um, interesting. It's cool that people were so hyped about that, though. Yeah, like I said, I'm I'm going by the pop of the audience when they were announcing all the wrestlers and showing pictures on the big screen. But uh, yeah, uh, big reactions for them. Too bad. This is what I'll say because they're not. Um, I don't think either one of them are getting to the finals. That we're never going to get Eddie Kingston and Tetsuya Naito in the ring. I would love to see that stare off. Naito's smiling <laughs> right at him. Hey, Kingston just talking shit. Naito is like, a, I don't know. There's something about Naito where I just want to see him face off with so many different people just because of he, how how easily he seems to get in people's head, heads and, and the way he's able to uh, come at them. Him and Eddie Kingston would be fucking hilarious, uh, especially if you give Naito like a translator or something. <laughs> Oh, God, I just realized we're going to get Toro Yano and fucking uh, Eddie Kingston. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well. So Eddie Kingston's probably going to lose that match. Oh, There's God, a- no. He can't feel too bad. Okada's lost against Yano in the G1. I mean, it happens. <laughs> Ishii against him again. That should be fun. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Uh, it's going to be a really good tournament because like it's a lot of new guys but it's a lot of the big names uh that you'd want in this and um, it's good that both Tongalo and Tamatanga are now going to be healed up and so after this I'm assuming we can get Gorillas of Destiny back on track since they were both uh injured for a little bit of time so there you go New Japan yeah Exciting stuff, man. G1, they always seem to step everything up right before the G1. So um, the Super Juniors were really good this year as well. So, I mean, they've, they've had stuff to, to watch. It's just um, been, a, been a little bit of a lull period. So it's cool to see some of the different changes they've made. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. That's for sure. Me as well. And definitely looking forward to Forbidden Door. Well, based on uh, those matches, those two matches specifically. Um, it's going to be interesting, and I'm looking forward to seeing the card fill out. So let's let's move over. Uh, and finally, we decided to detour, Chris, from Florida. We went to Japan, and now we're going to New York or Connecticut or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
<laughs> Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, which means a whale's vagina. Nope, <laughs> I don't believe that's correct. Um, good pay-per-view. Um, I definitely liked the majority of the matches. Um, so it's it's interesting they went with the world the finals for the world heavyweight championship. I don't know if AJ had to get to a birthday party uh, for his son in Gainesville uh, the next day or something, but um, they started off with this match, and I will say this: it was a twenty minute. Uh, match, 40 seconds. Uh, really good match between Seth Rollins and AJ Styles. Uh, they Basically, the main thing was like AJ was going after Seth's legs or his uh, his right leg specifically uh, because he was trying to get him so he couldn't do this. He couldn't run and get that power to do the stomp, um, which almost worked. But in the end, he finally was able to Somehow get a uh, pedigree and then follow it up with a stomp. This was a good match. Um, it's just I wish that they, like, basically if they had this match in New Japan, it would be a lot different. Because it's if I saw this for the first time, that would be great. But they've had now three main big profile matches. And I watched the other two recently. One of them was Ring of Honor NWA pay-per-view back in 2009 i believe when uh seth was tyler black very young and at the end of it aj puts him over and says that he's a future you know big wrestler and that one was them just kind of working in the ring and and you know much much younger doing much more crazier stuff my favorite match i think from them uh is the one they had i think it was at either money in the bank or uh, one of those random pay-per-views, but they had a championship. They actually referenced this match uh, in this pay-per-view because the last time AJ had a uh, championship match back in, I think, 2019 uh, when he lost to Seth Rollins. And they kind of, the thing I'm trying to say in a very, sorry, long-form way is it was very much, very similar to that. They both got all their, their big stuff out. They did the crazy spot again where instead of doing the suplex to the Phoenix, um, well, not the Phoenix, uh, whatever the, the 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 other thing. He, he does a suplex and then he falls and then he falcons punch. I can't remember what the fuck it's called. You know what he's what I'm talking about. This is the other one. <laughs> you, were, you were close. Falcon arrow. You almost had it. <laughs> Damn it, falcon arrow. They did the one where I think that Seth only thinks or would want AJ to do this because he could pull it off, but where he does it the opposite way and then follows it up with basically um, like a 1916 or, or a just Scorpion Death Drop, uh, which looked cool. I, I thought these guys had a good match. I just, like I said, you know what I'm saying, Chris? I mean, they had a great 20-minute match. You know, it was fine. Seth won. I think all of us thought that because, well, I don't know. There's no way they're going to bring fucking AJ's whole entire group now um, onto Raw for that title. That would make absolutely no sense. AJ had a great match with Seth, but I don't know. I, 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 am I being selfish right now? Am I being a cunt? But it was it was so similar to the last match they had like a couple of years ago. Well, I mean, I would just keep in mind that this is going to be, this is what, AJ's first real match back? 
you know, anything longer than like a, a eight minute TV match. That's a good so point. There, there's that. And then on top of it, the crowd was just not super into it. Yeah, and that's true. That's, that's a, you know, that's a hard thing to get over regardless of how much shit you do in the ring. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, they were very similar, but that, that could have just a lot to do with AJ's just kind of coming back into the fold. Uh, and, and I, you know, the other thing is just the believability. I think a lot of people just kind of knew Seth was going to win. Um, yeah, so that always kind of hurts a match a little bit, too. But maybe this is not the last one we will see of these two. Hopefully not. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a good match. Uh, the crowd didn't help it. They weren't super into it. They do get into the show later on, though. Uh, there was a few ma- matches where they were super into it. I just did, They didn't really seem like they were super into this particular match. And, and that could be for various reasons, but the in-ring work and stuff, I, you know, it was a good match. Yeah, yeah, it was a good match. I, I'm, I'm not trying to like, you know, down it too much, but I'm just saying, like, I guess because I watched it fresh, I was like, okay, that's cool. But I don't know what I was expecting. You know, WWE has a different style, I guess, and uh, it fit with it. But still, excellent match. And Seth Rollins, we'll talk more about it, is your inaugural World Heavyweight Championship. Inaugural, I say, Chris, because apparently this one, even though it is supposed to be the World Championship and obviously is an homage to the big gold belt, it's new and does not share its lineage actually at all. So what the fuck's the point of it if it doesn't have that... Oh, I don't fucking know. Um, I've been fucking. I've been asking that fucking question since it was announced that they were doing a third belt. Which is why didn't you just have Roman lose one of the fucking belts that he has? Uh, well, undisputedly, he has two different belts that were put down in the one belt, but it's not undisputed because Seth has a fucking belt. So, um, uh, it's, I. Uh. <laughs> Also, you know, the the other thing that hurt this match uh, is just, like, fucking, I get it, the psychology of it, but I don't know that anyone in Saudi really wanted to see AJ just work the fucking leg. Not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, you could, you, could be, you could be right about that. I got the reasoning, though, for it, because it kept on fucking Seth over in the long run, but, yeah, I mean, I think everyone was kind of, if you were expecting a lot of fun moves and, and seeing them do what they do. I mean, I think you got exactly what you wanted. So, and they both can throw a punch a lot better than a lot, some of the guys in the industry, especially AJ. Yeah. AJ is so good, man. Yeah. He's fucking still great. It's uh, so, so hopefully we get, we get one good, one good last run with AJ. Cause he's, what do you say? He was, he was hanging up when he was 48, right? That's what he said. Yep, we're here. We're here. That's this. That's this year. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know what we're gonna do. But if he if he was serious about that, then the time time's running out. <laughs> on, on I whatever. would love to see him with the title one last time. Um, I yeah. for a second there when they were doing the storytelling in the match, I was you know I was like, well, you know, if AJ does win here. That at least sets up something for them to do on Raw with uh with the with the, un, the unforgiven the, the, the <laughs> God damn it I do this every time 
Oh, God damn it. Backlash. Vengeance Day? Damn it. Back, Backlash. Yeah. It's not Vengeance Day either. What the hell is it? Now I can't remember. Is it Vengeance great, Day? Great Balls of Fire. Um, <laughs> no, that was the – yeah. <laughs> Whatever the Rhea's, Rhea's group – and I'm just going to start calling it Rhea's group at this point. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, whatever true. their whatever their group name is, I thought it would at least set up something. You know, you'd have like the the club versus them or something for a little bit. But uh, they found something for them to do related to Seth, yeah. so it all it all worked out regardless. Yep. Um, like I said, Seth's the champ. Uh, or very happy that he did his uh, his his finisher to help win the match. Triple H came out. And put the new world heavyweight championship around uh, Seth's waist. So that was that was that. And then we had a match with Trish Stratus and Becky Lynch. And I honestly, unfortunately, could not tell you that much that happened from this. Besides the fact that Becky's face looked like five cats attacked it all at once afterwards in pictures. It was scratched the fuck up. She got her nose busted open again, which happens to her a lot and uh, I don't remember what spot Trish would have been able to do that damage but I mean I definitely saw her afterwards uh, she put it all, all online and she had scratches everywhere uh, so it was uh, it was interesting but Trish won because oh damn I can't remember her name she's now new to Raw from NXT been a big fan of her she turned heel oh man I'll look that up, Chris, if, if you don't know her name. But she interfered with the match, and she aligned herself with Trish. And it looks like this is probably going to be more so what Trish is going to be doing, having matches a little bit and kind of helping this new girl out uh, get acclimated to the, the main roster. Yeah. Wouldn't it have made more sense just to use Bailey in that role as opposed to bringing Trish back? I mean, I get getting Trish for Saudi and for Mania – but like going forward, Trish is just going to be a manager, I guess, because uh, they had a, they did follow up on Monday Night Raw to this as well. Um, yep. But they didn't do a good job of Becky actually explain like them actually explaining anything. But yeah, that seems like where the storyline is going. I don't remember much about this match except I didn't like it very much. I, yeah, I, I honestly could not tell you what the fuck happened in it, but. Yeah, and I don't know. I I didn't see the pictures of Becky afterwards, but I mean, God, Trish just had like what three matches in the past twenty years, <laughs> or something with something like fifteen years. So I would assume that she just laid something in too snug. I could be wrong. Yeah, I. You know what? From what I remember, she didn't she take her face and just started dragging it all over the mat and shit like that. She might have just gotten like basically like rug burn or tarp burn, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, doesn't this seem kind of like a waste of Becky to some extent? Zoe Stark is the uh, female. Yes, a little bit actually. I'm glad that as of last night, she's one of the people in Money of the Bank. Uh, but I don't think she's gonna win it. So, you know, and and they still were having you know Trish and Zoe check her out during the match and, and watch from the top of the ramp. So um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think Becky is now at a point just like a certain other females are on the roster where now it makes sense to have the titles on Rhea Ripley 
and Bianca, or even Oscar for right now, to have Bianca chase. Um, Becky, she can have a fucking match with someone or a few with someone and be separate. So put her in something a little more interesting. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yep, I I agree. Um, I mean, I guess this is going to lead up. I'm assuming Zoe Starks is also going to be a money in the bank, and then they neither will win, and that will just continue that feud down the line, just based on how they normally do things at Money in the Bank. Yep, I agree. All right. Um, I mean, and 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 we we kind of knew why he won the Battle Royal. I mean, let's just kind of be plain about it, but. Saf Ali had a match with Gunther for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. Regardless, if if it was a certain way, um, I didn't care. I think that Ali got an amazing reception. Uh, you know, he's been at these before, but he was definitely kind of bringing in that baby face, you know, pop. Uh, he is, I believe, Pakistani, uh, Muslim. Uh, so, and, and, you know, we would see that later really displayed and kind of in a nice way, kind of like we, we said there was a bunch of female matches. Some of them didn't even, you know, have to have a championship involved, uh, on this thing. There is somewhat a progression and, and a lot of bad stuff actually, but at the same time, the fact that even though Sami Zayn Syrian that they finally, you know, absolved that and that he came and that he got the reception he did. So the same thing kind of goes from Mustafa Ali, who's Pakistani, you know, a little bit different, but, you know, very political over in the Middle East. And they kind of were, were hometown heroes. Now, Mustafa Ali, he still had an 8-minute 35 match, but it was kind of rock match-ish, if you will, like when it comes to like with a smaller dude. He was having a lot of hope spots, um, and I thought he had a good match, but inevitably Walter caught him, if you will, and um, you know, and got the win. But I don't know. I I, I really do like Mustafa Ali. I just he just gets terrible gimmicks. Like this last one was basically DDP's like Mister Positive fucking bullshit one from years back. Uh, and even getting cut off this last time, having like a really fired up promo, getting caught, cut off by Brock Lesnar, told him to fucking grow up. I don't know. He's he's really talented in the ring, and he's got a lot of passion. Ex-police officer from Chicago. You know, everything that I've talked about. I, I'm glad he popped up on NXT. You know, maybe maybe we can see him kind of flourish down there and get a little bit more... Um, invigorated before he comes back to Raw or SmackDown, Chris. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Gunther's awesome. Yeah, Gunther's awesome. I thought the match was pretty fun for, for what it was. Uh, much like you, I would, you know, I thought maybe they would do a swerve uh, and have Mustafa win. They didn't. Um, but as far as, like, what you do with him going forward... Uh, a reset in NXT is not the worst thing for Mustafa Ali, and like you said, it's it's because they can't they've never decided on what gimmick they want the guy to have, and uh, most of the time they throw him in there like Dolph Ziggler to just have good matches with people. So that's kind of a hard thing to overcome 
I mean, some of that is that, you know, if Vince gives you something, he wants you to do the best you can with it, regardless of if it sucks or not. And I don't know that he's all been able to do that. It doesn't help when you just have Brock Lesnar come out and kill it. Like, <laughs> but at, at the same time, you know, uh, I, I, it's kind of like Ricochet. I think they have like similar kind of paths so far in WWE, unfortunately. Yeah. I think Ricochet's had a couple more title wins, but I mean, yeah, you're right. They're, they're kind of delegated to that high flying guy that we have in matches. Um, but as of lately, I think Ricochet's gotten better and I'm hoping the same thing happens for Ali. Uh, with Ricochet though, uh, Braun is injured. Uh, wait, did we talk? I think you're the one who brought that up. So, uh, yeah, we talked about it, uh, on the show before we did this show, uh, they combined into two shows, but yeah, he had a, it's a C3, C4 neck fusion surgery. So he is going to be out for some time, which sucks because him and Ricochet as a team, that was actually kind of a fun Fun little duo in the tag division of WWE. They were doing the, uh, the, the their finisher was the throwback to uh, Andre and um, Superfly with Ricochet jumping off the shoulders. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, it, and I think that Brian Alvarez brought this up, but he, you know, he basically said that this is kind of one of the better versions of Braun we've seen in a long time. And I would agree with that up until Braun got hurt. He was... I don't know. They, he seemed different. Like he was more excited to be there and was really kind of giving every, giving each match his all, even when it, when it was just like tag matches. So sucks that he's injured. Well, I'll and, oh, sorry. No, no, it's okay. I was just going to say it sucks as he's injured and definitely send him a, a speedy and healthy recovery. Well, I'll tell you why. Actually, I can't do a Braun impression. I'll just say that I might have something to do with the fact that he got his job back with WWE. He's like, I'll do whatever. I'll I'll let I'll let a crocodile have sex with me on television. Just fucking tell me to do it, you know. So, yeah. Well, I mean, he did go work with what EC3 for for and empty Chuck E. Cheese's or whatever for like a couple days. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe he realized that no. whole indie shit's not what it was cut out to be. Uh, this is a wrestling cult. Why the hell's Austin Aries here? God damn. All right. Um. Next match. I actually like this match, and I, I thought the ending was creative because I'm pretty sure I've seen Muda do this before. Or maybe it was Kabuki. Like, I've seen videos of him spraying the mist all over his hand and then kind of, like, uh, doing, like, a mandible claw type of thing. But we had a big upset. Bianca Belair, she's gotten the record. The fact that this happened with her and Jade, where they both like got dominating records and then got <laughs> directly after, uh, uh kind of weird. That's Anyways, Oscar, Bianca, they had a good match. It was 15 minutes, and inevitably Oscar went for the miss, completely missed her with the miss, and got a second chance, and that did it again to her hand. And basically just raked her eyes with it. Bianca, you know, couldn't see shit. And then uh, got her and uh, I believe tapped her out. And now Asuka, that no one is ready for, of course, is our champ. Um, she's, no one's going to really, 
it's gonna be like it, it like like Muda basically. Like no one's gonna really fucking go against her. They're gonna cheer for her, but she's definitely evil. I would say, or or a little bit more evil, Chris, uh, than before. Yeah, that did not come over across on the show very well, though. And like, I think that they expected people to be like sadder that Bianca lost with a with the crowd reaction, but she's you know, got the heat. From audiences in Puerto Rico and now Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I think it's just the, you know, we have we have three people that have these long extended title runs at this point. So, you know, not taking anything away from Bianca or her run, but you also have, you know, Romans on a thousand day fucking run. You got uh, Walter, who's on a huge run with the Intercontinental the title. Usos broke the record before they lost them. Yeah, it's so if you have everyone fucking doing it, then it doesn't really mean anything, right? I think that's part yeah. of the problem. And the other part of the problem is, is unfortunately for Bianca, uh, there wasn't a whole lot for her to do during this run. No. So, yes, yeah. you know, I don't think that the fans, you know, are necessarily tired of her. Maybe they just, I think they're more excited about Asuka. Honestly, and that's it's a hard situation to be in. So now Oscar has it. I like I like you uh, thought that finish was pretty creative. And that's it's kind of cool storytelling, because every time Oscar has tried to hit Bianca with this mist in a fucking match, she's missed. <laughs> so thought that was a little bit of cool storytelling between those two. And uh, we'll see what's next for Oscar. You would think that someone who had a reign as long as Bianca, she would have like at least a rematch clause. But we're queuing oh, into yeah. Money in the Bank, right? So is is Bianca gonna do the thing where she has a title match, loses, but is also in the Money in the Bank, or are they just gonna bypass that altogether? I'm assuming that she's not winning the title directly back from Oscar. Yeah, I don't think so. Here's a question. I kind of miss this version of Bianca. I I miss the NXT Bianca that when she was heel and then when she was also kind of a snarky baby face, like out of the rock before she was, you know, what, and she's been great in the WWE and she's been much more like a smiley baby face, but like the, the one that would be like, you don't even go here. Like that attitude, Bianca Belair. All I'm saying is, if she's not getting the, if she's not getting the reaction from the audience she's supposed to be getting, I I would not worry about turning her heel or letting her at least kind of go more in that snarky direction because I kind of want her with a little bit of an edge. I think she's better like that presented. Yeah, and they, and they kind of did something similar with Sasha. If you remember Sasha's character when she first came in, and then kind of she became more of like a, a you know, pure clean-cut baby face as opposed to what she originally was. And, and the fans kind of turned against that as well. So I, I think that just has a limited time period you can get away with it in WWE. Unless you're like fucking Sami Zayn, I guess. But, yeah, it's... it's it's a tough thing to do. And also, people just love Asuka. Like, people never stopped loving Asuka. She's got the Jeff Hardy fucking charisma. I think that yeah. that's... It's going to be the thing that's going to, you know, be the hardest to get over is Asuka as a heel. 
because she fucking started as a heel in NXT, and by the end of her 700-day run or whatever, people were still cheering for her. So that's just uh, – it, it might be good for Sasha to interact with, you know, the Rias of the world for a bit. Um, well, she can't even do that because they switched brands or whatever. I'm trying to think of, like, who she could have kind of a sidebar After. feud with. After Bianca, well, hmm. she's SmackDown, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, because yeah, because because Rhea has was on Raw, so I'm a, you know I'm not good with keeping up with these splits right after they happen. But Rhea's on on Raw, right? Yep. Oh, you're right about so, that. So yeah, yeah. So oh, you know Charlotte? who I want? I want Io. Because they already kind of hinted at that. They've already had two stare-offs now. Um, I believe EO has potential to win the Money in the Bank. I don't know if she will or not, but I definitely could see her since Kana and EO have, you know, have had a past uh, to kind of go into that. And then we can see their two crazy asses fucking destroying each other. I don't think EO would win. I think Oscar would continue, but that could still get EO, you know, to another level to have some big matches with her and they've had a pass. So I'm sure they have chemistry. Yeah. I mean, I, that I could see that for sure. For I'm, I was more talking about what are you going to do with Bianca? You know, oh. I'm assuming they're going to do the rematch. And then once you yeah. know, she loses the rematch, what, how, who's there for her to feud with? I don't think anyone wants to see her and Bailey anymore. Um, God, I don't know. Maybe she needs to be a heel. Maybe there'll be more options that way. I can't, I, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. May, I mean, maybe that's the, uh, I don't know. Cause you do have Bailey who had the, what the longest reign for a while as well. Maybe that's, she's like, I, maybe they buddy up. Maybe Bailey's like sucks. Doesn't it? People turn against then, you. No one cares. Maybe that's the way you turn her heel. You could do stuff there, I guess. But, yeah, I, I just don't know unless Charlotte comes back to SmackDown because you need someone high profile to go against Bianca with whatever you're going to do with Oscar with a title. In the meantime, I'm trying to find directly the roster for SmackDown, um, so we can. All right, so female stars. So, yeah, Charlotte is someone on there. Could be... Like, our big player is basically Oscar's the champion. You got Bailey, you got Bianca, you got Charlotte. Uh, Kind of EO, kind of Lacey, probably not. Um, Shotzi's on there. Uh, Zelina Vega's getting a big push right now. Um... Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, no offense to the ladies. I'm not saying, but none of them are in any position compared to the ones that I have said. So, uh, and I'm trying to think of like anyone that could be like maybe from NXT coming, but Gigi Dolan maybe, possibly. Uh. I definitely think that you could put Zelina Vega in a in a. Who, what is she? On? She's on SmackDown. 
in a program with someone, but if it's Bianca, it's not going to make much sense because they're both baby faces unless Bianca flips. And I don't know if I want to necessarily see her and Oscar. I think Oscar, Oscar and Io, Oscar and Charlotte. You know, there's other interesting, interesting. Uh, I would think Oscar and Charlotte is the goal for the near future, right? Yeah, because you had Oscar lose at Mania to Charlotte. She hasn't really gotten her roses since then against Charlotte. So that, I mean that that in itself makes a lot of sense. Also, like what the Charlotte did one match and she's fucking gone again. Like what? What is going? Have you heard anything with Charlotte? Like what is? Is she on the I've fucking a lot Undertaker? Of <laughs> yeah, I've seen her in a lot of uh, beach pictures uh, with her hubby. She's um, on constant vacation. Pretty much. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm assuming that she'll be at like SummerSlam. I would think SummerSlam Oscar versus Charlotte. Yeah, that would based be a on, great match. Based on, the, based on the roster that you just gave me, you know, but who who knows? Well, and then there's also, uh, I don't see either one of them, but the only people I could see coming up, Anytime soon is Cora Jade, Roxanne Perez, or Nikita Lyons. And um, I don't know why they would jump in a picture or, or feud with the ex women's champion or the current women's champion SmackDown. Yeah, and the other thing is they've depleted the women's roster on NXT again by bringing a lot of people up already. That's the yep. that's the other thing. I, I don't think it's too late to rehab Sh- Shotzi. Maybe that's no, somewhere no, no. you could go, but... Yeah. Um, and then, the, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting Raquel. So there's another great baby face to throw into stuff. Raquel Rodriguez, unless she's raw, which her and Shotzi were on a tag team. I don't fucking know. I mean, shit. Let's just, just mention it right now. <laughs> so we get the brand split and the what the second is this the second one where the brands have been split, Chris? Right. And uh, AJ Styles comes over to hang out. Hi, man. I'm just stopping by. I'm going to Gainesville, and somehow ends up in the main event in a match with Seth Rollins against Damian and Finn. Uh, I mean, I I I I like the the attempt with Paul Pierce. <laughs> Yeah, talking to Triple H and trying to work it out and stuff, but like, I mean, that has Vince written all fucking over it, and like, didn't take long. Is all I gotta say. I mean, it's cool having AJ and fucking Seth in a in a tag team together, but what the fuck? Yeah, but I mean, it, I know that they like to do that where they put like two people that are about to face each other in a tag team together because WWE's been doing that shit for forever. Well, but, this is after, you know. That's that's the dumb point. This is the night after it. Yeah. Uh, weird. We'll we'll go with weird on that. I just I don't get it either. So uh, Vince wasn't raw, so who knows? It was in Connecticut, right? Hey, pal. Ugh. Whatever. All right. Well, um, let's let's continue with the actual thing. Uh, Rhea Ripley. Oh, let me ask you a question, uh, Chris. How much money would it take you to get on a plane, 
go all the way to fucking Saudi Arabia, do a couple things, I'm sure, during the daytime, probably a little bit of promotion stuff, then go and go into a match, uh, get your ass kicked by a champion for a minute, uh, and then go in the back, get ready to leave, and then jump on a plane to go back to the U.S. How much, how much money would you want to be paid? Hopefully Natalia got that. Uh, I'm sure that, I'm sure Natalia got paid very well. She, uh, probably, she probably had no problem with it, but she is a badass for doing stuff like this because we all know she's fucking great. So, but you know, my answer is a lot. Whatever Brock's getting paid. <laughs> uh, all joking aside, this the women's issues in Saudi. Natalia has been kind of she's been in every one of these shows right since the beginning as far as I can remember so I know that that is close to her heart so that kind of plays I think is it has more of the reasoning of why she would be there and um, all of the video packages and stuff they they show kind of tend to have her going and doing things in the community so yeah that's the reason she's there and hopefully she is being well compensated for it because she did just straight get her ass kicked and she is a liaison for the company and has been for a long time, especially over in Canada, uh, promoting and, and, and being on whatever they can get her to promote on. <clears throat> but you would think <laughs> Natalia would be treated within the women's division the way Tanahashi is in New Japan a little bit. But. I mean, you would think, but when Natalia's held the belt like what three times in her entire career, and she's been wrestling since what two thousand six or something in WWE. Yeah. I mean, she's been there for forever. So if they were going to do some kind of big push for her, it would have already happened at this point. And that's but nothing I love against Natalia. Natalia. Yep, me too. And she's a badass, and I mean, this helped Rhea, and that's really all that they were trying to go for. Dominic is not over in pretty much every country, by the way. Uh, (laughs) God, he's getting nuclear heat. It's amazing, because like I said, it's like on AEW, the people that can really get heat, other than MJF, who gets a lot of, like, you know, positive reaction too, is all older dudes. It's it's fucking Don Callis, Jeff Jarrett, and Christian. I don't think Christian would be happy with that, but whatever. Uh, and I mean, Dominic might not, might not be able to talk like them on the mic, but he just, he, he brings it with the heat. Like the one that beat my Celtics fucking Chris. <laughs> Sorry about that, buddy. They almost yeah. made a miraculous comeback after all that. Don't call it a comeback. They've been here for years, but, uh, yeah, he does. He's kind of he's he just gets heat wherever he goes. I think that just shows how much people fucking love Rey Mysterio, though, to some extent. <laughs> right? Oh yeah. So you he had that great baby face, and that goes back to what we were talking about with AEW. Like they don't have that. The closest thing they have to that is probably Darby. Yep. But but Darby just consistently gets his ass beat, um, and he doesn't have the legacy of. <laughs> A Rey Mysterio, so it's it's a uh, it's a weird one. That and Rhea is just fucking really great. So she uh, is fans, great, man. Fans are just buying into uh, 
to how good she is. And they're just, I think, playing along with it more than they normally would for a lot of other heels. Because it's definitely not working the opposite way with fucking Finn and Damian Priest. Which I am glad they're going to do whatever they're doing with those two because it's whatever they have them in right now, this the group or whatever, it's just not, fuck, they're not getting any real heat. They're kind of just afterthoughts of like Rhea and Dom being together. Yep, I agree. They could split up at any time. I think they'd be fine. Um, well, not keep Dominic with Rhea, but I'm just saying all three of those people. Uh, but either way, all right, let's move on to the... Are you going to say something? Yeah, I was just real quick. I was going to say um, I, I like that they're teasing that Damian Priest might be the baby face in this situation. Because I... I yeah. I'm, I'm excited for Finn Balor to go full fucking heel and see what we can do with Damian Priest. Because uh, in NXT, yeah. when he was more of like uh, the babyface character, I think it just worked better for him. So if they're going to bring back some of that, then I'm, I'm totally down for that, which we kind of saw on Raw. Yeah, he kind of had like this 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 Dracula meets Razor Ramon vibe that was kind of cool in a. Uh... In NXT, he was such a. Remember when he when he ended the match and just like went outside with his leather pants and jumped in a fucking hot tub with a bunch of chicks. Uh, that was that yeah. was that was cool to me. <laughs> yeah, he seemed he came off more like a razor like a razor Ramon type guy. Uh, this the, the entire group outside of Rhea and Dom has never worked for me. If I'm being completely honest, so. Uh, See, I've had one out, odd man out. I like I like Damien with them, but I I don't really know why Finn's in the group, uh, at least for me. But man, and uh, did did Seth punk his ass out? That that kind of sucked. I mean, I, I'm sure they knew the dialogue going in, but how he's like, you know, how Damien's like, you're gonna have the shortest uh, title reign in in WWE history, and he's like, it can't be any shorter than your buddies. Talking about Finn. Ooh, Ugh. that was insane. Yeah, that was fucking rough. Uh, and then they I, they did set up the storytelling with Seth doing the fucking buckle bomb on the outside, which looked terrible, by the way. Like, that I looked know, like it, it fucking sucked <laughs> for Damien Priest. And, and people forget, Damien's kind of like a, a DDP, if you will, of his generation when it comes to, like, he's, he's what, 42, 43? actually much older so i don't know why the hell he agreed to taking that spot at all uh, i don't either because he's had shoulder and chest injuries in the past i was watching him do some fucking nintendo switch game with uh austin creed like a sports type game where you have to lift your arms above your head and he was talking about how like it's really hard for him because of this injuries he's had and then he takes this bump and i'm like oh jesus christ dude okay so he's 40 so yeah, still. Three-year difference in what I fucking said, but... Anyways, um... Brock Lesnar. Cody Rhodes. Second match. Nine minutes, 40 seconds. This is pretty much what I thought was going to happen in some way, uh, former fashion. Now, I kind of predicted that Triple H would get involved, and I'm not still 100% down on what I was saying could potentially be Cody's biggest enemy coming out. And that's Hunter revealing himself because he was at the big celebration for Roman, 
Um, you know, I'm just saying. Uh, but anyways, Brock, I thought he was going to come out and, and throw in the towel for Cody, but Cody and Brock, they had a match. Cody, I mean, it, it was definitely, I'm assuming, plastic, you know, spray-painted with, like, a metallic-looking thing, but I guess realizes, oh, shit, I got a metallic or metal cast and starts just beating the shit out of Brock Lesnar with it. I don't know how that's not a weapon. Whatever. Uh, I'll just go with it. And at first, it definitely gets Brock. Um, but inevitably Brock is able to, I think if they, if I'm not mistaken, they set it up where Cody got him, uh, and, and kept on doing multiple, uh, crossroads and then Brock caught him in, uh, the Kimura essentially from that. I think that was it. I might be mixing up matches. Apologize. This was a weekend and, and, and a little while, you know, extra ago. So, uh, either way, Cody, he almost reversed it. He, I mean, he stripped the damn thing. I mean, Cody's arm would be literally bent the fucking half if this was real because he takes all the goddamn metal, quote unquote, off of him and puts him in the lock. And, you know, he won't tap out and then finally ends up passing out of pain a la Bret Hart and Austin. And, like I said, besides the fact that I got to bend, you know, reality a, a bit uh, and and be like, oh, yeah, Cody's arm must be made out of fucking, like, adamantium or some shit because it didn't break while he had him in that hold. Same time, it, 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 still, it, it still worked storyline-wise. And, uh, you know, it's kind of set up that, I think Cody and Dominic are going to have probably a small feud based on what happened on Raw from last night. Um, and if that's the case, I think that's going to be good for Dom and a good person to have in between. And then you set up Brock. Maybe Brock causes Cody a match with Dominic and Dominic fucking wins. Um, that would be actually some major heat for both Brock Lesnar and Dominic. And, uh, I, I don't know if I want that to happen, but I just thought of that, and that, that that's kind of crazy. Anyways, inevitably, Chris, Brock, Cody, SummerSlam, Cody beats him. Maybe in a cage match or last man standing, something like a, a final match, you know, but Cody's still doing some great promos, sounding like his dad with basically absorbing the whole entire dictionary right before he's about to talk. Yeah, so this was a good match. I mean, it was a, it was mostly storytelling type of match, and it kind of went the way that I thought it was going to go, which is that Brock was going to win unless there was some kind of weird – well, either way, I still thought Brock was going to win. And it's mostly just because Brock is, for whatever reason, is super over in Saudi. So they we didn't really get the uh, – I don't think they got the sympathy that they wanted for Cody uh, per se, but – uh, interesting to say the least. It was fine. It wasn't the best match I've ever seen. Definitely wasn't the worst. Uh, Cody on Raw was good. If I'm Miz, I'm coming out and I'm trying to break fucking Cody's other arm, though, because he's just amused by what's going on on Monday Night Raw. And Cody just hits him in the head with a cast. <laughs> Knocks him clear out. Like That's uh, a dick move. What it, what it, <laughs> when, are, when are we going to get... Miz, you know, they like to do these little mini runs with Miz. Are we completely done with those forever, or are we eventually going to see him do something? 
it might maybe this is the time. Cody's got Brock dead to rights, and how comes Miz? I doubt it. I doubt it. But I feel kind of bad for Miz. His entire gimmick now is to host one of these things and get his ass whipped. Yeah, I agree. He's he's definitely another one that he does whatever they say. I'm sure he gets paid very well to do it, but he's always media friendly. He does these reality TV shows and shit. You know, he's just a great company guy. And I, I really hope, because, I don't know, I, I still think, like, people talking about his in-ring work and that always being, like, a crutch to be able to say that he sucks or whatever. I, I, I don't think he's that bad in the ring. He's always, he's very safe. He fucking, you know, he's pretty damn fluid with the stuff he knows. He's not, yeah, he's not fucking Okada. Who gives a shit? What he is, though, is one of the best guys on the mic of his era, and he's credible. He's an ex-world champion. People know who he is outside of fucking WWE because the real world and MTV and all that challenge and that fame. So, I don't know. I, I just hope, like, because he will go in the Hall of Fame, but I hope that put some respect on that name, on um, his name. Give me a break. Yeah, I mean, I get the people. He doesn't suck in the ring, but he's not, you know, he's not fucking making any top 50 lists of greatest wrestlers of all time or anything. Uh, he does what he does very well. I think that you could do something cool with him, though, him and Cody, for sure. I don't think they're going to go that route, but it was just interesting that they set all of this up for Miz to get an ass whipping. I just feel bad for the guy to some extent. He was a former champion a long, long time ago at this point, <laughs> as far as heavyweight championships go. Well, he did cash in the money in the bank two years ago and won it for, like, what, two days? For Bobby Lashley? Oh, God, um, I forgot that, that he they just gave him a sympathy run. Maybe they'll give him another one. <laughs> yeah, a sympathy run that. for two days. Hey, <laughs> hey, but seriously, Miz still came out. WrestleMania to Nas. So. Oh, you know what's crazy? So when I was watching the Conan O'Brien thing I was telling you about, which is just two hours of Conan O'Brien interviewing wrestling wrestlers, uh, one of them was Vince McMahon, and this would have been late 90s. He comes out to hate me now on the Conan O'Brien show. What, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so that was kind of just crazy to see. Cause when I, when I think about that in wrestling, I do think about Miz jumping through those fucking inflatable, the Miz letters at <laughs> mania when he wrestled Cena. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, all right. All right. Uh, anyways, uh, last match. And then this will kind of end the show, uh, talking about the, the, the stuff to follow up with the, the trial and tribulations of the bloodline. Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Usos are not supposed to be there. They're not supposed to be there. Going against Roman Reigns and Sol Sokoa with Paul Heyman. Uh, this is for the tag belts. Roman was trying to get those tag belts, and since he didn't trust his cousins, he was going to do it himself to get him back to the bloodline. And good match. It definitely slowed down a bit in the middle of it, uh, but it definitely picked up. But I think the storyline, obviously, is the ending with the Usos coming in. And they were, like I said, asked not to 
even come to Saudi Arabia by the tribal chief, and they wreck house, and they take out uh, Roman, uh, or not Roman, they take out Kevin Owens, I should say, outside. They move on to Sammy. They go to super, double super kick him. He gets out of the way. They hit Solo Sokoa, causes chain reaction, and Roman, who's on the outside, figures out what's what happens, starts freaking the fuck out. He's pie-facing both guys, and then he starts really just driving it to Jay, and Jimmy fucking super kicks him right in the face. And Jay, I mean, this was like out of a goddamn gangster movie. It's so great how they're doing this. Like, you know, not only are they great wrestlers, but pulling off this performance, and I am captivated by it. And Jay's grabbing Jimmy like, what What? What did you just do? And Jimmy's like, what you should have done a long time ago. Like, I've been telling you. And, you know, he tells him to get out of the way, and then he gives friggin' Roman another super kick to the face. Uh, Paul, great facial reactions, of course, from Paul Heyman throughout it. And that ends up causing the downfall, and Solo takes the L. Roman technically gets a loss because of his cousins. And we'll go into the next two parts uh, leading up from this, but just based off the pay-per-view, match was good. I'm not going to say it wasn't. It, like I said, it was a little slow, but once again, man, that storytelling that this family is able to do and everything it's touched that kind of drives back to it, you know, especially with Paul Heyman being involved, but like how Cody kind of is branched off of this storyline and Brock a bit, you know, uh, the whole reason that, that they have a title for Seth is because of Roman's dominance with his championship. Like it kind of all filters back in a way to this and a lot of those storylines, uh, some of the better ones. And, you know, it's just now the Uso, it, the bloodline is, is kind of, uh, done right now. Chris, and it gets worse. Yeah, there, there. This was for me. This was the best match on the show. Um, maybe not the best worked match, but best storytelling. And sometimes that's all that matters. And once again, Roman's able to pull that off. And uh, yeah, they have done a great job with this. It is eventually going to run its course. They're breaking it up now, to some extent, but it's you still got the head of the table there, even if the Usos are gone. So Roman is still the fucking guy until further proven otherwise. But I, I loved all of this. I thought it was, I thought it was really good. You know what this was a better story than anything that I watched on the AW paper. So <laughs> there you go. Not everything has to be an absolute fucking five-star in-ring banger. Sometimes the storytelling is just as important. Agreed. Completely agreed. And that's why I have hope for this this one with uh, Callus and Omega having legs and uh, going forward. But it's going to be hard to get. This is like the beginning of the NWO uh, level good. This is like the war to settle the score with fucking MTV involved getting the, you know, WWE really jump-started level, you know, horsemen 
breaking Dusty's arm. Like, this is a really fucking good storyline, man. And, uh, yeah. Are you and entertained? Very entertained. And, and one other thing I will say about this is at the end of the day, if all of this, co- all of these come home to roost on poor Roman, right? <laughs> the guy who's been the biggest asshole of all time. And he comes back completely redeemed. Doesn't isn't that going to make him like one of the biggest baby faces? Let's Absolutely. say he, gets, he loses the title. He's been beat up by pretty much everyone trying to you know get redemption for what happened to them. And then he comes back and he's like, "I did things the wrong way." I mean, that's the way <laughs> to get Roman back over as the baby face they want him to be. So it's great. It's just such good storytelling. Like you said, it's touched. Uh, so many different aspects of that company. And uh, I don't know, man. Maybe this uh, Don Callis, Kenny Omega thing can do something very similar. They are setting up kind of, with Blackpool Combat Club, their own little bloodline. Obviously not the bloodline, because none of them are related, but you get what I'm saying. Yep. Um, and I guess a follow-up, and we can kind of uh, call it after this. They have the the big ceremony. I talked about Hunter coming out. So now he's given his belts to both his champions uh, because Roman's down there. And Hunter presented a new title. Uh, This one is the combined lineage of the Universal title and the WWE title or heavyweight title. And they're calling it the Undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Don't know why Undisputed is there. I guess because they're trying to say because he has two championship belts. So he's Undisputed amongst those two. But there's still another champion. That's I, It's really fucking confusing. I, I understand why people. But anyways, it looks very much like the normal belt, except for like in gold, uh, chiseled out. So Roman has one belt. I don't want to see Paul Heyman carrying the other two. I mean, I guess. Can he carry the TNA belt? That wasn't really anything. But I mean, no, no, just don't, just don't fucking, just one belt. Now he has one championship. Um, and yeah, so uh, that was that was cool. There's more that's going to happen. But what do you think about the new belt? Uh, you know, I haven't decided if I love it or hate it yet. Honestly, just the design. What do you think about? Um, I thought it was cool, like how how specific they made Roman's like emblems on both sides, and kind of this is kind of like his belt. Um, what I think is going to happen is this is going to be a, a decent belt, but the one that Cody brings into it once he beats Roman and replaces that, that's more based off the Wing Eagle belt that him and Triple H want back. Uh, that one's going to be way cooler. So. I mean, maybe, except it'll have those stupid fucking neck tattoos all over it, I'm assuming. don't No neck tattoos on it. No, just let the Wind Eagle, he can't put the neck tattoo on it. Are you kidding Jesus me, dude? They're going to be all over that thing. It's going to look like yeah, John Cena's tattoo. <laughs> I do want to talk about one thing from Raw that kind of ties into the bloodline a bit and ties into Gunther. Kevin Owens versus Gunther. Oh, 
Actually, yeah, we did have we talked a little bit about the the Seth Rollins uh, Damian Priest match. That was still a good match, um, and I really do like Damian Priest. But uh, yeah, Kevin Owens and Gunther. What I Bill, Bully Ray said this on Busted Open today, and I think that you'll appreciate this, Chris. The difference between registering that someone hit you and selling that someone hit you, in the sense that. You know, you're getting hit and rocked and stuff like that because, dude, Kevin Owens just comes out extremely stiff. He's giving the forehead shots. He he knows what he's doing and shit like that. But just started the pace of, all right, you're going to do that? Uh, you know, I'm going to fucking slap the shit out of you. Uh, but I forgot exactly where I was going. This this was a fucking hard-hitting-ass match. Uh, I, I really dug it. Um Oh, yeah, registering and, and selling. There would be some hits, like, registering is basically, if I slap, you know, uh, you in the face, Chris, and you're like, you, you know, you're shocked. You put your hand over by, like, there was a lot of that, because both of those guys are so good at that. And then there was, he just rocked me, and I almost fell on my ass. And you had these two dudes that are known, it's it, kind of like a, a modern Bam Bam Bigelow Vader type of situation, just beating the living hell out of each other. And I like the ending of how Kevin Owens lost, so it didn't make it look as bad, although, you know, Gunther won by the world's most dangerous move, the roll-up. Uh, but either way, I, it still kind of keeps things a bit safe for Kevin Owens getting a loss and shit like that. And there was reasoning and, and, and whatnot. But, uh, I, yeah, uh, awesome. Impromptu out of nowhere, you know, I, I love Kevin Owens. Like, th this version of Kevin Owens is, like, he's been around and shit like that, Chris. It totally reminds me, like I've said, of, of Piper when he was at that stage as a baby face, kind of just still in the thing. And, like, how he starts freaking out on everyone. He's like, you did it again. He's like, this is not how you're supposed to do it. This is not protocol. Like, you know, and he starts, like, you know, like, how about we just go and fight? How about I want to fight you? I want to fight you right now. Let's go out there. And, like, you know, starts just walking off towards the wing, and, like, Gunther's not he, – he didn't even get a chance to say anything to him, really. It was awesome. Loved it all. If you can't tell. Yeah, Kevin's great. Gunther's great. Um, I had not started Raw when you told me that this match was happening. I was like, what the – what, really? <laughs> and then I immediately skipped to that <laughs> and watched that and then went back and watched the rest of Raw, but – uh, also, another cool thing that we got out of this, because I think this is what they're going to do. They're going to set up like a three-way match with uh, Riddle and your tag champs versus Imperium to build up, you know, a tag match or whatever. But also Riddle versus Gunther, and Matt Riddle beat the apple absolute shit out of the rest of Imperium. That's not Gunther. Yeah, uh, which is kind of the first big thing he's done since being back. So I'm assuming that's leading up to those two in a title match. So they, they, they did some really good storytelling out of it in the match with Kevin Owens and Gunther. While I didn't love the finish in schoolboy pin and they did a lot. They're like, we're going to protect Kevin Owens. It's like, well, why even bother? Uh, why even bother protecting Kevin Owens? You guys have had him lose like a bazillion fucking times. So it doesn't really matter. But, uh, <laughs> they went out of their way to do that. And then I was like, okay, whatever. And then they set up that, the Matt Riddle stuff. And I was like, okay, all right, that's kind of interesting. So uh, that was that was good, and and that match is definitely like as far as like a TV wrestling match goes, that's one to definitely go watch. And uh, Damian Priest versus Seth Rollins was also really fucking good. 
Uh, I agree, and I enjoyed those matches on Raw. Um, trying to think. I also like the. I like what they're setting up. I don't know exactly. I'm. I guess it's because all three of them. Yeah, that that makes sense. Never mind. They're all in the the uh, Money in the Bank match, but how Ricochet and Shinsuke Nakamura and uh, uh, God damn it, I can't. I always forget the dude's name. I want to say Jonah Rock every friggin' time. Uh, Bronson Reed, but they keep on having matches, and like usually I'm kind of annoyed at WWE when they're doing that, but they're like they're having good matches, just one on one with. One of them, shit like that. So, uh, I like all three of those guys. Just wanted to throw it out there. Uh, the, this should yeah. be a really good money in the bank so far with some of the people in it. And I think it helps out Rick. I think it helps out all three of these guys because they haven't had that much TV time up until now. Uh, Ricochet, I guess, t- technically did when he was doing the tag stuff, but like Nakamura just kind of came back and, uh, Bronson Reed in every high profile match he's been in has lost. Uh, so this is kind of a cool little feud building up to Money in the Bank. It's its own thing, but it's as far as like a mid card thing goes, it's pretty good. Yeah, and uh, definitely also with Matt Riddle and 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 Gunther, I just remembered that they should have some good matches because they had a feud in Evolve, I think, uh, when they were both there. I believe that at one part they were in something together with um, Drew Gulak. Uh, some type of group, or maybe they were opposed with two different groups, but uh, they have uh, they. Uh, I don't know if they have chemistry because I've never seen their matches, but I know that they've had history with each other. So that's good. That uh, you know, it's always good. Helps out. It, it's also cool to see a very different version of the King of Bros just beating the shit out of two people. Right? Yeah. Maybe we're moving into a new direction with uh, Matt Riddle, which I, I think I'm completely okay with. Well, you know, I mean, he's very much compared a lot of times to two people, and they kind of <laughs> kind of weird. I, I was only thinking about one, but it actually applies. Like Kurt Angle and Rob Van Dam, and Rob Van Dam and Kurt Angle could do funny and goofy really well, but they could also do badass. I'm gonna fuck you up, you know, and and destroy you also very well. And uh, I've seen Matt Riddle turn that version of himself up in NXT a lot, and I've missed it while he's been on the main roster. So I would personally love to see him like that. He can get intense. Yeah, I agree with you. And and when he was heel and evolve, we kind of talked about it, and then he eventually started that tag team with Randy. So you know the talk kind of stopped because their tag team was fun. Um. I I always see kind of Matt Riddle more as a heel than a babyface to to a big extent. Um, he's the happy go lucky guy, but you know some of if you even if you make the comparison to Rob Van Dam, Rob Van Dam's best uh, best run was him as like the ECW TV champion as a complete fucking douchebag, which uh, Matt Riddle can also play that part. So it's going to be hard, you know, coming out of this because it's him versus Gunther. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I kind of like the the more turn-it-on, almost Orange Cassidy-esque. Obviously different, but, you know, like, I'm done fucking around now. Uh, so if he's, yeah. <laughs> he's going to play more of that character, that I think that'll be really good. And uh, 
I, I don't know how much faith they have in him at this point with all of the circumstances that have happened with Matt Riddle failing drug test and then all of the other outside curricular stuff, plus the things that happened in NXT, if they want to actually put a title on him. But if he's the first person to beat Gunther, it's not necessarily, I mean, it could be the worst choice if he fucks it up. But as far as like uh, believability and stuff, I mean, I think that, you know, you could, you can work that in there with, with Riddle. Yeah. Because if they, they eventually have to figure out a way, I mean, to get the the IC title off of Gunther in a way that can, you know, make him look less weak as possible, even though that makes absolutely no sense. Because I feel like he's got to get in that main title picture sooner than later. I could see him beating Seth for that fucking title. Yeah. I, I don't see any reason why not. If he, if he drops the IC title, you know, he can move on. He's like, well, you know what? It was time for me to move on anyways. <laughs> he, I get, wants, he doesn't even have to really drop it. He could just basically pull Ultimate Warrior and just win, you know, both of them and then give up the IC title and they do a tournament or some shit. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've bitched about this in the past because Jade Cargill, she was 60-0, and 0, right? And never fought for the heavyweight title, ever once. And it's like, well, even with gold... Even with Goldberg's run, he came in as the U.S. champion, but when he won the heavyweight championship, he relinquished the other title. That's kind of what you do. That's what they did with Warrior. You know, that's kind of what in wrestling would make sense. There's no reason to hold both both of those belts because you're not going to combine them into one thing. It's not like a brand split or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe that is the case. Maybe he just fucking uh, straight carries that thing until he beats whoever has the title. I think that would be awesome. I don't know if they're going to do it, but... Uh, if not, Matt Riddle's not the worst person they have on the roster to take the belt for, from him. Where is Bobby Lashley? Is he a free agent? Or is he signed to one of these v- v- brands? Do you remember? Um, I don't know. Okay, well... I he's kind of one of them. I mean, if Lashley is on the brand with Gunther, that would be the next match, right? I think that should be... As far because you got to think about people that were that would be a little legitimate threat for Gunther, and they're kind of far and few between with how well they built him and the kind of matches he puts on. So uh, maybe Bobby would be a good choice. Matt Riddle is not. Matt Riddle can have great matches with him, and could be believable just because of his MMA background. If he decides to just start picking a a part, uh, I don't know, fucking Gunther's chopping hand, for instance. <laughs> The only other person I can think of is maybe if they build up Bronson Reed. Yeah. Yeah, that would be good as well. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a fun Raw. It's still three hours. Yeah. It's still long, but there was some yep. good shit on it. Yep, and uh, looking forward to uh, this SmackDown, just because of everything that's going on with Bloodline. It has not disappointed. Um, did we talk about the second part? We already talked about that, right? From Raw? Or SmackDown? Uh, I'm not sure. You're, you're talking no, about the, 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 the celebration, the Roman celebration thing? Yeah, I, I think we started it, but we kind of went off on the tangent, which happened. Um, yeah. So, Usos were not supposed to be there. Paul Heyman told, uh, or was told by Roman to make sure once again they're not coming. And they came! 
And uh, Roman was not happy about it. And basically, no, we we went over this, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we talked we talked about this, but they also did the same thing in Saudi. Oh, like, they oh, supposed to be... oh, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, no. This is when Roman fucks them over with that. That's right. I'm 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 mixing my stuff up. They show up. They call out Roman. Jimmy apologizes. He wants to put bygones be bygones and try to get the group better because he's Roman's like a brother to them, and he's not being a good brother. And, you know, it's more question with Solo. It's like, you know, I'm your brother. This is your brother. Like, how are you going to align yourself with Roman? And finally, Solo's kind of hesitant and tells Roman that he's a tribal chief. But, you know, they're his brothers. And, you know, big pop from the audience. And Roman looks very emotional. You actually, it looked like he was actually, like, legitimately tearing up. Uh, Paul Heyman looks all bewildered behind him, and you have this part where Roman Jimmy hug, and because he asks if they can basically combine forces and really make the group good and just be equals, and they hug, and Roman says no, and then gives a nod to Solo Sokoa. Solo gives a nice um, Samoan spike, Jimmy, and. There basically the question is proposed to Jay. I think Jay hijack or you know got out of there, and uh, yeah, that was uh, that's how we we left that situation. So this is going to be the trial of, of of Jay to find out who which who he's going to basically align himself with. So they got me hooked still again with this next part, but uh, good follow up with uh, the Usos crashing his. Uh, his thousand day win or whatever the fuck it was. He's had a lot of, uh, he's had a title for a while. Yeah. I don't think he's dropping it anytime soon either. So that good stuff. They, like I said, and like we've talked about best storyline in wrestling, probably the best storyline in wrestling in a very long time. The only thing I would really compare it to, which as far as like quality of everything built around it would be the Kenny Omega Okada trilogy. Yeah. As far as like importance to a company. Um, uh, can you think of anything else? Like as far as importance to one company, like, I don't know. It's, it, it, it single-handedly turned WWE ratings around. Yeah, I have no idea, man. It's kind of like it's on its own island of relevance. Oh, man, I fucked up the joke. God damn it. <laughs> Can't say relevancy. Ah! On that note, should we call it a night, Chris? I think we should. You, you guys are getting right. almost six hours of content, so. <laughs> yeah. It's. Chris, you might have to, um, if you don't mind, maybe put like part one or part two uh, <laughs> to them. Like maybe the part two starts with the WWE talk because that was a lot of stuff. It, just, it was uh, a lot. But we do this for for the love of the game and you guys, people like you. I forgot what television show from the 90s people would say that at the end of, but I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you want to check out our stuff, uh, we're on all major platforms. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on 
Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, any of your major downloadable platforms, or just Google it. Either search it or Google it at Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Um, give us a five-star rating if you like us. Actually, just give us the five-star rating. That's all. That that's your only option. And uh, subscribe, listen to us, tell your friends, uh, pick your friend's nose, but don't pick your friend's nose. I forgot how the joke went. Chris, say goodbye to all lovely people. Goodbye, all you lovely people listening out there. Uh, if you want to talk to me on Twitter about wrestling, it's at Chris R. Patton on Facebook or Instagram, Christopher R. Patton. And uh, yeah, that's it. Have a great week. And you guys can find me at Instagram on Danels42 and on Twitter, and then Danels on Facebook. Message me. We'll talk about stuff. You guys have a great evening. But the Wrestling Geeks Alive. Oh, man. All right, let's try this one. Let the Wrestling Geeks Alliance be with you. And as always, peace out. Bam.